The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation show, episode 342. Today we have a special guest, Mike Schneider, who we'll get to in just a second here. How's everybody doing? Doing all right. How you doing? We're here. Mm-hmm. Still on Good the right extent. side of the daisies. <laughs> so let's see who we've got today. On the panel, we have Mark Overhoser. Glad to be here. All right. Yours truly, the button pushing monkey. Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. And Alan. Howdy, howdy. Coco still boots. It's a good day. That's right. Hey. And Rick Euland, whose power howdy, is now coach. back on. Yes. Powerful again. Which means your Coco will boot now. Indeed <laughs> it will. <laughs> All right. Ken Waters. Howdy, howdy. And Ron Delvo. Yes, I'm a subsidiary. Okay, and our special guest, Mike Snyder. Hey, happy to be here. And L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And I will mention, you were talking about uh, being on the right, right side of the daisies in the pre-show that we had here locally where you couldn't see it. But uh, your cat was trying to fix that problem for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to go check for some blood later here. Uh, let's see. That attack was savage. Yeah, like, <laughs> like can't hmm. scratch fever later. Right. Right. Get out his septic <laughs> pencil and yeah, do a little. It's like okay, let's see. Uh, Bob Emery. Howdy, everybody. Stop uh, it! Stop it! Psychedelic Stop here. It. Whoa! Stop it! Stop uh, it! Let's see. <laughs> Next, we got Redrick Sigard. Hello. And Nick Morentes. Hello, Thank everyone. You. Make it so. And over in the chat, uh, we've got mm-hmm. the break key, J.E. Jones. But, you know, I see your comment here. Last week's show was excellent, and I believe this one will be, too. Can I have whatever you're smoking? Or the gummies. The gummies will do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's see. You got Marco, Amy. Hello, Amy. Uh, Jim Rye. Eight bits in the basement. Micro hobbyist. Tom Eric Gunderson. Kevin Holloway. Daddy Burrito. 
Uh, let's see. Random Facebook user. <laughs> and, it's Mark Siegel. Uh, okay, that catches us up on the uh, chat here. So, all right. Uh, let's see. Curtis. Yes. Let's say hello to our <laughs> special guest. So, big welcome to Mike Snyder, who's um, still got a Cocoa website he's had running for a couple of decades now called CocoQuest.com, which covers a lot of the games and stuff he did as they were pretty well as a teenager, were they not? Yeah, I was probably around 17 when I started, maybe 16 when I started working on these. Um, I don't do much with the website. It's basically just kind of a, a landing page so you can see everything. But um, I rarely ever update it. I think my last update was nine years ago. So <laughs> so the technical word is static. It's it's stale, yes. <laughs> Until you're spicing up. Okay, well, actually, I'll share that screen just so people can see what the heck we're talking about. About? I feel like I got a good domain name for it, though. I think Coco Quest is kind of cool. It's a, it can almost Most definitely. Its own. Yeah, and you're one of the, the members of the Coco Web Ring, which I don't think is really yeah. that active anymore yeah. either, though. Yeah. My my site was on it for a while, too. I don't know if it still is. Yeah. I want to re I want to restart one, a Coco Web Ring. Oh, that'd be cool. I got some software downloaded, but it's got needs to uh, older version of PHP at the moment, so I'm messing with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it'd be kind of nice to get that get going again. It's it's kind of retro in itself at this point. Yeah, it that is. was started in the '90s, if I remember. Yeah, I wasn't in it from the beginning. I I jumped on when I put up this site. Yeah, one time I had nostalgia on my finger. <laughs> okay. Yeah, see how it says that at the top. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, your your site's kind of nice because you've got a little bit of the history of stuff and yeah. um, you know how to run some of the software, et cetera. And then you got these like randomly picked screenshots. Yeah, I uh, wish Coco I two stuff. Those where you could expand them. I just wasn't thinking at the time. Those are as big as they get. So it would have been nice to you know click them and actually get a, a an enlarged version. But I didn't do that. Yeah, and it, it, every time you refresh the page, it randomly selects to from them too. Mm -hmm. Like you have more than just the ones shown here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've got the Coco one and two ones up here, and then you've got Coco three ones down here. Uh huh. And then you got downloads, lots and lots of downloads. <laughs> yeah, and I was just informed that uh, I think six through nine or seven through nine don't download correctly, but if you download the zip file, then it works. And I'll try to get that fixed so that those individual ones also can be downloaded. It's yeah, six through, want... six through nine. Six okay. through nine. Yeah. I just wanted to mention here, you've got this little bit on the bottom where you've been trying to collect all the TND because that was where most of your publishing was, was on TND yep. and then through Sportswear. But there's a few you haven't been able to find in the meantime. Yeah. Have you had any success since your page was last updated or are you still missing these exact same uh, ones? And if I do, I, I will update it. Um, Space Ace is probably the one that I missed the most. Uh, when I submitted it, they kind of told me, hey, there's a game called Space Ace already out there. So they called it Space Race when they published it or when they intended to publish it. And I don't know why I can't find it. I think they stopped publishing after 121. Maybe it's 122. I, it was, I think they stopped publishing after 121. Maybe it's one. Oh. Um, Mark, I just got a report from Mark Siegel in the chat. It said really bad echo. I haven't had a chance to listen to the stream just to see. Is uh, it on me? Okay. Is anyone else hearing the echo? I'm not hearing here on the local Zoom call, but that doesn't mean anything. What's going out to the stream more, is the important like part. A, <laughs> more like a teeny bit of reverb from uh, Mike, but no, okay. Then I can, I can. Uh, I would, I would have to like jump away to go find headphones that would work. Um, 
shoot. Oh, James uh, Jones is saying he's got no echo heard here, so maybe that's either Facebook or just a bad connection Mark has. Yeah, I'm not hearing anything on uh, YouTube. Okay, okay, that won't work. Okay, okay, I just want to check. Um, the interview is part and it's important, so. But yeah, those those listed there, I've not been able to find, um, which is fine. I think, like I say, Space Ace is probably the best of those that I'd be missing, and that one's a shame, but other than that, um, maybe Gnome Quest 3, I don't remember... I don't even remember what happened to that. I think that I think that I sent that to TND and they had bought it, but maybe they went out of business before they ever even published it. Yeah, because I know you you were asking here, is there any issues of TND above 121? And no, there's not. 121, actually, if you read their little brochure cover page, it says this is the last issue. So Okay. All right. Well, then, yeah, it's possible that those are just gone forever because they just were never published. Which now, I'm trying to remember who was the publisher. That was Tom, Tom Dykema or Dykema. It was D Y K E M A. Um, he was the the lead for that. I think maybe it was him and his wife. Um, I'm not sure. I never met him in person. Um, I don't even think I ever. I might have talked to him on the phone once or twice, but that was only because I was trying to figure out why, where my paycheck was. But <laughs> other than that, um, it was all all through mail, and his name was Tom. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we should try to see if we can find him. We haven't interviewed him yet, so uh, if he's still around, maybe yeah, we'll find I, him. I and if we're lucky, he might yeah. even still have it. Who knows? It's possible. It'd be nice. Um, I wish I still had my stuff. Uh, my little brother, I, I left I left it in his charge, and he did something with it. I don't know what he did. He pawned it, sold it to a friend. I don't know. I lost all my stuff. That's sad. Yep. Anyway, to, to go back in time now to talk about it, let's uh, get into a bit of history here. So... Uh, we have a couple of questions we ask every person we interview here that's been involved with the Coco. And the first one of that, what was the first computer you ever used, not necessarily owned, but used either in school, a friend's place, whatever? Yeah, it was at my aunt's house or maybe a great aunt. I don't remember. It was so long ago. Um, sometime in like the mid 80s, she had a Texas Instruments 994A or TI 994A. So that was the first time I'd ever even touched a computer. And um, she had, you know, the little basic programming manual with it. So I spent the weekend there and read through the manual and I wrote a program. It, it wasn't interactive at all. It was basically like a maze, but instead of you controlling it, I basically, it was almost like a, just a big cut scene where the little guy goes through the maze. And I did that without ever touching a computer or learning to program before that. I thought it was pretty cool. And from then I was hooked. I've been doing it ever since. Okay. And then what was the first computer you were actually owned? Uh, Coco 2. I bought that with my own money. Uh, my mowed lawns in high school and and all the stuff that I that I owned uh, computer wise was what I bought with my lawn mowing money and that was um, I had that for a while before I moved up to a Coco three. I just out of curiosity, since your your formative experience programming was on a TI ninety nine, was there a reason you didn't get that? Um, I don't remember. I think maybe or was that I, the time TI ninety was getting out of the market type thing? It might have been, or it might have been the price, or it might have been that I had a friend who had a Coco. Um, and he said, oh, this is pretty cool. So I looked into that instead. And I think there was also a gap between when I, when I had my hands-on experience with the TI-994A and when I bought the Coco, there might've been like a year or two gap in there. And, um, I just, it wasn't like I was like totally enamored with that one particular computer. So I just went for the Coco and there was, I don't remember the exact reason. It was probably because I had a friend or because it was affordable or because I saw an ad or something, <laughs> That's what I went for. And did you have a local users group, a Coco users group? Or no, I was in club? such a small town. 
it was like a very small town in Oklahoma I grew up in and there was no, there was no group. I, you know, I had a couple of friends with it and that was it. Um, so my experience was basically, you know, I got a subscription to rainbow and, in T and D and everything. And that was it. I didn't really have like a support group or a, a club or anything like that, that, that I was in. Did you have a local radio shack in your small town? No, the most, uh, the nearest one was in a town about 18 miles away. I mean, by most standards, it was a small town too, but you know, they actually had chain restaurants like a McDonald's and a Brahms and stuff. And, they had a <laughs> and that's uh, where I would go to get my stuff, but it was, it was 18 miles away. So. Okay. So how how did you find the cocoa? Do you remember then? Like, did you travel to town and visit the Radio Shack, or yeah, well, like a friend yeah. had it first? You might have. I said think that? my friend. I think my friend had it first, um, or a neighbor maybe had it. So, God, I wish I could remember. <laughs> it's been so long ago. I wish I could remember exactly. I'm pretty sure that whatever got me into it. Um, you know, I didn't drive. I didn't have a car. I was you know a sophomore or something in high school. So I'm sure my mom or my grandma took me to the Radio Shack in um, in Ada, Oklahoma. That's where the nearest town that was big enough was. And I bought it. Um, I think when I got it, I had the cassette player. And I might have even been using like a generic cassette player, just like one that I had. Because um, I didn't get a disk drive until later. Um, just had like an old black and white TV at first. I didn't even yep. have a lot of us started that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I got the computer and just never never look back from that point now during your pre-call you mentioned you were programming for money already in high school uh how long were you programming after you got your cocoa before you started actually selling your programs to tnd and, and sports it Sport, wasn't but... very long so i got it and i think the very first game i made was a game called arctic adventure it was just a text adventure and if you notice it wasn't arctic adventure like it should be it was A-R-T-I-C because I couldn't spell. If you look at some of the instructions for my games, like I, this guy can't spell. They rejected it. I submitted it to T&D and it was, I guess it was so bad or just so broken or so just the spelling was so horrible that they, they did not want it. Um, but I kept at it and pretty much everything after that they did, they did buy. So it was, it was, you know, worth it. Like the, the what I invested in the hardware in order to, sell my games to them and they just bought the copyrights it wasn't like i was getting royalties or anything so they yeah just T D was basically just a straight bio just like chroma said was earlier it was yeah. uh, sports were would have been royalty based i'm presuming yes it was but that's a whole nother story i think yeah we were short-lived and never i i think maybe they sold like five copies of my game total because that's about all it was but um, with TND, I was it was almost right away. As soon as probably within six months, I was writing games and selling them to them, and and did that for a couple of years. So what what prompted you to go and find TND then? Was that just looking in Rainbow and you thought that'd I think be cool? It was Rainbow, uh, yeah, I, I do. I I don't remember if there were a couple of issues that caught my eye and I ordered those individually, and then maybe in the document, like they come out with this little green sheet. You guys probably remember it. It's like a thing that had all the things listed. I don't know if there was something yeah. on there that says, Hey, we buy games, submit them here. Or if it was part of their ad or what. Um, but that was it. It was some, some information that they put out was how I knew that, um, that they would buy games. And that's why I started doing it. And was it the same rate for every game or the it uh, one, was, two or three it or was different depending on what it was. And back then it was like for a text adventure, they might pay like, 40 bucks or something. It was very, it was a small amount. Um, for some of like my video games, I, they, 
they would evaluate him and just see, well, you know, how good is this? How popular do we think it would be? Um, I think the most that they might have ever paid for any individual game was like 100, maybe 120 for one game. Um, but most of them were in that range from like 40 to 80, something like that. And, and did you write anything besides games? Like, did you write utilities or? There were a couple. I wrote a um, a Star Trek episodes guide, basically. And I can't remember where I got the information. I think I... I think I checked out a library book or something that was like about Star Trek and it had a synopsis of all three seasons and, and the episodes, maybe the animated series too. And I basically just copied that into the, into the um, program and you and it gave a list of all the episodes. You could click on it. You could see uh, the actors and I think it was the actors. It was at least a synopsis, whatever I got out of that book. Um, there might've been a couple of other things that I worked on that weren't, games but games was all i was interested in like i yeah you're your teenager so <laughs> yes yeah you know, i had an nes and you'll even see like some of the graphics and once i started putting graphics in games they were all inspired by something castlevania or mega man or something they like i got my ideas from nes games and speaking of graphics i mean uh, you've got some pretty good detail graphics especially when you got into the coco 3 stuff and i'm just wondering what did you use as tools for your graphics did you just do them all in basic or did you use like coco max or color max or deluxe or something like that or do you remember i used nothing but just pixel just drawing them out and i don't remember i think later on i started instead it's kind of weird when i first started doing it i think i would just do a draw command like i would just say draw up right whatever color blah 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 and i would just like it would i would just create the code that would draw the icons or whatever and then i would you know capture that as a sprite or whatever i, I so get put or whatever yeah yeah later on i started doing sheets of them i think so i would draw the entire thing and then i would save it as a binary file if i remember right and then i could load that into memory and then just grab the pieces that had already been drawn previously and use those as my sprites but i never used a utility as far as i remember it was always just okay. something i home brewed in order to do that okay cuz yeah, some of your coco 3 graphics in particular actually look pretty darn good so i thought maybe you were using coco max 3 or it was the it was rat or paper. you know i would i would basically have graph paper and i would figure out what i wanted to do and then i would just Sim, I would just mimic that with draw commands, I think. And then um, eventually, yeah, I did I did start pre-rendering them and then grabbing them from a file that I loaded. But at first, it was just physically just having draw commands to make them. But it wasn't a utility. It was all just graph paper and me just coming up with stuff. <laughs> and I think if I remember correctly, some of your games have like little four voice music and stuff there. Was that something you just you know plucked out of one of the various you know rainbow things that showed you how to do multi-voice music type thing? Or do you remember? I don't or did you have a program for that, like Lyra or you know, music did, or something? I, you know what? Actually, I think I did. There was some sort of a program for that, but I until you mentioned it, I had totally forgotten it. And if I did, <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Um, but when I played back through them recently, I didn't remember any that had that. The ones that I did, it seems like I simulated it by like, God, what did I do? I guess the short answer is I don't fully remember. <laughs> That's no problem. Um, now you started this in high school, like you mentioned. How long, like, were you in university by the time you stopped working for yeah, or doing stuff for Teen D? And I got real busy um, when I went to college. I I graduated in 1990 and went to college that same fall, and my time was a lot less. You know, not only schoolwork, but 
you know, coming from a small town and then going to college where you meet a lot of new people. I was in, um, you know, the marching band and everything and met a lot of people that way. Um, people would, you know, we want to go to movies, go out to eat, just my time. Was have a life. <laughs> finally have a life. Yeah. That's, that's something I was lacking up to that point. Um, so I, I just didn't have that much time for it. And I don't remember, I, because I, I guess it kind of speaks to me not even realizing that TND had gone out of business that I must've just stopped submitting to them around the same time. So. Yeah. I mean, I, the tail end of your stuff was near the end of the, you know, the rainbow yeah. even and, and Tandy did, I think canceled the cocoa right around the yeah. time you'd stopped writing. Well, it kind so. of coincided. It would have been sad for me if I was like still, you know, gung ho on all this stuff and submitting it and trying to do stuff. And then that had, you know, like a rug got pulled out from under me. So for me, it kind of, it worked okay because I had already wound down what I was doing anyway. But yeah, I, I tried that. There were a couple in college that I worked on. Um, I don't think anything I made in college ever even got published. Like we were talking earlier, the, um, uh, that space ace or space race, whatever. And known quest three, I think those I had even done while I was still in high school, like maybe the summer before I went off to college. So, okay. Kind of and then how did, how did you hook up with sportswear? Like you, you sold just a few things to them from what I understand, it but was uh, since thing, you were so successful with TND, I'm kind of wondering why you went there for that. Um, it was the concept of royalties. So with okay. TND buying those outright, I'm like, well, I don't know how much they're making off these. I mean, in my mind, they had a million subscribers, you know, I'm sure they did, <laughs> but in my mind they did. And I was like, well, I'm not getting a very big cut of this. They're sending me $40 for one of these little games or, you know, 60, 80, whatever. Um, sportswear will sell it. And I was always attracted to the things uh, in Rainbow that were just publishers that were putting out games, you know, Sundog and and whatever else um, was around at that time. Um, I, I have a connection to sportswear. Yeah? Yeah. He, <clears throat> the guy's name's Paul Olmstead. Yes, I remember he that. Worked, yeah. He worked. He was um, my wife's boss. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and he sold me my first Coco. Uh, for oh, like wow. 300 bucks the coco and uh, uh i had a tv and um a drive single i think it was a single drive but anyway um yeah he did weekly winner and some other things and then he graduated to uh <clears throat> model 1000 pc stuff you know so later. you're all his fault yeah right <laughs> so so ron was he located up uh in rochester he was in toledo maybe? no he was in toledo, in toledo ohio okay. fact, uh because you've lived a few places, I wasn't sure where on the timeline that fit. Yeah, on the weekly winner game, he has his address as uh, River Road, Toledo, Ohio. Yeah, oh, ninety-one. That's... Yeah, because yes. I mean, Paul Paul wrote some of the games for Sportswear himself too, because he's he's yeah, definitely he wrote the uh, a couple of he was into uh, um, military games, you know, uh, oh, he, like strategy. like Ark Royal yeah. type thing, yeah, yeah, and and didn't he do the the one? Because no, it was like I, I'm trying to remember it. which ones he did. Like Barbarian Quest was that yes. one of his? Yes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, I had the original of that, and I didn't. I wasn't really into that, and I I was able to sell that to um um somebody in our group, you know, at okay. one time. But anyway, um, yeah. We. So if we, we see in Toledo, that. I'm wondering how how did Mike get a hold of him? Did you, did you yeah, just pick that one company out, or did you submit to a right. bunch of them? He had an ad in Rainbow. Yeah, yeah. I think in Rainbow, they said, hey, we we will publish games or, or send us your games. You know, it was kind of the same deal as T&D as far as, you know, actively asking people to get in touch with them if you wanted to sell your game. So I'm sure it was something like that, because I'm, I'm sure I didn't just like randomly reach out to these guys and say, hey, do you want to 
published games. It had to have been something like that that they. Yeah, he owned a, a window company, and my sister worked there, and she worked on uh, putting. Um, she did uh, work on a Model Three because they had Radio Shack computers, you know, for their, um, you know, inputting customers and, you know, reminders for or service or I, I don't know exactly what what they did but I have a picture of my sister sitting at a model three um inputting data with a headset on I don't know what she if she was listening to music or if it was hooked up or what I don't well, know that's cool but um yeah and he he was one of the um owners of the company and uh it must be that either my sister or my wife um since she worked there too she was in accounting and, um, you know, told him I was interested in the Radio Shack stuff. And he was already, which we didn't know. So I spent some time uh, at his place on River Road and with my son and his daughter uh, would play together while we did cocoa stuff, you know. Uh. And he, he taught me some things and gave me some programs. And he, he did Super Disc. Remember that? Yep. 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 I found that one, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, and, did um, he run sports where it's just kind of a little side business? Yeah, then, or? Just his, yeah exactly. That wasn't yeah. his main main income then, obviously. No, and even though I didn't sell much through them, it wasn't for lack of trying because they actually created a manual for it. You know, it wasn't like a like a super you know well produced thing, but you would buy the game. It would come on disc. It would it had this uh, little two page manual with it with you know my story and instructions in it, and um, they ran ads in in Rainbow. So I remember at least one or two issues. My games were there on sale through Rainbow um, through their through the sportswear ad. So. So you didn't I, write the own, you didn't write your own manuals for that. I, I didn't. Know I that. wrote my own manual, but but he like edited, he put enhanced it, it into a yeah yeah. It was cool. Fixed it. Yeah, fixed it. Probably, hopefully, fixed spelling? spelling spelling correction. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, I've talked to him and, and asked him if he would come on the show, and he's he's a little shy, you know. Um, and I I don't think he thinks you know it was very big deal back then you know it was, it was just something to me. he did like it was, yeah. yeah and and to mm -hmm. me too and, and so i think one of these days he might come on and we'll be able well, to interview him now that we know about this connection here i'm wondering like we've done double interviews before we've had you know a previous guys come on and help interview somebody else that you knew in the industry or worked for etc like we've talked with like you know rick adams and dale lear worked together at a company in california and they both produce stuff on the cocoa on the side so we actually have them help interview each other so maybe if you can convince Paul uh, to come on there, uh, Ron, we can have Mike come on as a guest interviewer yeah, and you can ask some cool. questions that you maybe never got a chance to ask him. Too. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Okay. Uh, his, his daughter that used to play with my son, you know, while we were busy playing with Coco, um, she wound up uh, uh, growing up and being a, uh, um, a TV personality, like on, um, you know, uh, a, a, uh, she would do specials and stuff on huh. uh, the news, you know, in L.A. And wow. uh, I would see her and she kind of looks like her dad, sort of, you know, and, and she 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 was real successful. She did really well. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So <clears throat> one, one thing you sent a little newspaper article that uh, yeah, was published yeah. Uh, that. Uh, yeah, that ran uh, in my yearbook, too. I, I didn't know it was going to be there. So it was kind of a surprise. <laughs> And I'll just do a quote from the article here. It says, it mentions you helped the student council earn money by writing a matchmaking program. And I'm wondering whose idea was that? Is that something the student council came up with or teachers came up with or you came up with? How successful I... was it? And uh, how well did it work? <laughs> oh, all great questions. Um, 
I think it was my idea and I don't know why it was my idea, but there was this girl I liked and I was super shy. You know, I'm, I'm a geeky kid. I've got like, uh, you know, yes, that's me. <laughs> that was me in, in my senior year. Actually, I'm looking, that's on the monitor. You can see Gnome Quest three, which is one of the games I never have been able to find. Um, so it was my idea. I like this girl. So my idea was I'm going to do this matchmaker thing and then I'm going to copy her answers so that I will be the one that, that she matched. <laughs> the was, game. It was Trust, a, before social media, the only way yes. to really embarrass yourself was to be in the annual yeah. school yearbook, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this actually ran in the Ada newspaper and they, and they put it in, in the yearbook. So I think it was my idea. What we did is everyone could fill out this form and it would ask you, on a date would you want to go to the beach a movie you know it's the standard stuff but back then i don't know if anyone was you know i think matchmaking programs were you know novel at the time it's not like you had websites to do it for you um so it would ask you questions like that i don't remember there were maybe 20 questions um all basically of your interests are you interested in um what types of books or movies that type of thing and you would answer and i think it was just super simple it didn't like put any weighting on things like, well, this answer is more important than this answer. So it gets more points. I think it was literally just if you answered the same on any given question, you got one. So you could be ranked from like one to 20 or zero to 20, something like that. So everyone could answer for free and they wanted, I mean, everyone wanted to do it because it was just a goofy little thing. So we passed it around to, I, it wasn't just the seniors. It was probably the entire high school. So like freshmen through seniors were able to answer this. And then I just I just keyed it in after the fact, and then the program would run through, and it would figure out everyone's top ten matches. Like you matched with uh, John Smith for a score of eighteen or something like that, and we just kind of rank everybody. They had to pay to get the results, though. It was a dollar to get your results. <laughs> we print those out, and I don't remember how many people bought them. It was about a hundred. So at the time, you know, in nineteen eighty nine or. 1990 whenever this was a hundred dollars for the student council for our trip it was it was a bit of extra money it was worth doing um but yeah that one i i i made mine to where it was like a almost a near perfect match with this girl i liked and it didn't it it, it absolutely didn't help her go anywhere <laughs> <laughs> i don't even remember if she bought hers or if i like somehow gave it to her for free or i don't know it was dumb. Um, but how, it was, how did it work in general, though, like with other people? Did it actually work in any case? I don't know. I was so much in my own little nerd world that I never paid any attention to where if, like someone said, hey, we match. Let's go on a date. I, I have no idea if, <laughs> if if anything like that even happened. But it was it was fun and, and it was popular enough, you know, that, you know, it got a lot of attention at the time. And I thought it was kind of a cool thing to do. So. Yeah, it, it worked. I mean, out. honestly, that's how Facebook started originally. I think. Yeah, I it was. Correctly. Yeah, I, I watched that Facebook movie. It was kind of just a, a social thing for a college or something, is what that was. But yeah, this was just. I don't even remember what I did with it. I don't know if I took the program and then sold it to T and D, or if it was just like a just an ad hoc thing that I did for this, you know, for for my senior class that I never did anything with at all. But um, you know, it was just a down and dirty. It, it, hmm not much to it now one thing this article mentions here and this is probably later in your, your coco programming career um, um it says near the top of the middle column there byware enterprises mike's computer company has sold about 70 computer <laughs> games 
Yeah. So you were quite prolific. Like, how fast were you cranking these out? Embarrassingly fast. Basically, I would, especially when I was first getting started and my standards were way lower. It's like I didn't, I, if I could make a game in a couple of days, I would. So I would come home from school. And the bad thing is I was so into this that I would be working on stuff at school, not on the computer, but like I wouldn't be paying attention to the teacher. I would have. Yeah, you'd be stuff. writing stuff notes and yes, programming notes. Yeah, notes. <laughs> I'd be making adventure game maps. It was just it was completely embarrassing. So a lot of these things I would make in less than a week. So it was basically a week per game that I was cranking these things out. Like even some of my bigger things I did. um uh, Monster Mash, probably like my crowning achievement, I guess, was a game that only probably took me less than two weeks to make because I just, I was that every spare minute I had, that's all I was doing is is making these games. I, I um, have another question here, uh, Mike. In this picture, you're using the Black Beauty. Was that pretty much the staple of the day? Uh, what is that? The Black, the Black Beauty. Beauty. Oh, the Black Beauty joystick. Yeah. That's our nickname for the original non-self-centering oh, that's, that's what i had that's basically all i had like i said i didn't have much money i i bought stuff from mowing lawn so i'm i probably bought the joystick and never even tried to get a better one <laughs> so where was this picture taken do you remember because it doesn't look like it's at your house or it's anything. not it's at a it looks like it's the 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 computer lab i guess at at the school so it was just a um all oh, right or maybe so did your like did your class actually have cocos there or did you bring your cocoa from i home? brought that in I'm not sure if that was my monitor or TV. I'm not even sure what that is or if it was one that the school had that I just hooked up to, but that's my computer, my joystick and my disc. I think that's my disc drive over there. Yep, that's yeah. a drive. And I brought it in because the school had apples. They had Apple two E's, two C's, whatever the Apple product of the day was. Um, so I d actually did a little bit with those oh. too, but um, no, I brought that in just for that picture. I got okay. a question. Go ahead um very simple actually you're how hard are your games to play on a scale from one to nick morantis <laughs> that's perfect if you if you understand that reference uh... I, I don't but they are brutal and control horribly and <laughs> i would not recommend anyone play them at all i know that that's kind of i, I think there's a <laughs> There's something coming up where maybe people will have to play at least one of Just them. Just wait but... for the game on challenge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can see that you're the master of the upsell. Yeah. It's it is so <laughs> they are so difficult and unfair. And like some of my games, you get one life. Like you could you could play for 15 minutes and you know, half an hour and you die and you start over. Cause I had no, in my mind, I had no concept of like save states or continuing or anything like that. It was, it was so bad. I, I, I honestly had no business <laughs> having games that people were actually going to be playing. Cause I did so, not. Mike, do you, do you have kids and, and uh -huh. you know, have they seen this and, and uh, you know, I've shown my daughter this article. I have three kids, my oldest, uh, she just went off to college. She goes to KU in Lawrence, Kansas now. So she just went off to college. She's a freshman this year. And then I had twins. I have a boy and a girl and they are 15. They are sophomores in high school. My son is actually getting into programming now. He's learning uh, VB.net. I told him, I don't know why they're not teaching him C sharp. No one's going to be VB.net, but I don't know. what do I know? Right. Um, <laughs> but they're, um, they're, he is a big gamer like me. Um, 
but he has no interest. I've said, hey, I want to show you these games, bud. Let me show you some of these games I made. Even beyond the Coco, I did some DOS games. I did online games. I did BBS games. There's a whole lot of stuff that I think he might be interested in, but he's not interested. Like he plays Fortnite. He plays, He, I don't know why I let him, but he played uh, GTA 6 or GTA 5 a while back. 6 isn't out yet. And he has no interest. So it's a shame because I always thought I was going to be the cool dad. You know, look at all these games I did. I'm the coolest dad ever. Uh, I <laughs> they don't care. They don't care. Well, we think you are. <laughs> now, on the other hand, you did a podcast about some of the game stuff that your daughter, didn't you? Yeah, my oldest, the one that's at KU now, um, when she was eight years old, she wanted to do a podcast with me. And I'd never done it. Um, I don't, t I didn't at the time like speaking, you know, it's just, I'm, still kind of reserved she insisted and i was like okay i guess we'll try it so we did um yeah the link is down there somewhere in the news uh, right here yeah yeah so video game generations there's a link there uh we did it when she was eight we started in 2014 like july 2014 and we did it for two or three years and at some point she just started getting less interested you know i think she she got into high school she started talking with friends, you know, and she just, it, it seemed like to her, it was more embarrassing than anything. So we just <laughs> wiped down and luckily she just didn't leave me high and dry. She didn't just say one day, dad, I'm not doing it anymore. She, we kind of phased it out. So we actually got to have a few episodes that we could let listeners know, Hey, uh, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to continue after episode 150. So we had a big blowout episode at 150 where all the, uh, all the listeners could write in and, and ask questions and say bye and everything. So it was a really good time. And I, I, I missed doing it to some extent, but I spent so much time editing those episodes because I was so obsessive. It wasn't video. It was all audio. So I had the luxury of loading it in audacity and like cutting out long pauses and yeah slicing stuff like I was obsessive about it it would take like eight hours to edit episode because I went through just you know second by second doing that um, so it was a time-consuming thing had a lot of fun and it was all about video games it was about news um, you know Sony's releasing the latest God of War or something um, Addie what did you play so she might have played a uh, uh, she liked this game called Octodad. So she played Octodad Dadly as Catch and she liked that. So she would talk about what she played. And it was a lot of fun. And she was the star of the show too. I tell you that some of those episodes, I'm I was really dry. I'm just I'm keeping it on fact. And she's just bouncing between topic and topic. She's so it's like that's why people listen, is because my daughter was just so entertaining. So it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you said that ran for like well over 150 episodes yeah, uh, over several years too. Episodes, yeah. So I don't remember when we stopped doing it, but two and a half years, I guess, whatever that works out to. Um, yeah, about two, three years almost, I guess. And how popular was the podcast? I mean, you, that's earlier in the podcast realm, 2014. It was, so. yeah. It's it's hard to say. I know that on our feeds, we had like around 300 subscribers, I think, maybe 250. But it's hard to say how many actively listen because I didn't really – I wasn't using like podcast platforms that give you lots and lots of stats. I had my own feed, and I put it up on um, – I mean, it was on Apple, uh, Stitcher. I don't remember where all it was, but though, but it was hard to get stats out of that. So I could just basically see that I had X number of people subscribed to it. Um, but we, I mean, I, I assume it was popular enough because you know a lot of people listen to a podcast. They're not going to write in. They're not going to. You're yeah. never going to even know they're there. 
but we had every week we had several regulars that would always ask questions there was a there was a really cool uh really cool guy who lived in poland and he his name was pavel and he would always write in always had questions really cool guy I actually ended up playing a couple online games with him one time and um we had some other listeners like that that would be you know maybe l- less often but they would write in and say hey love the show so yeah i mean popular enough that it didn't feel like we were just talking into a void you know and that was the main thing it's like if you're going to do something like that sometimes you do it for yourself and sometimes it's it's worth it just because you feel like you're putting something out there and it gives you something to do but knowing that you have some listeners that are looking forward to it every week and are actually um you know participating and and responding to you i think that was great yeah i think it's what keeps Coco us going nation. here to be honest yeah it's the same, Coco nation yeah <laughs> yep that's the same thing we just never did video he's like i didn't want my eight-year-old daughter being on video necessarily so yeah I, you yeah. just did audio privacy concerns there exactly. uh we got a comment from mark siegel who was one of the head guys up uh, on the coco side of things at radio shack mm-hmm. at the time actually one of the designers of the coco three uh he asking uh, did you get better at writing games over time i did yeah i did but i still didn't take those lessons to make the games more fair or easier <laughs> i basically just made them look better that's kind of uh the extent that i went but i was able to do more so i did learn lessons um you know how to make how to make the graphics not flicker quite as much as they did in some of my earlier games. Um, like when my text adventures, I think my text adventures got a little bit better. None of them at that point were very good. So I learned lessons. I just didn't, I just didn't learn the right lessons because I, if I knew <laughs> now what I know, then I could have made some games that could have probably stood the test of time. You know, they would have been fun to play today. Like maybe a roguelike or something would have been fun. Um, but I just, I just kept them hard because I was so intimately familiar with the controls and everything. And I know that, okay, well, this, this mummy is only ever going to come from this position and he's only ever going to do this one thing. And I know everything. So I, I would be able to beat my games, but even for me, some of them were brutally difficult to even finish even for myself. So I got better. I just applied it in the wrong ways. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can, I can understand that. Yeah. And Nick Nick has some of the opposite problem when he does games because he he thinks you know that's it's a little bit hard for him, so it can't possibly be it's got to be way too hard for other people. And then he, you know we get a couple of people like Buck Owens and Tasman come in and they just roast through them in like you know one day. Yeah, you never know, yeah, you never know because some people can just take to it so simply. I mean, and that's the problem with games today too is, um, but they do you know now we figured out difficulty settings, so you know there is an easy, yeah. mode, there's a medium mode. As far as I know, I don't remember games back in the day having any sort of difficulty setting. It was just a few did, but it was pretty rare. I mean, um, I think that you're right, though. That is the reason that they started doing that is because you find out after you start writing games that basically not everybody's the same level player and never will be. Yeah. So you have people who who, who need it on the easiest setting and that's all they'll ever do. And then I wish I had had Nick's mindset, though, because I just I went the opposite. I was like, if I could do this and and complete it i would think well everyone else is going to be better than me so i better ramp up the difficulty well that's that's the (laughs) issue because you get so good at your own game as you write it that no one else can play it but you yeah yeah (laughs) and i just i i had no concept of of controls either some of the ones that i've gone back to recently it's like how did i not program for diagonals like you have to like keep your joystick pointed straight up straight to the left in order for it to do it if you're slightly off it just does not work and i just i i I guess i just never grasped how to make a game control well (laughs) so do you have a coco set up 
I don't have it set up, but I did get one. I like I said earlier, I lost all my stuff when my brother whatever he did. But I bought a Coco three off eBay maybe twenty years ago, fifteen. I don't know. Whenever I started doing this site, um, probably more than that now. So I got a Coco three. I got a disc drive for it. Um, maybe a joystick. It wasn't that black one. It was like a white. I think it was white, but it was self centering. Yeah, I think it it's was probably a deluxe or a pistol grip or something, maybe. Could have been. Yeah, it's it's actually sitting around over in a box. If I have a downtime, I may go grab it. But it's um it, it's it's not something I ever have hooked up since then. Like I got it. Yeah, it looks a lot like that. It looks a lot like the one you're holding up there, uh Patrick. Yeah. Um which nobody else can see, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I can see it. And it and, and yeah, it's similar to that. Um that was a deluxe you're holding up, Rick. Oh, is there You're muted, one? Rick. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Just your standard Tandy. Yeah. yeah it, I think that might have that might be like the one that I bought. But I, I don't now because I I have totally forgotten how Coco Basic even works. Like I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't be able to work on anything anyway without like giving myself a refresher. And if I was, I probably wasn't going to do it on real hardware. I think it'd be a lot easier to do it through the emulator or something. I think it would be a yeah. lot more. Yeah, so, it definitely would be. You can overclock it if quick. you're testing stuff. Well, yeah, and I, yeah, I did that on some of my others. Like some, like especially my adventure game, my graphic adventure games that are so slow, they're not dependent on reaction and and you know like little spaceships floating around. So I can crank that up to where they actually are playable. So instead of you <laughs> waiting 15 seconds for the room description to write out, um, it's practically instant. And actually, they would be playable if they were good, but. <laughs> They're not, they're not. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about on this article, the last thing from this article I'll ask you about, uh, it mentions here that you did outstandingly well at high school interscholastic scholastic, uh, meets, yeah. scholastic, sorry. Um, you placed 16 times, winning 10 first place, three second and four third. That's all about programming or? It was all programming, yeah. Well, some of it was programming. A lot mm -hmm. of it was like general knowledge. I One of the things that stand out, and I don't even remember the answer anymore, is there would be questions like, who created Pascal? like i don't remember now but at the time i knew that and i don't I, I don't know how i was prepped to answer questions like that like if maybe my teacher in high school said well these are the types of things they're going to ask so study up on it um so a lot of it was just general just general computer knowledge but there were programming competitions um one of them i remember in particular particular and it might have been that edmund one was you would write a program in advance and you would take it to the um to the interscholastic meet and present it there and they would look it over um i don't know if they would look at the code but they would actually look at the end result like what what it did what problem you were trying to solve with this um i don't remember what i took it was probably a game or something but uh, yeah because yeah. it sounds like from this this article here that that was a statewide competition was, for programming yeah. and you won second place so that's that's pretty darn good yeah and and funny story, the guy that won first place ended up going to the same college I did. So I had to like, uh, I mean, we kind of became friends after that. But it, it was interesting. The guy that won first, he he wrote a some sort of a font program, and I remember exactly what it was. But it was something that you could either design a font, and then you could like a little mini word processor, and it would print out what you did in that font. Um, so I remember what he did more than I remember what I did. But I was just about to ask you: Was this a game you wrote or an actual? I think it was probably a game because I, that's basically always doing Your forte. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't think they had any limits on it either. I don't think they said, they said write a, 
write an application to do this function. It was basically just make something and bring it to us and present. So I don't know how the playing field ever would have been level because, you know, a game versus a word processor versus a, a spreadsheet. I, I mean, I don't even know. I don't remember what other people brought, but yeah. And I'm assuming this was on multiple platforms too. Like, how do you judge that if somebody has like a hyper fast 386 or something versus like a Cocoa or something like that? Yeah. And I don't know how they did it. Um, mine, I think mine was on Apple twos because that's what um, school used. So I don't think, you know what? I don't know. Maybe I did do something on the Cocoa for that. Cause I think we've had to bring our hardware I don't know, 35 years ago, I don't remember <laughs> at this point, but it was fun. And, mo and mo not all of it was programming. A lot of it was just tests, basically just knowledge tests. And I don't know if it was tests about basic, because again, it's like what you say, the basic, it's going to vary between Apple and Cocoa and TI and whatever, yeah. it's not exactly the same. So it was mainly general, general knowledge about like the first mainframe or who, like I say, who invented Pascal and uh, what does basic stand for? And just general purpose questions like that was a lot of it. Um, I, I, I had forgotten until I'm looking at this now, I forgot that I had even um, gone to 16 of those 16 times over a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the guy that won the most though? You know, we sent people in math and science and, you know, they had tons of categories and I was the one that would consistently win. So I felt good about that. <laughs> now, looking at the sidebar here, you got the Cocoa 1 and 2 games, just mm -hmm. some random selections and then the Cocoa 3 stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the newspaper article I mentioned you got your first computer in 87. So the Cocoa 3 had just come out, you know, the year before uh, in the second half of the year. Yeah. Um did you gra find yourself gradually switching from Cocoa 2 to Cocoa 3, or did you quite try to Wasn't write games for both all the way through? No. no. As soon as I got the Cocoa 3, I never made another Cocoa 2 game at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't see the point, I guess. And there, the point was, you know, the user base. There would have been people out there that have Cocoa 2s and not Cocoa 3s. But it did, that didn't – that was that's the furthest thing from my mind. It was just like, oh, my gosh, look at these extra colors. Look at the extra speed of this thing. It's like I never looked back. Um, yeah, you can definitely see, like, you know, just looking at some of these samples you got here, like River Raid uh, Rahul. Is that how you pronounce that? Quest? Rahul's Quest. There was a guy I went to college with named Rahul. And he had the idea, he wanted to be in a video game. So I made a video <laughs> game about my friend Raul in college. Yeah. But you can tell, yeah, the different. And I, it's like, I just, I never made another Coco 2 game after that. Okay. Yeah. Cause I didn't know if TND would be kind of pressuring you towards like, we still have Coco 2 subscribers. You should maybe do a couple. They, that never, work on that as they well. never asked for anything at all. So it was basically, I just sent stuff in. They never said, Hey, you know, we have a gap. We need this type of thing, or we need more Coco two games. As far as I remember, I never got that kind of feedback from them at all. Okay. Now you did a mixture of adventure games. You did some arcade games, some sort of puzzly games, I guess, too. Was there a favorite genre for you to write? I really did like doing those text adventure games. Um, I just, I, I've actually done some since then and, and placed high, like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the, the uh, interactive fiction competition that happens every year. Um, kind of like with Coco, there's still a, you know, a text adventure fan base that's out there. And yeah. Lysator.org or something like I'm trying to remember the yeah. name of the well, there's website. Infiction.org. Yeah. I actually registered infiction.org myself and then gave it over to the interactive fiction community at some point and someone else runs it but i've done some really good ones that focus on story 
and are, you know, they're using tools specifically made for text adventures. Back then, I had it all in my head that this is epic. You know, this is, you're in a forest and there's a troll and there's all these uh, things. And it was so epic in my head, but that never made it into the game. What made it into the game was like, you're standing in a forest and there's a troll and that's all there was to it. And it's, <laughs> it's so difficult. Um, if you scroll down even more, Curtis, you may see the um, uh, maps that I did. And uh, you may have oh, right. trying to get to those later. Down here? Yes. So if like if you click on if you click on that's like the that's that actually did come out. That's on one of my discs, please cadet five. But you'll see when I wrote these text adventures, I approached it as if it was just one big puzzle. So you would start in a room and I would say, okay, well, there's a locked door here. You have to go here to get the key. You have to fight the mummy to do that. You have to do this stuff. But it was so in my head, it made so much sense that when I put it into the game, it was just unplayable because there were not alternatives for stuff like if, if you wanted to enter the house you couldn't just say go into the house or open door enter house like there was one specific thing that i had in mind that you would need to type in to do it and if you didn't type that in it wouldn't work and it wouldn't tell you why it didn't work it would just say you can't do that um even though probably you could it's just you needed to spell it a different way because it was all based around being this one giant puzzle box um, but I really like doing it because I could, I could come up with the entire game on paper like this, just like on a front and back of a piece of paper. I would have all my notes that in location 21, you shoot the robot, then you can reprogram them and you do this stuff. And you can and do I, this in class while at school. That's exactly, <laughs> that's where, that's probably where this one came from. <laughs> Not paying attention in math. Exactly. <laughs> but I really like doing this later on. I did like doing the arcade games more, but I always had a soft spot for these text adventures that i did i just and the shame is these are probably the least playable now but just because of how difficult it would be to figure out you know you would have to read my mind to know what command i wanted you to type in to do something it just made no sense whatsoever because yeah and that's something i find that modern kids trying to play text adventure games unless you get a really good one like some of the infocom stuff it has a really good parser well there's um, yeah they just don't have the patience to figure out you know i don't know what word you picked yeah, those Z, those Z code games that Infocom used are like very good because the parser knows a lot more than that. And there are there are specific adventure languages now that build a world model that you. This was down and dirty. I would basically say if your command started with the word with L O O, meaning you wanted to look at something, and then it also contained the word key, then do this. But it it was no more complicated than that. The actual text adventure languages nowadays will. Um, you know, there's synonyms for things you can look at, you can examine, there's all these things. It knows they're so advanced that you, it is a lot more free form and it'll understand tons of things for what you want to do because you can focus on the intent of what the user wants to do instead of the exact words that they're going to type in. So I, I do one of my websites, I do have a couple of games like my Tales of the Traveling Swordsman won fourth place in the competition the year that it was in there. It's probably one of the favorites that I did, but it focused on the right things. It focused on the story and, um, you know, feeling like an adventure and actually having verbose text that explained the world and was well-written. I think it was well-written. I guess the people agreed with me too. It won, <laughs> I think it won best story that year too. In the, I, I'm guessing your spelling improved over time as well. Yeah. Plus the, plus <laughs> with word processors, it helps because, you know, they'll, <laughs> they'll tell you if something is wrong. Um, so yeah, in addition to my, uh spelling getting better it's, 
it, it was so bad back then but um yeah, yeah. If you if you have a link to uh, some of the, your uh, winning adventure games, there, if you want to grab it during the interview, and just we can pop it into the chat. Yeah, uh, I, people I, can go head out there. Um, now, during the pre-call, when we were kind of just chatting a little bit to uh, get familiar with each other for the interview here, you'd mentioned that you did later on start using the uh, I think it was a C Basic three compiler from Circomp. I, I think that was it. There were a couple of them, and I think it was C Basic three that I used, and I I. And again, once I started using that, I never released another game in straight basic at all. Um, my stuff was written in basic, but with C basic three, I was able to compile it. It would run faster. The programs could be slightly bigger because it would, you know, it's compiling into ML and it's going to be, I, I don't know how it worked. It was tokenized or something. It, it it ended up to where my programs that wouldn't run as basic, I could squeeze just a little bit more in when I compiled it. Um, so I was going to ask you, like, how well did that work for you? What kind of speed ups did you see and how easy was it for you? Like it was a big learning curve or was it just basically take your no old code way. and just run it straight through? Yeah, I, if I remember right, you would put the CBASIC3 disk in and you would run a command. And then I only had one disk drive. So I remember I had to like swap disks and then it would read the file, compile it or something. And then it would tell me, put in the destination. I, it, it wasn't a learning curve because you didn't have to do anything special to program for it. It would literally just take your basic programs and compile it to machine language. And then it would spit out something that says, um, you know, here's the beginning and ending memory range to save it or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Because um, I do know some people like in our uh, Discord have been, you know, fiddling with some of the basic compilers and there's multiple ones of the Cocoa 1, 2 and the 3 for that matter. Um, yeah. And they were having some issues, like there's certain syntax changes, certain restrictions on certain commands. If there was, I don't do. remember. I don't remember having to adjust my programming at all for that. I just, it seemed, okay. but I totally could be wrong. There may have been a couple of things like, well, you can't do this. You can't, um, th there might've been a few things like that, but it wasn't like a huge, it's not like I had to completely relearn how to program to use it. If I remember right, it was just. It just uh, my memory of it is it was just plug and play. I just run the compiler and tell it what I wanted to compile, and it would spit out the the the, the bin file, and that was it. Okay. Now this game, the entity, which is the one I actually have on my site now. Oh um, yeah. That is, I I feel bad. I'll show this one just because the the pictures are a little bit more zoomed up here. But this uh -huh. is this is one that struck me as one of the oddest, uh, most original. <laughs> game concepts for an adventure game which is basically is it's got a lot of graphics enhancements so it's basically a text adventure game but mm -hmm. if you want to explain the premise of it because it's it's very unique i've never even thought of anything like this before yeah you you're an alien and you put me on the spot because i don't remember exactly i think you're an alien that takes over the bodies of other people so you could jump into any npc that you find and then you have to use them to maybe open a door or um perform some action and then you could jump into somebody else because you're basically just an entity that came to earth um i think that's the the gist of it I, the problem with this though is i think there's a time limit and there's no saving so if you if you get game over you start you die, you die. yeah <laughs> it's not it's just not very user friendly if i remember right and it and it still suffered from the same problems as the other so it looks better it's got the little interface around it which now like you said earlier if you overclock and you make this run super fast it's probably fine as is it was too slow because you you're seeing letters like a typewriter going but it, it suffered from the same things of you have to read my mind to play this you have to know that 
that you were supposed to type this exact command in order to make something happen. So it's very, very difficult to play. Yeah, because the whole disembodied alien life form taking over, I mean, you can kind of, you know, some science fiction movies are kind of based that, but you also had this goal to perform 10 good deeds while taking over the bodies of people, which, you know, probably oh, is yeah, not a yeah, good yeah. deed. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. I don't even remember what the good deeds are, and I bet I don't have the map. See, that's the thing. Some of these games I wish I still had those maps for because I could probably write a walkthrough or, or you know, kind of back parse what my logic would have been at the time, but I don't have the map for it anymore. Yeah, I just thought like that's such an original concept, and it's. I, I had original. That's the thing. I had original concepts. My my failure was just bringing them to life. But yeah, I it it it. I, now that you say that, yeah, I guess it was. <clears throat> I mean, the, the 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 disembodied entity taking over bodies is one thing, but having to do the ten good deeds. I mean, that was something that was fairly rare. I mean, yeah. I think Ultima Four Quest of the Avatar, you had to be a good guy too, and yeah. there's some other games where you kind of have to favor being good, not just shoot kill everything that happens. Yeah. Um, so I was just wondering, like, where where did the, those two concepts come from? This game, do you remember? Like, did you just I wish were I were you inspired by a movie or a book or something? Or I probably was. I read a lot back then, so it's very possible that I read something in a book, maybe saw something in a movie. Um, I don't, I don't know. I wish I did. I don't remember. <laughs> now the bad news: this game stinks. <laughs> yeah, I thought that. <clears throat> I thought that was a rather interesting way to review your own game. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm my own worst critic at this point because I've, you know, I've been, I never stopped. Pro I'm a programmer now, and you know, after after doing this for 40 years or however long it's been, it's like I can look back at this and I'm, I'm like, man, I just God, this was bad. Um, <laughs> Because just for our audio listeners, I want to read your exact quote from your own page okay. here. I'm talking about the end. He says, now the bad news, the games, this game stinks. There may be some jewel of a story lurking under the bad design, maybe a clever puzzle or two, but it's virtually unplayable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's, if that doesn't sell you on it, then nothing will. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it keeps them from complaining about they didn't, that they lost their money. <laughs> they were told up front. And the, the funny thing is I, I tried to sell this because at some point after TND, after sportswear, so maybe I did this one in college. I don't remember exactly, but we had the idea that we were actually just going to sell our own stuff. We were going to be our own publisher. And this may be like the first and only game that we tried to do that with. So we were going to print our own manuals, distribute our own discs, do our own advertising, all that stuff. Um, do you remember if you did end up doing that or? I think we tried. I don't remember if we actually ended up running an ad or anything, but that was the idea. And I don't think anything ever come of it, but that was, that was what this was intended to be. So I'm really not sure how someone got a hold of it. I can't remember who sent this to me. Um, looks like 2009, somebody found a copy of the entity and send it to me. So it's possible. Let's see. It says it could be on a cocoa compilation. Do I have anything about that? Um, oh, I'm okay. So maybe I did sell it to TND. Oh no, time it. That's something else. Okay, I'm reading it wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Someone ended up having a copy of this game, though. Maybe we did. Maybe we ended up selling a few. Maybe we did end up advertising for it. Um, I don't remember. I'm just taking a look. I've got a copy of the full index to Rainbow, and I just found out there's a review of the entity on it, which I was not aware of. Oh, so I'm going to bring be, that up. That that may be it. That may have been our idea to like circumvent. Um, happened to advertise is that we would send out review copies. Review yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and you wouldn't be the only people that did that, especially in the later life of Rainbow, because their ad ads were quite expensive to get. And of course, yeah. the market was shrinking. So 
No, we didn't review it ourselves. I think we sent it and someone at Rainbow reviewed it. I don't remember. You say you have a copy with the review or you saw a. a I, I just found the, uh, the, what issue it's in. I'm just going to try to load it up here while we're, where we're talking here to see if I can actually. Cause I, I wonder, I wonder how well it was received because if they said anything good about it, I, I wouldn't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's it, it's a yeah. December nineteen ninety rainbow was the review of it uh, on page seventy six. I'm just waiting for that to load here. Okay, I'll have to for that. I bet I don't have a. I've only got like one. I only have like one or two rainbow magazines still. Um, I think, like I said, my brother probably got rid of the rest of them. Source code's no longer available. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bioware Enterprises care of Candy Stinson. So does that yeah. name ring a bell? Yeah, Candy was, uh, she was like three years younger than me. So when I was a senior, she was like a sophomore or freshman or something. And she was real interested in in this. So she was part of, she was part of the company. Bioware Enterprises was basically me and my friend, Frank Black. We called it Bioware because there were two of us. So it was like one or two. And I kind of regret it because like the word buy kind of taken on a different connotation nowadays yeah i don't think it did yeah. so much back then but yeah but not back then so it was bioware was the two of us and then candy was involved we had a guy named lee cooksey that was involved candy was involved because she was cute <laughs> i liked her <laughs> and um, did you meet her through that dating app you wrote or <laughs> no she was she was just um she was just someone that went to the same high school and um it was it was it was cool because she would do the outreach and send out um send out the review copies check up on how advertising worked and all that stuff she's kind of like the you know the administrative part of the business so that i could just focus on the programming and everything and i don't know what frame did frame come from a family that had money i think so he would buy you know a printer he would get like um the coco a, a new he i may have actually borrowed his coco 3 before i even got one of my own if I remember right. Um, so he was sort of like ideas and um, I, just kind of a, a yeah, <laughs> a jack of all trades, but he didn't do any programming or anything. Yeah, because you actually weren't a screenshot on Rainbow, which I guess was a bit more common in the later days, but uh, quite a few reviews, they didn't get screenshots. So let's see what they're saying here. Um. Yeah, they're what? mentioning irritation quite a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> irritation became frustration, and I assume I was tapping the cocoa keys with a bit more insistence. <laughs> oh man, I just i I feel so bad that anyone actually had to review this. The entity, the entity is a new action adventure game. It's more of just an adventure game. They'll make you miss the simple days of the earlier computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say it's a glowing review. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, that may be how we ended up selling some. Does it say something? Oh yeah, it does. It has the address. By we enterprises, Kirkensian. So that must be how we ended up selling a couple of them was just from the review because I don't think we had the money to advertise. So cool. How yeah. bad can it really be? Eh? And they do have some positive. Like there's one paragraph here that says the entity is a virtually bug-free program from Bioware Enterprises, and all the hours my children and I spent uh, muttering over this exasperating little gem, it did not crash. <laughs> Oh, good. That's good to know. I mean, it was hard to crash a basic program, though. I mean, even though it was, it was compiled, but you know, it it wasn't like pure machine language, so it would have probably been stable. 
Huh. Yeah, they, I think they mentioned your English here too. It says I also suggest the author consult the dictionary to correct the grammatical <laughs> spelling errors that exist. I'm not an enforcer of proper English etiquette, yeah, but mistakes so such as these can be very difficult to decipher. It's so, so important for when you're when you're writing a text adventure where the text is the point for it to not be written well. And that's like right. you, you have to figure out the noun verb, but you have to figure out the proper misspelling yes. of the noun verb. Yeah, good stuff. Now, I guess this brings up like you've you you did like well over 70 games um looking back on them now are any of the games you think worthwhile enough that if you had the time and inclination that you might want to go back and say fix the difficulty or fix the spelling etc just to oh, kind of clean it up yeah if i had the source code and ability to compile monster mash i would i would try to fix the controls for one thing because you can't it's almost impossible to play because it doesn't do diagonals. So if you try to jump, you have to actually be pointed straight up to jump. But then if you want to close a gap, as soon as you start jumping, you have to move, you have to move to the left to actually move because it didn't handle diagonals. So if I fix that, I, that may be all it takes to fix monster mash, honestly, because it's unplayable because of the, because of the controls. I think it's not unplayable. It's just, it's difficult to play because of the controls. So yeah, that one I would fix. Um, I think my Gnome Quest games would be cool. Maybe Gnome Quest 2, and I don't even remember 3, and I don't have it. But Gnome Quest 2 had the same sort of frustrating controls. Um, but other than that, I don't, I don't know. Um, none, I don't think any of them were very innovative or revolutionary. They were all derivative of something. Like I made my own version of uh, Tempest that was nowhere near what tempest was i made my own version of pac-man that was nowhere near as good as what a pac-man was so i think most of them wouldn't be worth going back to some of the text adventures they're probably i probably did have the idea for a cool story like the entity like the idea of doing 10 good deeds if it was a complete rewrite if i if i had my original maps my original concept for it and didn't try to fix what was there but just like completely redid it the way it should have been then i think it would be worth it but for the most part, no, there, there's not a whole lot there that that I wish I could just go and fix and and do because it's just, you know, the, none of them were as good as, as as other things that were even out at the same time. Yeah, I'm just showing here that T&D ad from that same issue of Rainbow because that's where most of your stuff was published. So Yeah, each tape contains, do they have something on here that says, hey, we will publish games? Yeah, I'm just trying to look for that. They got a call right for free cap. This is fairly late. This is like late 1990s. So, yeah, the interesting thing with TND too is that my first sale to them wasn't money. They offered me. I, I, sent, I think I sent them like six or eight games all at once on my first my first outing, and they offered me every cassette that they had published to that point. And I think might have been around issue 80 or somewhere in the 70s or 80s when I first started publishing with them. So I got all of them for free up to that point, which I thought was a good deal at the time. I don't remember what they cost individually or, or what they were selling the whole thing, but it says down there, all 50, all 53 for 145. Yeah. And that's a little uh, compilations too. That's not the original. That's oh, like, uh, if you want. Okay. So free yeah, research. Nice. Yeah. So I did, I ended up with every single cassette that they had done up to the point that I started doing it at the time. And yeah, here's the prices for the regular ones. It looks like um, six dollars each. Five, six, six or, more, or a little bit cheaper if you. Yeah, so if there were eighty at five dollars each, what is that like? 
400. I can't do math. I think it's 400. I just want to see if Sportswear is in this issue. No, it might have been one of the months they didn't advertise. Because I think they only advertise like once every two months or something. Right. Yeah, I do know that they had Gnome Quest. Maybe Eldis and Gnome Quest, because I think those were the two that they published. They might have did Eldis, Gnome Quest 1, and Gnome Quest 2, if I remember right. Yeah, Firespire or something was called? Yeah, that was the second one, Firespire. It was cool. I, I had these like I had these grand ideas. Like you're going on this big adventure. It's you know, it's just doing them in basic. You, there's it's so limiting and screen transitions, you know, you would move from one screen to another and it takes several seconds. So it's not like a smooth scrolling transition or anything. It just they yeah. just never quite were up to oh cool. I can see a lot of my games there. Dream Tunnel, that was one of mine. That's issue. I can't see very well. 92. I can zoom it up a bit here to say. Yeah, issue 92, April, that one in the top middle. Tyler 2 and Blaster, those were mine. Um, yeah, I, when I started publishing with them, there was rarely a month that went by that there wasn't at least one of my games on. There were some, but for the most part, at least one, maybe more of my games. Issue 84, Mount Death and Terron, those were both mine. Um journey up that was mine submania was mine yeah it was so cool you know even even though there wasn't a whole lot of money in it it was just real satisfying to to see something that i did listed for sale just to have my games listed and knowing that people were going to play them and at the time i assumed people were enjoying them i have no idea if they really did or not but that brings up my next question like did they tnd ever get feedback on any of your games that they forwarded to you so that you were at least aware of you know no i really like this or that you should fix this or anything like that no i i i don't even know if they did get feedback on it but um if they did it never made it to me so i just had to go on faith that that i'd put out something good and that, that people were enjoying it um, yeah, and you must, I mean, you must feel at least somewhat comfortable because, I mean, you they did reject games that you wrote. So obviously they, they wanted they, them up they at a certain standard. Yeah, they rejected point, yeah. the very first one I submitted because it was just so bad. They actually rejected, I um, can't remember which one, it may have, might, might have been Gnome Quest 3 or or um, maybe Police Cadet 5 originally. Because I, I think I had a bug in one of them that started you out in the wrong room. So you couldn't actually even finish it. You couldn't you couldn't play it because you started out in the wrong. And I had done that. You know, as I'm testing things, a lot of times I'll put something at the bottom that says start the player in room 15 instead of room one or start them, you know, with the, the key they need for the end of the game or something. So uh, sometimes I would be in such a hurry to crank these things out and get them submitted that I let submitted them. the test version instead of the actual. Yeah. Yeah, so game. they did reject a couple, but for the most part, they hardly rejected anything. I would send it. They didn't ask for any revisions. They didn't say, hey, can you fix this? Can you change this? Um, I don't even know how deep they got into it. I, my suspicion after the fact was they probably spent maybe 10 minutes just to make sure, hey, you know, it, it seems to do what it's supposed to. But I would be very surprised if they actually played through, beat the games, uh, check to see if anything happened later. Well, left. especially with the difficulty level you mentioned that most of these had. Yeah, so. yeah I really right, don't right. think they would have had the time to do that. I think they just trusted that I was, that I knew what I was doing, whether they should have or not. <laughs> but, well, they're giving you two out of 10 on some of these uh, issues. So they had some confidence in your ability. Yeah. 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 Well, either that or they just didn't have enough submissions to pass. <laughs> that's a possibility as well. Yeah, that's a possibility as well. 
But TND, I mean, out of all the tape magazines we had, because we had TRC, we had Chromoset, which was the first one that actually came out the uh, the same exact same time. Their first series was the same as the first of Rainbow. So mm-hmm. we're talking like back in July of 81. Um, and of course, the magazine started doing their own versions for Hot Cocoa, Color Computer Magazine, and, and Rainbow itself, Rainbow and Discs type things. But TND lasted for years and, and far longer than anybody else did. So you I helped just, keep them going. I see a game on there. Oh, Rodoc. That's why. There's one that says Rodol Adventure. Is that Rodol? It's on issue 71 on the left. Or is it Rodol? Rodol. Oh, Rodol. R-O-D-O-L is what they've got there. Okay. Because I have one called Rodoc. So I'm wondering if they either had a typo there or if that's not, or if that wasn't mine. Your, your spelling inspired them. Yeah. Right. Like, well, if he's going to spell it wrong, if he's making up words, we're going to spell it. Yeah, we can too. <laughs> we'll make up titles then. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to tell because yeah, it would have been around somewhere in the seventies that I started selling to them. So let's see, Maze, Phaser, Maze Two. Oh, is it up some more? Yeah, uh, see, maybe Rodol was something else. Yeah, I don't know. Police Cadet Number Three, that was mine. So yeah, so I had gone by then. You were there. I tell you, I looked yeah, for these for those ones in black, the ones they got from. Uh, comics comics yeah those because th- that those were the real deal so it's like that's like that made the episode that made the issues oh, worth yeah. it was <laughs> those professional games um not the little hobby things that um yeah because other- you mentioned at first they were giving you cassettes at, yep. instead of payment uh, later on did they still give you the cassettes of the games or what I issues that you had been published in yeah i didn't have to i didn't have to pay for it so part of the agreement was that i would i would just have like a lifetime subscription i think was part of the Part of the and then plus a little bit of cash on top of that. Um, well, it just it was agreements made for each sale. So the first few I sold, they gave me the back issues. And then like the second one, they said, well, we'll give you a lifetime subscription. And then from at some point, it was like, okay, we'll pay you X number of dollars. For mm. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't me. It wasn't an agreement to where I would keep selling them, keep giving them games to have the subscription. That was just like one of the payments that I got for. That's not a bad deal because you basically ended up with the entire Tom Mix collection. Oh, I know. Yeah, it was a good deal for me. You know, and hundreds I was of dollars. Play. Like even if I wasn't, even if I wasn't making money off of it, I was just such a little nerd programming games. I was going to do it anyway. So <laughs> it was nice to be able to get them out there and and get, let them be seen. So okay. Um, before I go any further, just wondering any questions from the rest of the panel or the chat here on any of the Coco. Coco related games and, and programs and stuff that you did and, and your early history before we start getting into what are you doing nowadays? Um, so uh, obviously we were very prolific. Uh, have you remained that prolific since? Cause you no. mentioned you're still doing stuff for, you know, modern adventures. And I, I did, even that's been a while. Like I haven't, I haven't written a game in probably maybe not 10 years. It's been quite a while. Um, which is weird because after Coco, I started doing uh, some DOS games. I started doing online games, BBS games. And that was kind of how I saw myself. was like, I am a hobby game developer. That I'm an indie game developer before it was called that. You know, I was doing shareware and things like that. Um, but at some point, I got married. I got married in 2002. Had my first kid in 2005. Who's, like I said, she's in college now. And I just, I... I lost the time and motivation and I, I work, I work as a senior developer for a a company that does school food service now. So, well, we don't do full school food service. We do software for 
school food service. So the, you know, the lunch lines that serve kids and they, they ring up what they've got. It's a point of sale system. I do a, I, I, I almost single-handedly wrote, um, it's a site called easyschoolpay.com, which is for uh, parents to go on and pay their kids lunch account. And you're not responsible for the menu, are you? Uh, I'm not, I have nothing to do with <laughs> <laughs> just the software. Like I'm, I'm responsible for the, the software that evaluates it that says, Hey, this, this has enough fruit and vegetables to qualify as a reimbursable meal. You know, that's the type of, of software that I do now, but I started having more demands at work, um, you know, working a full-time job and, and having, you know, a salary, having a family, having a family. And that's the big thing too, is like well, with my kids and, um, cause I, I had ruined relationships by, by spending too much time working on games. So like I, I would get so wrapped up in something I was working on a game and it's like, like I, I had been engaged once before I got married and, and that didn't work out because I just, I wasn't available. I was like mentally checked out, always doing games. So I, I corrected that when, you know, I got married, had my kids and I just stopped doing it. And at some point I, you know, I missed it for a while. And at some point I stopped missing it and just kind of ended up. This is my life now type thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is my life now. And I still kind of do. I miss doing BBS games in particular in my online games. Um, you guys probably never heard of it. I wrote a game called Lunatics. It's L-U-N-A-T-I-X. And this it was dad is something truly beautiful with his three children. Oh, I'm so sorry. A construction worker building house. Oh, sorry. Sorry. It's Australian. Kill it. Hang on. Now I pressed the wrong button. I pressed the wrong bloody button. Sorry about that. He's sitting in one of his Ferraris he got, (laughs) and he hasn't written as many games as you. What have you done with all your your (laughs) money? I clicked on something and it started playing the bloody thing. (laughs) Sorry. Um, but yeah, I, As just, you were. I just haven't, <laughs> I haven't written any games in forever. And now it's like, I think my, I, because I play so many games and I see what's out there and I can see what small indie teams do now, you know, they can, um, mm-hmm. you know, a one or two man team can make like very incredible indie games if they spend enough time. And the people that make Cuphead, very, very cool game. It was only like, four, like four people, I think, if I remember right, it's like a very mm-hmm. small team. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I mean, modern uh, gaming development now takes entire teams. It's like making a movie, literally. Yes. Like you have dozens oh, of staff and artwork and musicians. Yeah. And all composers. Yeah, like I'm I'm playing. In fact, it won Game of the Year this year, but it's a game called Baldur's Gate Three. It's based on D and D. Very cool. I technically, I think they're like an indie studio. It's a, a studio called Larian, but they're huge. You know, they have a lot of people working for them, lots of voice actors. Um, so. Even the indie games, it's it's hard to get people interested. So like one person making a game, you can do it. I, there's a guy named Toby Vox. He made a game called um, Undertale. Very popular. But you look at it, it's like, oh, this is like all, you know, it's just raster, just simple art and stuff. But yeah. there's so much, there's so much that's cool about it. And it's not like anything else out there. One person can do it. It's It's just very, very rare. So I'm to the point where, if I was going to make games, I would want it to mean something more than me just, ah, oh, this is just something I'm taking up time to do. So I would want to make the games. I would want to be able to sell them, market them, you know, put them on PlayStation and Xbox. Um, I might have to like learn Unity or something, but I haven't done that. I haven't learned Unity. I haven't learned, um, you know, modern tools for making games. 
because I just well, brings to my next question. Because I mean, especially thanks to COVID, I think in, in some part, but basically retro has been storming back. I mean, all the yeah. trade shows are getting bigger and bigger now instead of shrinking like they were ten years ago. Yeah, and we're getting people like Nick and others that are selling games, and this is happening on the Amiga and the Commodore and everybody else too, where they can, you know, make a fair bit of money. Not probably a career, except for maybe some you know very big exceptions. But enough to make it worth your while to do it. Like you probably make more writing a retro game for the Coco now than you would have with T and D. Oh wow, <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, I didn't even know that. It's just to get back in that mindset and be able to do it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that to make something that's actually competent, I would have to learn skills I don't have, like actually being able to do the machine language games. Unless there's unless there's tools that there are some. Uh, UG Basic is one that kind of does a compile basically yeah. cross platform. Uh, compiling system and it compiles so, for the cocoa but it makes machine language out of okay stuff that you're doing on a modern pc you write yeah, it on the pc side be language i don't know is like is c plus plus something that you can compile to coco now is it even i don't know about c plus c for sure c, um, yeah, c okay. but not both they have a couple now, here's, here's my question to you um after working on computers all day do you really want to work on them That's all night that's um, that's where I got to is because, because I, was, I was I was doing it all day. And then and at first I did when I first started programming professionally, right. I, I did. I would do it all day. And then I still had that motivation to go home and do it at night. But I don't anymore. It's like once I get off work, I want to I want to, you know, I'm going to visit my kids, whatever. I'm, and then I'm going right. to lay in bed and play PlayStation. That's what I'm going to well, do. Well, then beware when retirement hits. You'll be right back. So <laughs> yeah. your stuff around. You know, it's a I hobby now. <laughs> I'm 52 now. I need I need what like 15 more years. And well, then... no, another 10 years. You're going to start thinking about all that all that yeah. retro stuff. With the well, after parts. you leave this show, uh, and if we change your life, we're we're sorry right now. <laughs> it will, I tell you, I would not get your hopes up that I that I like make a, a magical return and start. Don't and start. don't count against it, buddy. Yeah. Well, you just I, I will mention your, okay, your, your joystick laying there over there, you know. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> maybe it's yeah, you're gonna get uh, get the buggy computer again. creep back to your. Uh, I think I would have a whole lot to learn if I was going to try to do that now, and my standards are so much higher because if I. I could not put out anything like what I did before. I would just be too embarrassed. Like I would need to do something that that I would. Yeah, it's really to too bad out. you don't have a source code anymore that your brother kind of you know. I know made it go missing because at least you could revisit and fix them up. Fun, you know, well, the basic ones I could like some yeah. of some of the Coco two stuff and even maybe uh, some of the early, early Coco three. Yeah, yeah I, the source is there because it's all just a dot base file, but I would have to. I would have to remember how to do it. And I'm sure it was all spaghetti code because I didn't know, you know, that we didn't have object-oriented programming. Then the Cocoa Basic wasn't even built for that. It's It would be no. probably impossible for me to even figure out what it was even doing at this point. Maybe not impossible, but I would, it would take a lot of time. But it would be neat. Um, at one point, what I thought, is once I found out about emulators, I was like, well, I can export this. I can export this as a text file. I can bring it into Quick Basic, and then I can compile it as DOS. And it was there were enough differences that it it wouldn't have been just a port. You know, I couldn't just taken the code. Yeah. I probably had to, would have had to make a lot of changes to it. You you could probably do it to GWiz, basically like the original IBM PC basic that came with you know the 8088s and stuff because that's that, what yeah that was that a was a descendant of, of extended basic on the Cocoa. Yeah, so I stopped using that pretty early and started and moved over to quick basic and that yeah, was because it compiled and yeah yeah but you're right it would be neat to try to do that fix some problems and say well here's like the 
the director's cut of this game or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I was going to mention, like, of the games that are for sale, they're not all machine language even now. Um, oh, really? uh, Bruce, Bruce Moore did um, sort of a semi-graphics adventure game, um, which he's done full TV Forest commercial type things in for it. Sorry? Forest of Doom. Yes, Forest of Doom. And he's actually working on a sequel right now. Um, but there's a few others that have come out recently, too, that have been in basic. So that's not necessarily a, a detriment. Um, there's a there's a lot now that 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 I could apply to something like that, because I wouldn't I, I wouldn't need to make it hard for the sake of being hard. It wouldn't even have to be like all twitchy. You know, it could be, you know, a combination of graphics and text and um Things that like incorporate dice rolls and D&D rules and, and roguelike elements, I think, have a lot of replayability and could really could could really make a mark. Um, because anytime I started doing, you know, the arcade games and stuff, it's just so hard and basic to make things. Yeah. You, you can't run you past can't stuff. Do it. Yeah, you can't do you can't have 10 different things on the screen moving all at once and have it have it run at any kind of realistic speed unless you're you know emulating and overclocking or whatever. But nothing that would run on real hardware and be played. Yeah. Though I will mention, we also have an upgrade now uh, that's actually hopefully just coming back online because uh, the guy who, who made them uh, had to stop because of the COVID and you know, a lot of chips and stuff disappeared for a long time. But there's an upgrade for the Cocoa 3 to run at 2.86 megahertz. So you can actually get an extra crank what of speed there too. What does it typically run at when it's the, the high 1. speed? 1.78 is the regular Cocoa 3 speed with the double speed poke enabled. And then the original Cocoa's are 0.895. So it's about three times faster than a regular Cocoa. Yeah. It's just, it's just, unfathomable how slow that is compared to in modern to, day yeah compared to what computers do mind you we wrote not quite as bloated code back then either so no yeah but there's so much like if i was going to do something i think there are a lot of i, I know a lot more now than i do than well, especially I do. game design i think that's the one yeah. thing where you've you admitted that you had a lot of flaws back then because you were just cranking them out but now you could design yeah. something that would be much more fun to play for an average yeah. player even my text adventures see i had never played the infocom game so i i was basically my stuff was a copy of a copy so i i played other people's amateur text adventures as my reference point when i was doing my text adventures so it was like a you know a blurry photocopy of a photocopy um but there's so much more I could apply to it. I just, I don't know. Realistically, I'm, I, I don't mean, know the drive for it at this point. I just don't like, I, I don't know. I, I have, I have the drive to do something sometimes, but then it always gets zapped out of me because I'm thinking, well, I could work on something. I could learn something, but I would be more interested in learning unity or um, like, like modern or something. Yeah. Something that I could actually get ported up to a PlayStation or Xbox or switch or something that, that I could get on those marketplaces. And, well, and, well, think of this, Mike. You could actually have a spot here on our show. No, and I know. As you, as you make the game weekly, you can show us how you've been doing, and <laughs> and it's gonna, and you won't be alone. You won't be sitting at night wondering, you know, um, I wonder if they would like yeah, this. Yeah. I'll give yeah, well, like one 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 uh, development system even back in the day from Sundog was called Graph Express, and there's uh, Jim Mullis has been experimenting. He's been working on a game with that, but that was basically a whole bunch of graphic and and music and sound enhancements, etc. That okay. was all machine language optimized code, but you called it just using strings, so you'd pass it a by a path of commands, and you can do sprites, overlay windows, all kinds of stuff. And I don't know if you ever saw that back in the day, but that might be you know up and be above and beyond the C Basic three compiler, and then you could actually write, you know, it actually has real sprite oh. commands, etc. Yeah, that would be cool. I I don't know. I mean, it is kind of putting a buggy in me, but I, I 
I mean, yeah. a- after the interview and I go back to finishing Baldur's Gate 3 and then I take my kids to supper or whatever. So yeah, I- they'll be burned right out of you by then. Eh? And then, yeah, you have to do the, the cost averaging on broccoli <laughs> and uh, Iowa. And yeah, but yeah, I just I. I do kind of I, I do kind of miss it. And I think that I could come up with something that's way better and way more playable than what I did before. It would just I know that it would take time because I, what I said earlier in the interview, I was cranking games out in a week because I just I, yeah. at the time I knew it well enough that I could do what I wanted to do quickly, even though, you know, they, regardless of whether or not they were too hard or couldn't be played very well, I was quick at doing it. Now I would have to, like, learn a lot of stuff. It would take me a lot longer because I it's it's not like I would just crank something out in a week. It's like I would obsess and I it it's need, needs to be perfect. It needs to play well. It needs to, you know, be something I would be proud of. And um, and I think that'd be good because who wants crap? You know, it's like it's <laughs> yeah. not great. You want you want good games. You want things that had a lot of thought put into it. I just don't know if I'm that guy. How long have you known um, about our show or about the show before us, uh, Coco? You know. For the three weeks ago when Curtis emailed me. Oh, gee. <laughs> he is an instigator, is he not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm no, I didn't, I didn't know. I knew that, I think I knew that there was some Coco stuff still out there, but I didn't know that there were, and I, I guess the, the the Glencoe or Glendale, whatever the. Glenside? Glenside, yeah, I, I get that newsletter, but I never paid it much mind, I guess. And I know that there was like a, a convention every year i never really paid that much mind so i knew something was out there but not that there was like a you know a over 300 episode video podcast i didn't know that there were you know tech talks on these things i had no idea so yeah and of course coco fest is still going so our next one's the beginning of may it would be great if you can pop by just to visit you don't have to like develop anything or anything about but kind of cool to just meet you in person cool. and yeah, show you what's going on these one. days I will have to, I hope to give that some thought. I, I got time to plan. So we'll see. Okay. Um, Alan Murphy uh, in the chat here says, are you proud of the original games you sold to TND? And it sounds like you kind of are for concept, but maybe not the execution. Yeah. I, at the time I was really proud of it. I felt I, there was a lot of pride in doing something that, you know, you were making money from and that people were seeing and, potentially enjoying looking back on it it's like i'm not proud of what the actual games were necessarily because a a lot of it are they're so crude and unplayable and just not but but yeah i think i think it was a different time and place though it's like there weren't there weren't a lot of people that could do that you know that could actually write a complete game even if it wasn't the greatest game in the world it's like that was well, especially at the breakneck pace of development, you were doing like yeah. one game every couple of weeks. That's that's yeah, very yeah. rare. So I, I I do have some pride in it, and and if nothing else, it really got me going down the path to the career I'm on now. So I yeah, I think a lot of us can say that the the Coco yeah. was the career path starter for most of us. It was, actually, it definitely was, and and that's how I got good at what I do now was because I always I was always working on games. I was always programming stuff after hours, like when I wasn't working, like even before I started programming, fresh out of college, I was working like fast. Well maybe during college I was working fast food and McDonald's and stuff like that. So it, it kept me going and 
it led to the career I've got now. And because I did it so much, I think that's how I got to be a good programmer because I just kept at it. I just kept doing it and I did stuff on my own. It wasn't just a nine to five job. It was, it was this extra stuff I'd done. So the games that I wrote back then, I'm, I'm proud that I did it. And I, you know, I, I, it was, it was a very cool experience. Just the, the games themselves, I'm a little disappointed in looking back on because they weren't as good as I wish they hadn't been. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, doing... Just looking at some of the screenshots you've got here, like I would say your graphics design was good. Um, concepts were good. It's just, yeah. you know, like you said, the execution and then partly because yeah. you were cranking them out so fast. Anyway, sorry, go ahead, Rick. You were saying something too. I was just going to. You I got muted. On again, but my yeah, microphone doesn't want to turn on. I was just going to say you were doing it. Other people weren't. That's yeah. the important thing. You got product yeah. out. Might not have been the best product, but you made it. Where it was a famous Steve Jobs going, quote, real artist ship or winners, something like that. Winner's ship. Uh, yeah. Winner's ship. Winner's ship. Exactly. Well, I certainly did that. <laughs> you shipped a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last question I have, and then we'll let the, the panel in the chat. So panel and chat get, get some more questions ready here. Looking back in all the games you did, the over 70 plus, whether it's from Sportswear, from your own company, from T&D, uh, what are the Coca 1 and 2 and what are the Coca 3 ones that you are the proudest of? And it can be more than one of each. And it can be just for design. It doesn't have to be like it was perfectly executed. But what are the ones that you're the most proudest of creating? Um, There's one on this disc one of mine called Monsters. It's a Monsters and Magic, a unique graphic RPG, which was kind of neat. There was like a map. And I don't know if I... I don't even know if I could like share my screen and show it or if I just talk about it. it might be the easiest. Yeah, go ahead and share it if you want. Let me see. So it's disc one. Let me share my screen. Uh, I got three monitors, so I'm trying to figure out what's what. <laughs> I'm like, I only got two. I guess the, my middle monitor is the actual laptop. So I'm going to share screen. I want to do this one. See if it works. All right. Uh, Can't we see uh, M Opus Runners Coco? Oh, yeah. Throw this one up. That is not how it's spelled. Okay. So let me see if I can load this one up. I don't remember if this one uses you a... You have Paint Shop Pro 6? Yeah. So do a... I. Yeah. <laughs> I got that simple. a long time ago. And it I works never... great, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I, 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 I've learned runs. pretty much everything it can do. So run... Uh, it's called Monsters. I think this one ended up being really, really cool. Is oh, Coco one and two game yet? Okay, I forget the hot key to swap artifacting. I guess it doesn't really matter. I don't. Have you can do it inside of VCC to um, was it F one reset? I think if you is like a you virtual reset and hit F nine or something. It's like F. Yeah, F one and. Hold down the F1 key and then hit F5, I think. F1 and F5? I remember myself here. It doesn't matter. For the purpose of this, oh, now I've yeah. got stuff going Oh, this is cool. Okay, well. Scott no, Cooper has a question. Let's do this. Uh, I may have just broke it. Fail. Uh, well, I'll, since it keeps asking you to press F9, press F9. Oh, is it saying F9? F9 is a call okay. reset. All right. Well, we'll do this. I wonder if I can do full screen without messing up my screen sharing. Uh, it moved it. 
Oh, we're seeing it full screen though. I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we're then good. I need to do ten. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we won't worry over the colors. The blue and red. Yeah, I'm not worried about but... it. Blue versus red is not gonna matter. Okay. So you get this Monsters and Magic, 1988 by TNB, written by me. Need instructions. Uh, nah, we don't need those stinking instructions. You're right. We didn't, and it's going to take forever. Spacebar location status as physical status. Anyway, it's kind of a little RPG. Quick game. Spacebar. Location in the magic land. Uh, I bet I need a joystick. What do I have hooked up as my joystick? I bet I don't. All right, well, this is not going to be fun, but you can kind of see what it is. <laughs> There's a there's a map. You would go to those red circles, and there'd be like an event that would happen, and it would pop up and and say you meet a orc or something. I don't remember exactly, but I, I'm kind of what's interesting about this is that you know it didn't rely on twitchy reflexes, but it wasn't a typical text adventure where you had to like guess my commands or anything either. Here, I'm going to see if I can get my joystick. Because we don't have any reflexes anymore. Yeah. Well, I still do. I, I, I game a lot, so I, I... Yeah, you're younger, oh, though. My... Oh, I better... Use the mouse. Huh. I exited because it doesn't recognize my joystick. Sorry. This is very... This is great content, I know. <laughs> Jeez, you haven't watched a regular show, have you? <laughs> That's what we're up to. All right. And I'm not going to do instructions this time. Okay, we don't care. Let's go back into full screen mode. Oh, it's just painfully slow. You want to kick it in a Koga 3 double speed? Oh, I you're running VCC. should have. I could have even overclocked it while I was in there. Let's do that. If, Let's do... if I eat, I think. Oh, would that do it? I always just come Maybe in here. <laughs> yeah. There's no. Okay. The instructions, no. Well, that wasn't enough, was it? Let's do. I don't think it took hold. I think you have to click OK first or something. Or oh, apply. Maybe. Yeah, that's better. There you go. All the way up. Okay. So let me see if I'm. Nope. Now we're blinking. Figure eight. Well, okay. Well, anyway, I guess long story short, this is this is one that I think kind of holds up just because it just because of what I said. It's not, you don't have to be fast. The controls are simple because you're just moving a little square around and there's like little events that happen. And um, why is it not working? Because you're on a oh, live demo. It it's keyboard. It's keyboard. You go down, 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 down. Okay. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So then I, simple. It's not working because you're on a live demo. Exactly. Of course. <laughs> oh, and then, okay. I'm supposed to do space to see what's here. Location, entrance to a dungeon. Enter it? Of course I will. Uh, there are two tunnels. I want to enter the second one. You're in a wide passage. In this room, you see nothing interesting. Which I'm going to go to one. Walking down a narrow dust room, you see nothing. Oh, so it's a mixed mix of graphics and yeah. text. Yeah. And but you but you don't have to like enter commands. It's basically just a, a prompt that you get. Five pieces of gold, give you five gold. There are two tunnels. Or blah 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 blah. I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, but anyway, it's it's more playable because you don't have to like guess commands. You're just prompted for things, mm -hmm. and you get that map. So for Coco Coco one and two, I think that's probably one of the ones that I'm most proud of. Um, let me see if there's any. I'm on my other monitor looking at some stuff here. 
Um, for Coco 3, it's definitely Monster Mash. I'm going to show that one. And okay, that... while you're loading that up, we got a question from Scott Cooper in the chat here. I think that's what Mark was trying to say, but he kind of silent on us a bit there. Uh-huh. Uh, what programming languages do you use today? Um, I actively I use uh, C Sharp. We our products in ASP.NET uh, web forms, so I use C Sharp. But over the years, I've used Visual Fox Pro. I've used Perl and PHP. I've used Visual Basic. Um, I've used this thing called Progress. I've done some in uh, Delphi. Very little. I knew Java for a little while. Um, a lot of javascript stuff uh we have products in angular and react both of those are javascript based anyway so um, just a little bit of everything but day-to-day -day it's asp.net um c sharp is like my that's that's what i use day-to-day -day and that's what i'm most familiar with at this point okay and it's fun i like doing it okay so here we go load them and then screen so here's monster mash oh shoot i forgot to set my joystick i have these batch files set up that copies an existing ini file that already loads the right disk and everything and then it plays the phantom of the opera for some weird reason And that was the bad thing about a lot of my games is that I made these title screens that are unskippable. <laughs> this one's not too egregious. It's 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 not horrible. But some of them are like a minute long little songs that you can't skip. And sometimes, like especially some of my earlier games, I think that when you died, it would replay the whole thing again. Okay. <laughs> it was, yeah, that's an experience thing, I think. It's yes. I just didn't know what I was doing. So that's another thing is just so many things like that that I know better now. Like you you, you don't do that. It's, it either needs to be skippable or, you know, you make that an option. Maybe you have a credit screen or something. I have this set up for CMP. Uh, should have um, should have overclocked. Okay, so here's Monster Mash. So this is kind of a, this was one of the last games I made. I did make that Space Ace or Space Race, whatever, um, which I don't have. But I'll show this one. And it's inspired by Castlevania. So a lot of like the the ideas I got for the tile sets and the the way the stairs work. Uh no, I'm gonna die because I because it controls so horribly. All right. <laughs> he dies, he falls off the screen like Mario. Okay, let's see. Because you have to you have to aim straight up to jump, and then you gotta wait for it to completely re-render the screen. Okay, good. So he's gone. So in order to jump, you can't like jump while you're moving left like you would expect. Ah, I'm dead. But the good thing about this is you get a lot of lives. So a lot of my games, you only had one life. Like if I died, then I would, it would have been game over entirely. So at least I have a lot of lives. Come on. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. This is this is this is why no one should have trusted me with <laughs> making these. Okay. I do like the graphics, though. That's one thing I, I liked about a lot of your, especially Coco yeah, 3 games. You had I, some I really think, nice I think graphics. Turned out, yeah, I think they turned out really well. And, and you, and you got to remember that this is just all basic. This is stuff that I... Yeah, I, you were mentioning you weren't using any yeah, of the graphic editors available at the time. No, so it was all just handmade. And then I think this one has like a tile sheet. 
Okay, so good. You go up that way. So to jump, you have to aim straight up to jump and then immediately start moving left. I'm going to have to do that to go in the door. Um, you can shoot, but you have to aim down to shoot. But the reason is, is mainly because of the ambition of this game. It's like this is way more ambitious than a lot of my single room stuff. Okay, I give up. I can't do it. Um, <laughs> and there's one other one. The first one that I got um, published through Sportswear. So I'm going to show that real quick. Uh, and that one is uh, Eldest, and it is on disk 7, is it not? Okay, we will configure keyboard since I'm copying my an INI file. It's not remembering those. I'll do that. That. There. So this is kind of inspired by like the Legend of Zelda, like the original. It's got an overworld map. Um, I think it's some, I don't even think you can get a weapon in this game. The whole idea is that you just avoid the enemies, but it's so unfair. And this is another one that's got like a minute long, crazy, <laughs> skippable cutscene. But it's so unfair because the these little ghost wraith enemies move unpredictably. If I remember right, it's just random. So each one, if there's 15 of them on a screen, they only move one at a time. And that's how I kind of got away with having so many enemies is that it, they would only move one at a time. But they, it's random whether or not they're going to move up, down, left, or right. So you may need to get to a door, and they're surrounding the door, but it's just it's just totally unfair. You get several lives. You get, I'll show you. So here we go. It's loading. I don't know why it just loaded the sidebar. There we go. So just a little a, a little thing. Here's my guy. I have a sword, so I guess I can get a weapon at some point. Um. But it's 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 just a huge maze. There's like a cave down there I could go into. Um, I don't remember how to find the weapon. I, it, it looks like he actually has one because he's got a sword there, but he doesn't he doesn't do anything. Um, but I'm I'm proud of this one. This was the first one that was published through uh, Sportswear, and I it's probably one of the ones I spent the most amount of time on because there was a lot to do for you know coming up with all the maps. And here's why I talk about these enemies. It's like, I just have to wait until those guys move out of the way. Okay, you move. You move. Oh, you got me. All right. And he disappeared because there he goes. It's just, it's just frustrating, you know? It's just kind of, is this the one? No, it was, it was um, the entity that was reviewed on Rainbow. So anyway, it's just that basically. There's a whole bunch of cool little rooms and a maze and a big world to explore and stuff. There's keys and jewels. I don't even remember what it is. There's an instruction file for it that explains. But I'm proud of it because it's kind of it is kind of epic. It's a, it's a little adventure game that you can go on and um and I did spend. A lot so a lot of exploring, which is actually one of my favorite parts yeah. of these types of games, is that you you don't have like just ten screens and you're done type thing. Like there's exactly it's 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 not an arcade game necessarily. It's it's actually an adventure that you go on and um yeah it's kind of cool. And at some point I was able to beat this. Like when I first made it, I actually knew where uh, I'm going to die. But the bat oh actually you run through your hearts and then it only takes a life so it, it's fairly generous with how much you can get hit but it's a big game too so i don't remember how many screens there are but it would be very difficult to make it to the end and actually 
beat the game just because there's so much to it and you have no idea where to go or what to do or anything. It's, it doesn't hold your hand or, or tell you anything. There's probably some stuff in the instructions that do tell you it's a little buggy. Like when I first come down, if I'm not, if I'm not immediately in the middle of a, of a block, like a 16 by 16 or whatever that is, sometimes it doesn't let me move and you have to like back up and then do it. So it, it doesn't control the best either. It doesn't do diagonals like I would like, but anyway, that's kind of cool. I, I like that one. Um, so hopefully that answers the question about what I'm most proud of, of, of those. Yeah, cool. No, you definitely had a, a knack for the graphics there. Episodes. Yeah, I, I think it was it was fun. And 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 a lot of that I did get inspired by NES games and stuff that I would see in magazines. Um, yeah. Okay, so does anybody in the chat, uh, I haven't been able to monitor too closely there, Mark, if you've seen any other questions from the chat or any questions from the panel here? No, I think we're all good. The last one was uh, programming languages from Scott Cooper. So I think we got everything else. Okay. Anybody on the panel? Ken may have a question. Uh, uh, what, what's your time like, I guess, first of all, Mike here? I'm okay for now. I do need to go here in probably half an hour or so, but I'm good. Okay, because uh, you know, once Ken reveals the game, uh, which is yeah. going to be one of yours. <laughs> okay. After I'm all the glowing reviews of everything, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm kind of scared to, re to um, release the game now. <laughs> oh. oh, man. I, I just wanted to have Mike have an opportunity to comment on the game you picked, Ken, before he has to go. That's so okay. We'll just kind of... Oh, I, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be fine. Yeah. Are, are we almost... You want, we, can, we can jump in and do the uh, game... Quickly. Yeah, let's do the game on uh, challenge results and stuff here um, and go right into that so we can catch you before you have to go. Okay. Yeah, before we talk about everything else, I'll announce the game uh straight off right after the uh results video okay okay so we're ready for uh commercial break and then game on yep yeah push the button frank hey amy hey taylor we're watching the coco nation show yeah we are Woo! you should too It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wapke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, TJB Chris, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., and William Athing. 
Thank you so much, patrons! Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Morning Light Mountain says, Hello all. Carlos C. here. Decided to join since I'll be jumping back into the Coco world soon. I'm slowly organizing my huge retro collection and hopefully, that, can spur me on to opening the Coco store's web store. I started with a 16k Coco 1. Got my piggyback RAM upgrade by a friend and cherished every moment with my Coco. Cheers. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Yudao. We had a total of 13 players. We had Mark O with 4370, Ed Rhodes with 4640, Nerf Herder 6180, David Ladd 6240, Jim Rye 7620, Henry the Third. 11,510, Coconut Bob, 13,690, Tasman, 14,040, Shenley, 14,270, Sloopy Malibu, 15,160, L. Curtis Boyle, 17,000, Canadian Retro Things, 18,750, and this week's number one score belongs to Buck Owens with 37,820. Oh, wow. Thanks, everybody that played. We'll see you again next week. The Coco Nation salutes Buck Owens! Yeah! Woo hey. I got higher than uh, Tasman. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we're doing things in a little bit of a different order today. So um, because of our special guest this week, we are choosing one of his games to play. After all those glowing reviews that he gave us. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> then we'll talk about the games that we were playing earlier. So, look out, there's jump a cat straight into you. this. <laughs> what? A sneaky cat behind uh, you. Black cat behind you. He's sneaking in. I'm going to be attacked. Um, okay, let's see. Where is uh, there? You should be able to uh, recognize this one straight off because we were just talking about it. Ah. Oh. Oh, okay. So hit that bat the one, by the end of this. <laughs> it's the one with the horrible controls. Yes. It's actually not that bad. I played it a while last night, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, you just got to get used to the jumping straight up before you move to the side. And I've actually played quite a few games that have suffered from that same problem in the past. Yeah. So. 
Don't least, worry, it was know. a common thing among programmers <laughs> back then. <laughs> cool. Uh, so that What's is Monster again? Mash. So Monster Mash. And by the so way, Mike, feel that. free to participate in the Game On Challenge if you want to submit a score too. Okay. Feel free. So how how do how do I do that then? Do I just play it and take a screenshot and? Yeah. Uh, and are you on the Discord? I am not. I mean, you know what? To be honest, I've never even used Discord, and which is weird to say as as someone in the industry. But well, it's time to learn. Then you can get onto the Google <laughs> Discord. And... Did you ever use uh, IRC? Whoa, you're loud there, Soupy! Mm. Holy cow! Yeah, it's like IRC but with graphics. Okay. okay. Turn, turn down your mic, Sloopy. Oh, pull it out of your throat and put it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's wrong with my system. It goes back and forth. It, it yeah, it did. It's better. We're awake yeah. now. I, <laughs> I don't have too much of an advantage because I totally don't remember how to play it, and I find the controls frustrating. So it might okay, not well, be unfair. One of the things that um I did uh, it are the instructions anywhere? Because it does say refer to the instructions, but are uh, they not there. Uh, I don't know. It's they're not actually in the game. It says refer to the instructions in the book or something. Uh, <laughs> but I, I bet I have. I bet I have. I wouldn't worry too much about it because most of us don't read the instructions anyway. But, but how am I going to do the dramatic? I, think, I do. I think I have <sighs> the sportswear instructions for it. Hey, I'm going to like run and look, and I will be like right back in like five seconds. Uh -huh. Sure. Keep going, and I will see <laughs> if I have them. Because if so, I can scan them in and then like share them somewhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then Mark Ooh. has a script. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, something that it took me a little bit to figure out: there's doors in the game, and if you want to go through a door. Uh, there's when you jump, you have to push up and the fire button to jump. And if you want to throw a rock, you have to push down and hit the fire button. And if you want to open a door, you have to stand right in front of the door, push up and hit the fire button. Ooh. That took me a little while to figure out. Uh -huh. So it's, it's set up for a single button joystick then basically. It's set up for a single button joystick, which he could have used the, uh, the two because it is a Coco three only game. So. Yeah, I yeah. just didn't have a two-button joystick. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, to be honest, some of the some of the people making games back then specifically made alternate ways to play the single button because so many people kept their joystick when they upgraded from Coco one been, or two yeah, or three. Right. That's one of those smart decisions that just didn't occur to me. Um, <laughs> but no, I can't find it. The instructions I have are for Gnome Quest and Gnome Quest Two. I don't have actually have a physical instruction for this one. Um, yeah, I don't see it on the archive either. No. So. Well, I, I mean, basically, you are trying to find Medusa, and it's there's it's not much deeper than that. I, I heard you say that you have to aim up when you fire to go into the doors. That's true. Um, going up the ladders is frustrating because you can't move left and right. You actually have to move up and down to go up and down the, the stairs. Um, that's a little bit hard to get used to. Uh, I think that's really all you need to know. It's just a bunch of intercon interconnected levels and worlds and you know, fight bats and mummies and pumpkins for some reason and, and that's it. well you have until thursday to come up with the script for the uh, instructions i will look i bet i don't have them anymore we'll do it for you and you'll just have to live with it. there you go it, it could be it could be a uh what's the term for it a retcon <laughs> well see part, part of the fun is figuring the game out from uh yeah, yeah, that's the actual yeah. game. From yeah. the word go. This wouldn't be the first game we don't have instructions for. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully you don't need them to actually play. So. Otherwise, no, I've, it, it didn't take me long to figure out how to play it last night. Okay. So. 
Yeah. Otherwise, we'll just make stuff up, and then you have to change the game. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll start, uh, you know, adding things to it that you have to put into the, <laughs> the game. broken because I pushed yeah. down left arrow, and it didn't. Yeah, Mike, yeah. watch out for these guys. They're notorious for uh, for feature creep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's too late now. The the, the ship has sailed. The... I have no source code for this at all. Yeah, just yeah. just ask Nick. <laughs> Well, now yeah. we should mention, Ken, this is a, a bit of a different one because this will be going for three weeks this time, not just two, right? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Because we we're taking have, a week uh, off on the 23rd. We don't have Christmas. It's almost Christmas. Oh, crap. I got to do some shopping. Oh, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> I about it. There's no continue. It doesn't save your state. So if you run out of lives, you start back from the beginning. So, yeah. Beware. <laughs> All right, well, it's been fun, guys. I'm gonna. Is there was there anything else you guys need me for before I have to? Uh, not that I can think of. Um, is it okay if I put the disc image right up on uh, Discord yeah. so people Go can use it? it? Yeah. Okay. That okay. also point to your uh, site so that if yeah, and then I already all the games. And then I need to get into your Discord if I if I'm going to participate. Right, I need to figure out that. All right, somebody want to send them a link? Discord. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll email you the link. Okay. Discord.coconation.com will take you right to the invite. Disco Discord. Discord. Discord.thecoconation.com okay. and we'll take you okay. right to the invite. All right. Sounds good, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been fun to talk about this. Thank you. Uh, thank yeah, thanks much. for being on. And hopefully we'll see you on the 30th when we do the summary of the game. Yeah, I and think I can, can make it. I think I, is, that, is that a Saturday too? Is it the same time? Yeah. 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 Yes. Same, yeah. I sure will try. All right. Same bat bye. time, bye. same bat channel. All right. <laughs> okay. Good. Thanks Bye. for coming by. All right. Well, now we know the game for next three weeks. Um, I guess we can uh, talk about UDAO that we played this week. Obviously, there is no um, instructions or no uh, reviews of the game. But I did look on uh, the site today, and he's currently got it for 85 different systems including the Coco 1 and 2, Coco 3, the MC-10, the Model 100, and the Model 1. Oh, those have been added then, because that weren't the last yeah. time I looked. So, you have no reason not to play his games, because, you know, there's like 85 fun. different systems you can play them on. Yeah, they run <laughs> on everything like Doom does. And it's a fun one. Once you kind of get used to the yeah. controls and what you're supposed to do, it's actually it's a good puzzle game. I know Buck Especially really likes it. When you get into the future or the further, I think level six or seven, when uh, it starts having two cars that you have to control, it gets really. Yeah, it's a lot to concentrate on in real time. You'll, you'll have you have two control or two cars to control plus two bad guys going around on the screen after you. So there's a lot of uh, yeah having to pay attention to what's going on. Yeah, I think I made it to that level once, but it wasn't my high score, ironically enough. So it wasn't the one I submitted a screenshot for, because I think that one was only level five. But I made, I, I killed a lot of the enemies and and you know got really fast timer scores, so my score was actually better. Yeah, I I got several. Uh, I got to level five or six uh, several times. It I think was my highest was level eight. Yeah, I did notice that sometimes I would get higher scores on low. With lower levels, I think it's was uh, a significant reason for that is how high of a priority you made the blinking uh, flags, 
or how many times you could run over the ghosty thing. Right. I made the. You got, you got 400 points every time you ran over him. Yeah, because I made sure I ran over the ghost anytime I could because that makes him less of a threat. You only just have to go around him as opposed to have to worry about him following you. And yeah, it's, it's if you learn, if you kind of learn what you're doing there, you can lure the ghost into the path of the car. Right. That was a significant help. As long yeah. as you don't get hit by the car yourself, because that also freezes you. Yeah. Or if you let it go too far and it breaks the walls to the point where there's an open side of the screen and the car goes off, then you die instantly. So, yeah. I mean, when you get hit by the car, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. Believe it or not. Well, not as bad as you. your couch, but. Yeah, it breaks your leg and you have and you, and it takes you seven seconds to uh, heal. And what was the other game that's ongoing? Um, I can't remember now. Battle, battle something. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I know this. Uh, Ken. Hyperzone. Hyper <laughs> right. Tom Eric Gun uh, Gunderson would like you to make a side-by-side -side video of the 85 different versions. Oh, okay. I will get right on that. <laughs> that means I have to go shopping because I don't have all 85 systems. And, and I want to do it on real hardware. Yeah. Sounds like a noble quest. Gives you a good uh, excuse to get some of those systems. I'm going to be buying a lot of them out of Japan because that's their exclusive Japan ones. Yeah, that's right. Because of their, I mean, you know, Fido is from Japan, so they anybody want to lend systems. me some money to do this? <laughs> Sleepy <laughs> volunteered. I heard. <laughs> Let's go Our find me. Patreon is playing Canadian. It. Uh... I wonder I guess... if uh, Mikey, you next time he's over there. <laughs> yeah, he goes there fairly regularly, so that might be a possibility. Maybe Kong. pick you up a couple PC six thousand ones or Fujitsu FM sevens or something. There you go. All right, and Hyperzone. So I I don't know. Does anybody else have anything to say about you, Dow? Hey, if you're into puzzle games, real time puzzle games, it's actually quite fun. Um, it doesn't matter if you're playing the Coco two one two three. MC10, etc. version, or any of the other 85 versions, as Ken was mentioning, it's a, it's a fun game all the way around. Yeah. If you're not into puzzle games, I probably wouldn't play it. Yeah. <laughs> what does Udow uh, mean? Do we know? Not a clue. I don't... I have a, sus a suspicious feeling that it is you a... You don't know what it's about. How's that? It's a very old, old Japanese curse word. Are you making that up? Yeah, based on the English language that I was using while playing it. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I would agree with him. Uh, I mean, I went through the pancakes, waffles, brioche, even croissants. and uh, Oh, no, not croissants. He was up to burritos. Yeah, All I was, them words. Yeah, I was even past the Putin. Yeah, because one thing that the interview site it doesn't really ever publish directions for these games. You kind of have to figure out your own. At least not that well, I've not even in Japanese. Is there? There's little instructions right on the uh, page. Well, what keys do what, but not what's the gameplay, what's what's your mission or anything like that. I think he he that's you're supposed to figure that out from watching his videos because uh, yeah, well the majority he video for each version. Yeah, the the videos. I mean, the games are pretty simple, so it's not hard to figure out. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, it's but not... it, like explaining scoring schemes and stuff like that would be kind of nice to know 
Like, what is a flashing That's not play? that hard to figure out either, because usually when something's flashing, it means it's going to be worth more points in most games. Well, plus the, he probably knows that nobody reads directions in now and nowadays anyway, so it's probably oh, pointless. <laughs> but what about poor Mark? He didn't have anything to read on the air for this. Right. That's where he gets creative and makes stuff but That up. gave him an extra five oh, minutes well. of napping, though, so that was that okay. Be, That's true. Uh, yeah, just make stuff up, Mark. That gave uh, him, uh, my my Japanese isn't very good anyway. <laughs> they gave him extra time to be able to get to the second level. And hyperzone, we don't have instructions for other, and that's one you probably do. We do need some because there's some. We got a little bit out of the Color Computer Magazine review. Did you find that, Ken? Um, no, I did not find that I, one. I gave you the issue, yeah. Whatever I was looking because um, so Rainbow had a review, but it just basically said they don't really like the game all that much. And the, which uh, Color, Color Computer, Computer Ma Magazine was it? I don't remember. You'll have to go back to the streams okay. I found it live <laughs> while we we're on this show. Because I wrote down Color Computer page one eighty five. And then, uh, but all the color compute from January 84 and all the color computer magazines I could find from January 84 don't have a page 185. So if, if you check, you remember that tech, rich text file I sent you that has a link or a yeah. list of all the reviews? It's in there. That's where I'll I look found through it. that. Because that actually has some, some instructions in it. The rainbow yeah. review did not really. Well, the stuff that I did figure out on it is it, uh, if you want to get a fairly good score in the game, use your shields but use them sparingly. So you have to stop moving and stop firing, hit the space bar and your shields will come on. And that gives you the grid of dots on the screen. And then uh, same thing. You can't be moving or firing, hit the space bar and it turns the shield off. And then you've got the little energy bar at the bottom of the screen that tells you how much uh, shield you have left. And there's a way to recharge it. If you shoot a cross or something, apparently, but I couldn't figure oh, out. I did to once. That. I did once did on the stream. Yeah. Okay. You must have. But to I think, shoot it like, I, the game, perfectly. I think, detects color to see what you've hit. Like, if you you can have your shots go right through the wings of a spaceship, you have to hit the. I think it's the orange color, depending on what artifact you got set, orange or blue. But I think the your bullets have to hit that certain color, and I think even on the shields, it's like a small part of it's the color, or not shields, the uh, recharger. I think you have to hit that small part of that one color, otherwise it doesn't count. Okay. Because I did try a few times and I never could figure out how to recharge or what, what those, uh, the one, the little uh, kind of the uh, cross, I would assume is for recharging your, um, your shields. Yeah, there's, there's a spinning a, saucer thing around things. Yeah, too, there's there? like a spinning thing that almost looks like a computer screen or something. And The Color Computer Magazine one mentions one of those being the one for the recharge and the other one, I have no idea what it's about. Might yeah. be just a different alien or something. Well, it's not an alien because it just sits there and spins in front of you and you can move away from it and then come back to it, and it's still just sitting there spinning. Okay. Maybe so this Thursday we'll get uh, Mark to dramatically read the review from Color Computer Magazine because it does have some instructions, or at least yeah. part of it. Yeah. Okay, where are those at? I'll uh, I'll let you know, Mark. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I know a lot of people didn't like Hyperzone, but... I actually kind of like it myself. It's a little slow. It could uh, stand a uh, 6309 speed up. Well, I was but... just going to ask, did anybody try it with the Coco 3 double speed up poke and see how it runs? Because it's not lock, frame locked, I'm pretty darn sure. So at full double uh, okay. speed, it might be better. No, did not try that. So, All right. Well, um, I guess uh, we've... Don't, did we want any tips or tricks on Udo? Oh, tips or tricks on Udo. Does anybody have any? 
Don't try well, later levels, place. you have to ricochet the car off the walls, I figured out. Even yeah. complete the even, levels. Well, because some of the flags are hidden inside of walls. Yeah. That's a good place for them. There is. It's kind of funny. We actually found it easier to play on the Coco 1-2 version because on the Coco 3 version, sometimes it doesn't draw the bottom line of uh, blocks. So you can get stuck down there. Yeah, that happened to me a few times. I thought that was a bug in the game. Yeah, for some reason it just. But if you draw, if you play the Coco One and Two version, you you can see there's actually supposed to be a bottom row of blocks there. So Buck was calling those the invisible blocks, and uh, yeah, with the invisible blocks, sometimes you can walk into them on the Coco. So it is actually a bug in the game because you can walk into where the uh, block should be and then you can't leave, leave it. Yeah, and unfortunately, we we don't really have a way to contact and dimension bugs. So no. So probably playing the uh, the Coco One Two version is uh, better, even though it doesn't oh, look as nice. Yeah, it's easier. Yeah. The MC Ten version has anybody tried that one yet to see what that? Um, I think somebody was playing the MC Ten version, but I just wonder if it has the same bug in the blocks or if it's like uh, the no. Coco One Two version. It it doesn't have the Coco One Two version and the MC Ten. It didn't look like have the same bug. I think it's just the Coco Three version. Okay. Don't, get, don't get me to explain it to him. I don't know what a bug is. <laughs> Never seen them. He is just in denial, isn't he? <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I tried to get the jumping Joey level eight the other day. All right. <laughs> For some reason, it wouldn't go. Not a bug. I just got to a point than, in the game yeah. and it stopped. <laughs> Not possible. <laughs> That's the pause to register your high score. Oh, okay. <laughs> Give you a chance for a screenshot. Mm. <laughs> Did I cover that well enough, Nick? Yeah, good enough. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a tip on uh, Hyperzone here from Scott Cooper in the chat, though. He says, I don't know about the shields, but you can stagger the shots to get continuous shooting. Then you can just hold the fire button in from then on. I forgot about that because I knew that back in the day. Because normally if you just hold the button down, they all come rapid fire and then there's a pause because you can yeah. only have so many shots on screen. But if you like, you know, click, pause for a sec, click, pause for a second, like stagger the shots with the further spread apart. Once you get a full stream of that going, then you hold down the button. It'll time it so that you'll never stop firing. You won't have these big gaps. Oh, okay. I forgot about that, but I do remember that from the day now that he's mentioned it. All right. Well, there we go. Cool. Anybody <clears throat> else have anything to say about either of those games? I like... Go ahead. Now you're quiet. Now I'm quiet. <laughs> no, you're good. Okay, That's there you perfect. go. Talk. Excellent. You sound I'm good now. Excellent. Yeah, you're yes. good. Okay. I really like you, Dow. I did too. Yeah, it's a good game, if, especially if you're into puzzle games. That's that's a fun one. Yeah, I played Hyperzone. <laughs> I kept getting I kept getting deaded, and I didn't know why. Well, <laughs> you got to avoid getting hit. You don't have you one hit, you're dead. And you get hit by those little orange balls, balls that are coming, that are coming at you. Coming they at get you. bigger up once they hit a certain size, then you get hit. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so you got to avoid them. You got to either turn your shields on or 
just uh, turn away steer, from it. Steer, steer, so it gets off screen, doesn't hit you, and it's, whoops, gets yeah, up, it's full size. Yeah, steer off screen on the left side, and then all of a sudden they'd come in on the right side. And that was if I even had enough time to steer them off the screen. Because I was like, I had so many on the screen, it was like... That's what the shields are for. That's where you use your shields. Yeah, and shields I didn't understand at all. Space bar. They, it's the big... Yeah, big, big key in the bottom, and, and shields, they, they block things. That's what shields are for. <laughs> I, know, I thought the space bar is where I got Romulan ale. <laughs> <laughs> More dad jokes if you watch the live stream. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anybody else have anything to say? No, I'm looking forward to trying uh, Mike's Monster Mash game. I think I did try that one way back when I first got his collection when he put the website up. But, you know, because I'm kind of going in chronological order, his games are quite a bit later, so I have a long way to go before I start putting up. I'll get one done for this particular one, but that would have been a good it, one for Halloween for a game challenge. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. It takes, I wonder a, if he it has takes a Christmas a little, one. It takes a little getting used to on the jumping because you have to jump straight up and then move to the side. But uh, you can actually control your guy in the air, too, so you can... Reverse and change direction, yeah. you mean? Um, I think... I don't know if you can completely change direction, but you can go further or shorter depending on how much you uh, crank the joystick to the side. Yeah, and I'll be interesting to see what people think of the speed of the game too, because that's one of the ones he did with that C Basic Three compiler. So you you can kind of keep it in your head. This is a basic game. Compiler. And uh, also, one of the things too is uh, when you're loading it up, the screen is going to go blank for about a minute. It's not crashed or anything. It's just loading everything. <laughs> the first yeah, I remember I when that, he showed was... the dirt of the disc, there's a whole whack load of files for oh, graphics this, and this sound and stuff. So draw, maps commands, or... draw commands. I was, I was just sitting there like yeah. when I first tried it, and I'm like, oh, crap, I think it crashed. So reset it, did it again. Oh, so I just let it run for a little while. I'm like, oh, okay, there's the game. <laughs> what is it? Or you can like? overclock in an emulator, of course. What is it like the Atari when you uh, turn off the screen, it runs twice as fast? <laughs> no, I was just mention, doing everything in the background. Yeah, didn't he mention he did draw commands rather yeah. than just preloaded sprites? So you had to draw that crap. Well, I think by this time he was using preloaded sprites, but well, uh, he still had to draw the sheet. Yeah, and load yeah. he would have to draw the sheet. He has to load the maps and the tiles, and you know, there's a little there's stuff. a little bit of a pause between each screen too. So yeah, it. I don't know if overclocking it would affect the uh, gameplay or not, or just the loading times. Uh, I think it would affect both because I don't think he's frame locking either. Most most couple of okay. people actually didn't do that. Then, um, if you players. if you overclock it, you're probably going to die pretty quickly from like bass flying on the screen <laughs> at you and stuff. <clears throat> we can get Bob Emery there to try it on his Gimme X at three megahertz and see what it does. Reasonable <laughs> speed. All right. Well, anybody else have anything to say about either of those games? Going once, going twice. Let's talk about Thursday. What happened Thursday? Comes off to Wednesday. There you go, Sloopy. Would you like to talk about the live Game On Challenge? Yes, it was great. We played that really cool game called Udow. And we had, uh, what was it, uh, six players, seven players at most? It was a uh, roaring success. And uh, some people also played Hyperzone. 
and then they went back to Udell. And uh, there were other games played, and the fun was had by all. But we need you there also, because well, it's makes it more fun when you are there. And what time would uh, we expect these people to show up? We would expect them to show up like just before eight o'clock on Thursday onto the Discord. Oh, okay. But we will accept what time? eight PM Eastern. I thought oh, we were usually okay. done by seven. Ah, eight PM Eastern U.S. time. <laughs> what if it's Eastern Canada? Then, Is that the same? Well, then not, you got to drive. Actually, no. Not if you're a not if you're a newfie. <laughs> but if you're like Ontario, or further east. If you're the Eastern Time Zone in Canada. Yes, it would be the same. Okay. Mexico? Uh, no. Antarctica? <laughs> well, you said it's Eastern U.S. time, so we want we just want to know if anybody else in their Eastern time zones would be at the yeah, same it, time. There's it, a big wedge of pie here. Yeah. <laughs> I think some people need to go defenestrate themselves. <laughs> Are we giving you a headache, Sloopy? <laughs> For sure, trying. <laughs> well, that's revenge from coming in so hot and loud here when he joined. <laughs> I can't help it that I'm hot. <laughs> but thanks for noticing. <laughs> I'm, this I'm is that misunderstanding English language we were talking about earlier with Mike. <laughs> but 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 you have to understand, uh, Missy went went back back home today, so I'm. I, I I don't have any adult supervision. That's my excuse. And I'm oh, sorry. that's a problem. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, I've been in the garage with uh, loud power tools and uh, oh, right. working on lawnmowers and working on uh, on uh, big engines from trucks and such. So my uh, hearing's a little uh, short. That's it. That's my story. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. We'll stick to it. But yes, ignoring all these. Uh, these uh, usual suspects, 8 p.m. U.S. Uh, Eastern U.S. time, e EST. Uh, join the Discord. Come into the uh, into the game games uh, channel. Start sharing your game. We we don't discriminate whether you use real hardware or emulators. X4 runs all the games wonderfully. VCC will run them rather well too. And MAME. Some people like to use MAME, but some people, there's something wrong with them. So. Also, you can play XWare online for most of these on the Color Computer Archive. So if you don't want to bother setting up an emulator, you can just use your browser. Absolutely. And uh, we even uh, can help you get it, get your uh, emulator set up if you use X, if you use uh, XWare or VCC. Uh, Mame, um, you'll have to find someone else because I I still have not got Mame set up yet or running because <laughs> it's it's too hard. It's that complicated. Yes, it's not ease of use. Let's put it that way. Absolutely, or ease of setup. Anyway, I have used I have used Nitrous Nine Ease of Use Edition more than I have used Mame to emulate computers. 
that should tell you something. Yeah. That should tell us you have taste. I've used MAME for arcade games. That's pretty simple and easy, but for a random Facebook user in the chat is saying I can help with MAME, but I have no idea who that is. I know we have some videos of, of, of setting it up that uh, were done earlier, so that maybe we'll find some of those. I think the Amigos have done one, I believe. Stevie did one back in the day. Yeah. Well, I mean, every it's I've, Barry Nelson. I've never had any problems with uh, with XROR, so I'll just stick with it. Yeah, XROR. I think if depending what operating system you're running, like I know I've noticed on on the Mac version when I run it, it has a problem with the sound. It'll start popping, especially if you change the focus to not be the extra window and you try to do something else you got to start getting these clicks and pops like no matter what you're doing uh that are not it's part of the normal sound so that's a bit annoying bc does it the same so also a uh shout out to uh gary neal and henry the third for being our newest uh additions to our game on challenge live yeah, Henry, we have to organize getting you on for an interview probably in early February or something here because we've got some other interviews already lined up for January. Because um, you just started a YouTube channel. I'm hoping I'm getting the right person here. Um, you're making cables and stuff, and he's got one we'll be mentioning in the news today. So a new one. Yeah. So. And I must say, Ken, uh, Hyperzone here because I'm just watching the live stream, which I wasn't paying close attention to at the time live. Mm -hmm. I do like its attract mode. That's one thing I have to say for you. He did yeah. a, a nice attract mode on it. Yeah, I was considering uh, playing Star Raiders and seeing if anyone noticed, but I figured, wow, he's doing so well. He must not be playing Hyperzone. <laughs> yeah, if I was going to play a Star Raiders style game in the Coco, I'd be picking Project Nebula before I picked this one, I'd have to honestly say. Or that other one from T&D, ironically enough. Yeah. Maybe we should try them. Oh, they're on the list. And you picked this one? <laughs> <laughs> hey, they can't you gotta you gotta show the bad stuff as well as the good. We're honest here. Honestly, this is not that bad of a game. I don't know why what everybody's the only complaint I have about it is it's a little slow. Yeah, you just can't turn, shoot, or live. <laughs> you can turn fine. You just gotta get used to it. Yeah, the controls are a bit weird. It's it's the opposite of what I'm expecting for a flying style of game. Yep. Yeah. That that took takes me a while to switch my brain over from every other 3D file flying game. Yeah, because I know that someone that was playing Hyperzone this week was talking about considering playing Predator instead. They said it'd be easier. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and then David I... Ladd corrected him. No, I'm just kidding. Guys are all just a bunch of wimps. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned on the stream, it's not MG Lustig's best game for me. And he did no. several through Computerware, which I don't think we've covered any of his other ones through Computer, except maybe, did we do Moonhopper? Uh, I think we did Moonhopper at one point. Yeah. Or Desert Patrol, Desert, one of the two. No, we did One was Computer, Hopper. one was his own company. But his own company did stuff like um, Ice Master and stuff, which actually are pretty, pretty decent. Honestly, yeah, lots though, of games it's by choose from far Ken. not the worst game I've ever played. No, not even, not even the worst one we've done on the show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to mention any of Nick's games. Uh, no. I was waiting for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick's games are much better than this. They may be hard, but they were much better than this. Most of them are, yeah. <laughs> I see you got my chick, uh, Sloopy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
Hey, what is this uh, PayPal thing? And Nick Marini's trying to withdraw money from my account. I don't understand. <laughs> Maybe that's a bug. All right. Well, Thursday, everybody better be there. We can play Hyperzone again. Come on. You know you want to. Shoot the rear axles <laughs> out of a Chrysler. And we can play Monster Mash. I mean, I did manage to get a high score. Anybody's going to wait for more people to play. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, Ken, in, in previous years here, do we get more people participating usually during Christmas when the holidays start hitting or less? Um, less usually. Okay. I didn't know if people have more free time to play them or if it'd we're be actually, like they're so busy with families that you'd yeah, get less time. We're, we're holding pretty steady at our numbers right now, but uh, definitely our larger numbers are usually in the early fall and spring. Or depend on whether it's a good game or not. Probably has something to do with it, I imagine. Like a if it's a bit. classic like Donkey King or something like that, I'm sure those are big numbers. Yeah. Although we played just about all of the classics already, so. No, no, you've missed quite a few yet that I'd call classics, so. Yeah, that's <laughs> you, though. <laughs> yeah, I have no taste, so don't listen to me. All right. Okay, well, cool. That's that for that. So shall we move on to the game on news or whatever we want to do next? <clears throat> yeah, I can do game on news or I can go through upcoming interviews and upcoming shows. I think I'll do that first just to get it out of the way because it's a okay. smaller list than what the game on news. Then we'll have a break before we go on to the, the actual news news. Okay, we also do have a uh, segment of Ron's Garage. Oh, do you want to do that first? Sure, are you ready, Ron? Are you awake, Ron? Ron? He's muted. Ron, I'm here. There he I'm is. Here. You ready? Yep. Means I gotta push the button. Go ahead, Rock. Are we good? We're good. Okay. <clears throat> See what my uh my uh version of uh Facebook does. It covers the I don't know yeah. why it does that. I guess I'm the only one that has this, but you can't see the, the top panel anymore. If you scroll up and down, does it cover it up more or scroll the whole thing? No, okay. Just nope. got it wrong. That's it. Is your browser up to date? Try a different browser. Uh, it doesn't matter what browser I use or what machine I use. It's there. Huh. Huh. Weird, huh? Yeah, I haven't seen that before. So Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, um, back in 1979, 1980 time, my father you know, and I were in the sign business. And he made a model of uh, a sign that we were trying to pitch to sell to uh, the airport. And it included um, another company we were hooked up with uh, that came and did a demo one time on uh, a changeable copy sign where the lights would go across. <clears throat> the sign was uh, attached to the top of the van, and it um, had this uh, computer in, inside the van, which was a Model 3, and it controlled the, um, the signage. And... Uh, 
what's cool is, uh, you know, it's back before when I was just staring at Radio Shack uh, computers in the window of, uh, you know, the Radio Shack stores. But it, it was really cool and advanced at the time. We didn't uh, get the, uh, the chance to sell it to the airport, but we thought it was a cool presentation anyway, you know, having a model and, you know, giving them a price on um, the sign. It would have been pretty large. But that was a cool connection to Radio Shack I had back in the day. Then another one was uh, my cousin and I, when I worked at Toledo Sign before uh, I became self-employed, we used to go out and service these signs for a color tile. And um, I never really realized till later that the signs were, um, the company was owned by Radio Shack or Tandy. Tandy, it was a subsidiary of Tandy. Color tile was? Yeah. And... Uh, you know, we used to go out with a boom truck and I had to climb up there and take, uh, I think he would take the panel off and then I would hand him the lamps for, you know, changing out all the lamps and the signs. And then we'd go to another one and do that and maybe do three or four a day. And that was our job. So, so is this Tandy like floor tiling or what is this? Color tile. Color sold. tile. They sold kitchen like yeah. tile and stuff. So yeah, here is a complete Tandy building. Radio Shack on one side, Color Tile on the other yep. side. I never that's heard the, of Tandy owning Color Tile. That's that's new. Yep. That's, so that's they had 190 some stores, and you know they went bankrupt and uh, it was, were dissolved. But for the time, they they did really well. And uh, I bought Tile from Color Tile here okay. in Wisconsin. So yeah, All they right. were so they were they were in the Northeast somewhere. Anyway, we had, you know, hundreds of stores around North, uh, Northwest Ohio. And, um, yeah, one time, one time my cousin and I were, um, working on the sign and we had to go inside to check the circuit breaker and we came back out and somebody stole our toolbox off the truck. <laughs> <laughs> That's Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that was amazing. That's pretty much it. I just did uh happy Hanukkah on, um, as a, uh, high color to um and a coco vga image so you guys can display it on your machines here's the hardware versions and uh you could put music on and throw up a a, a bin file um what else is this uh oh you know roger taylor's pretty prolific he has this uh site called um color computer gadgets and projects and um, if you ever get time, just go look at it, go through it. There's all kinds of neat stuff he does. And uh, he's been doing it for many years. And uh, he's a cool guy. Well, I, I got my, um, when uh, I knew um, Paul Barton, Paul Barton had a computer that he had that he, you know, was a uh, um, repack into a PC case. And now I, I have it, and it's uh it's a neat neat thing, you know, just something interesting. I thought, you know, we, we um we always hear about Roger Taylor, but never see him. It'd be neat to have him on the program sometime, and he can talk about what the kinds of work he does. And that's about it. The rest of the stuff is uh, stuff I covered before. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as project updates and acquisitions, um, it sounds like Sloopy has one. I think somebody else had mentioned something too, didn't they, Mark? Uh, not, no, I don't have one on my list. 
Okay. Or maybe it was Ron that was thinking of those. Mm -hmm. Could Could be. Okay. Hey, Sloopy, take it away. Oh, that's me. (laughs) Well, this is more Coco Tech than than, uh, me personally. It's just me because it's me. Um, I had originally planned on doing the MC10 episode next week. But that's not going to happen because I had an issue with my email. I had sent an email to uh, AC of AC's 8-Bit Zone to discuss with him the uh, video options. And uh, I got no response. And eventually I found out it's because the email provider that I was using uh, was no longer offering free email. And my emails weren't going out. And I just found out this last week. (laughs) So... I've got that resolved, so I'm going to be contacting him and doing the show later on. But I will uh, be doing an MC10 episode. I will actually be doing two Coco Tech MC10 episodes. Uh, The first one will be getting the MC10 working and uh, set up and run and tested. And and, uh, I will be installing one of these. Which is disappeared completely because of your background. Put it in front of your face. Yeah. Let's it's just an empty hand you got right now. It's just showing the yeah, background. Cover your forehead with the device, it'll work. There. There you go. Yeah, what is it? That's a, a joystick ports. and stuff adapter from Med Snyder or something? Uh no, not for Med Snyder. Okay. This is one of let's see here. This is the Pi key from Brendan Donahue. Crikey. Oh, right. I remember that now because we've shown pictures of it when he's been at like VCF Southwest and stuff. Yes. It or... uh, includes two Atari style joystick ports and allows you to plug in a USB keyboard to your MC10. We will, um, that will be the uh, doing the upgrades. This and one other will be the, uh, the one episode. Well, that'll be. The getting it running and then installing this will be the one episode and the other ex- episode we will be hopefully doing the composite video upgrade from uh, uh, from AC and uh, I'll be showing off the HDMI, the Coco DV on the MC10 also. Now, does so that require the... the spacer for the um, MC10? This? Yes. Yeah. It's... this here yeah and does that come in different colors yes it comes in um red let me think here whatever colors you can get uh uh filament plastic for for you right what what spools are on the wall that's what you can buy which colors did he say to me Now, Sleepy, have you figured out dates that you're going to be doing it? Like, is anything going to be happening in December? Or are we talking in early next year? Probably uh, February, because the thing is, is that um, I had sent an email, didn't realize it wasn't actually sent out until I had sent to someone else, hey, did you get my email? And they're like, no, I didn't. And I, when I looked into it, I was like, ooh, Nobody. <laughs> none of my emails being sent. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I still have to resend the email to AC because, I mean, literally, I only got my email fixed uh, yesterday or Thursday, Thursday night. 
and I've been uh, catching up on other emails because once I got it fixed, I got all these emails that I had to deal with. <laughs> right. uh, evidently, uh, they stopped uh, doing service on November 30th, and I got a whole bunch of emails between November 30th and last Thursday that I had to take care of. So is this thing from Brendan a kit you have to build and you're going to show us that or is it already built when you put it in? This is what the uh, what you get. I'll be showing the whole thing in the episode. But basically you have to uh, install this in the machine. Then you have to put the... This goes between the two case halves and it's... This goes so, in, in here. So you get the pie, whatever it is... Yes, with it and everything. This is what it looks like when you get it. Okay. And then you can get uh, this. Also has holes uh, here. If you get the Coco VGA, um, I discussed that with him. The Coco VGA for the Coco and for the MC10, and he's working with someone to uh, get get it redesigned for a different uh, FPGA. I do believe he said. And that he's hoping that sometime in the uh, first quarter of the new year, he may have uh, new uh, Cocoa VGAs for available. So all yeah, that fit the, together. <clears throat> the Cyclone 4 chip is now available, but it's like triple the price it was before COVID. So yeah, uh, I'm sure he wants to get one that's a bit more common. And yeah, cheaper. I don't have a lot of it, details on this because, I mean, it's like we only talked a, a little bit. Um, but before the episode, I'll be more prepared with all the uh, all the uh, gory details and be able to tell you more about what's going on in the future. Um, I may try to talk to Brendan about coming on to the show with me and then maybe we can uh, talk to him directly. Yeah, he's been on the show before, so shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, well, he's a, yeah, he's been on The Nation, but he hasn't been on Coco Tech. <laughs> Not many have. We haven't had too many episodes yet. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Speaking of, I, I believe, Mark, uh, we had an episode recently, didn't we? Uh, yes. This uh, last Tuesday, we had an episode with uh, basically Floppies and the Grease Weasel. Unfortunately, Paul Fiscarelli was tied up at work and couldn't make it. But, you know, I already figured we'd probably have to have another two or three shows uh, about Floppies anyway. So right. we'll just have to postpone that for later. Yeah. Anyway, um, Mikey Furman did a really good example of showing how to use the, uh, I guess it's the original version of the Grease Weasel, to uh, basically image, uh, he was imaging flex disks. And so if you want to find out about uh, backing up your uh, disk images to uh, basically files uh, that you can use with emulators and stuff, uh, it's a good place to go get an overview and what stuff looks like. How long was that show? Uh, uh, about two and a half hours, I think, is how long it went. Yeah. Pretty good. So, yep, like I said, there'll be more to be done in the future because we got more stuff to cover. Yeah, yeah. It was, so it was um, good. It was the difference between flux copies and file copies and things like that. It's it's informative. Hmm. Yeah, we all got the first sector done. Yeah, interesting to see what the. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, like, first. basically, right now, Mark, you have. I don't think we're planning any more episodes in December, are we? Now, I don't have any scheduled. Uh, Sloopy has some stuff he's going to fill in with, I think. Yeah, the the MC10 was the was the only thing I had planned for December, but um, that's been postponed because I still have to talk to AC and see how soon I can get product from him and then get everything set up and ready to go for the show. 
Okay, because I mean, I'm planning on doing a, a basic nine one probably in January. Um, okay. I don't know what else you've got kind of maybe not officially booked yet, but that you're aware of that's coming in January. I don't know if I should shoot for beginning or end. Me or personally, middle. probably early. Um, probably early because I know that uh, um, basically the Cocoa Nation and Glenside are working on a virtual Cocoa Fest. And I'm have it, uh, I'd like to do it the last weekend in January, basically. So I can uh, put it earlier in the day so we can get more people uh, from uh, the European continent to be involved. So uh, probably earlier in the month is better than later. Okay. I'll talk to Wayne Campbell because there's two I want to do uh, first. One is to go into one of the internals of BaseCon, which Wayne Campbell will definitely be on talking about his decode project that he's actually uh, currently redoing right now. And then I also want to do one of just some, you know, uh, graphics tricks that you can do with Basic 9 under level two. All very good stuff. Um, so at the moment, that's all we have. Uh, we'll keep you informed. And uh... have you got official dates yet for the virtual fest or is that still up here? I just said last weekend in January, which is... Uh... I think it was kind of left up to me, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll put the pin in it right here. I'm gonna say there it's gonna go. be uh, uh, it's gonna be the 27th or 28th, maybe both. <laughs> so I don't know how much interest you'll have. I haven't really uh, haven't really put anything out there yet, so most people don't know what about it, other than we just mentioned we're gonna do it. So I need to see what sort of commitment there is, what people would like to show up. Uh, we really want to aim to try to get people who are not going to be able to uh, attend, uh, come in person to like a fest like VCF Midwest or Cocoa Fest or something like that. So if they'll have a chance to present uh, something that may not, they may not be able to do. So that's kind of who we're trying to throw it out to first. So it's your chance to present at an event that you don't have to go anywhere for. You guys <laughs> need artwork for it? Um, that might be good. Uh, currently, we're just calling it the uh, the Virtual Cocoa Fest, and uh, like I said, it's uh, it's basically just uh, being sponsored by the Glenside uh, Computer Club and uh, the Cocoa Nation. So, um, All right. stuff may change in the future, but right now, that's what it is. So, first annual Virtual Cocoa Fest, and you could probably you guys, gonna, one in there too. you guys gonna go for a record on uh, length of show? Oh, on length. <laughs> it might come down to that if we got five or six hours both days that would be he already right. said two days <laughs> yeah <clears throat> yeah we weren't going to stop it you know overnight or anything it's going to run all the way through right well, the one we had was like six it hours might. wasn't it i think the one we had yes, was our uh, second longest did show didn't the dragon one yeah but doesn't the dragon one longer uh, i think the dragon one came after though but yeah yeah no it was some of those a couple of the longest ones and i think that's probably and the most popular inside was well we had lots of content yeah, it was interesting. Yes, Everyone was there. In fact, folks who are going to be at the show should have a limited time at the virtual show just for people who, I mean, there are also users that won't be at the Cocoa Fest. So by saying, mm -hmm. you know, the virtual Cocoa could include, should include the people that are going to be in Chicago, the people who aren't going to be in Chicago. Yeah, and I mean, so because the users, of the recording yeah. problems we had this last year, too, it might be a good backup to have something that is recorded yeah, properly. Yeah, just do it twice. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm giving that serious considerate thought, too, because, I mean, the one that uh, Ken and I did is still has got no audio. So it's totally right, useless right. in this so current do point. it twice, you'll get at least one. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, live and learn. So cool. Anyway, that's uh, it's in the works. I, th I think it's a good idea. We have dates now. We're two of our. Yep. Sounds exciting. 
So now, Mark, how so should they get a hold of you? What is your preferred way of getting a hold of? Like, is it a Discord channel or an email or something for people that want to possibly book some time I have to a, do a presentation? I do have an email address set up. It's, uh, yeah, I guess you use the Coco Tech. I have a Coco Tech one for me. And which, which domain did I put that on? <laughs> I'm really organized. Um, probably the best thing to do would be post in the uh, Coco Tech on Discord at the moment or uh, the Coco Tech group on Facebook or the TRS 80 Color Computer group or the uh, Coco Nation group or the Dragon group because I've been monitoring all four of those. Um, and so they just send a message directly to you and, in there or or is there? Yeah, yeah, they can. Okay. Yep. So we'll like I said, uh, we we'll call us. Yes, make do that, Ron. And like I said, we'll have a virtual, just call it a virtual Cocoa Fest for the moment. Like I said, it was kind of Glenn Side's idea and I'm just getting behind helping them because they have people and interest. And again, it worked really well in 2020. And then the Dragon event we had, was it 2020 or 2021? We did the Dragon one. Um, the, the interest is, is tremendous. And, uh, and it's, as Jim Brain told me, he said, you know, there are people that wouldn't be able to present because of whatever reasons. And so to have a virtual one, this kind of gives everybody a kind of a precursor or run up and uh, kind of a, a way to uh, be involved without you know, actually being able to make it there. And so I think it's a good idea. I said, it's been one of the most popular things we've ever done here. So like I said, the Glen side, they have a good, you know, good, good idea and momentum. We have the infrastructure and the people to make this happen. So that's yeah, what we're doing. It's a good joint effort. Kevin Holloway, you were about to say something or? It is. Okay. I was just poking Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I did. Okay. Anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions? I know Brian Weasler has been kind of busy lately. He's definitely got some stuff coming up. Uh, hopefully, we'll maybe see it maybe next week or something. I have I have a quick one. I mentioned my um, year old multi pack project that's been installed that I've been working on again, and it looks like okay, this let now. let uh, Mark zoom you up here so people can see you. Okay, yeah, and bigging me. So this isn't actually an intentional announcement. Otherwise, we're looking at a green postage stamp in the middle of the screen. Right. <laughs> All right. Doesn't there you mean go. anything. So yeah, I I was working on a multi-pack last Christmas and I didn't get it done before last year's Cocoa Fest. Well, now I've got my network card boot thing going. So I'm working on this again, but as you can tell, it's not looking very healthy with all these life support lines hanging out the bottom. But, uh, you know, we're working on it again. So, uh, so do you have to design a case for it yet? Yeah, I still have to draw the case, but first I have to make the dang thing work correctly, which <laughs> is... Is uh, it going to have an external power supply? Yeah, it's got a little, you know, wall ward thing that makes more power than anything that Tandy ever made did in a little box the size of a... Yeah, you know how power supplies are nowadays. Switching power supplies, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you get a lot of power out of a little wall ward. So, so yeah, do you, you have, plug it do, you have a, do you have a classy name for it yet? No, this is the large multipack because it and has that, no smart. It is the large multipack. It has every chip and LMP thing that was in the old multipack with individual same individual chips except they're all surface mount. And, and that's why I was really befuddled why it didn't work. Well, I figured out what I had done wrong. So, so I, I think Rick has one, a two or three. Yes. Yeah. And I believe it has one cool feature in there I asked Rick to put in. And that was to be able to individually strap the IRQ lines on a one by one basis. Oh yeah. There's a little there? there's a little cart jumper here on the edge. 
Well, what does that mean? So, so okay. on the on the original multi pack design, you had to decide which slot got interrupts. And, and it was usually the OS nine controller. Went, well, so anyway, uh, on the multi pack, the the idea was you would pick which slot got interrupts or could send interrupts. But on OS nine, you want all the slots to send interrupts. So you need to track them, stick them all together. And I made just a simple jumper. So you know, hey, I want one and two or one and four. The problem is uh, if you put any kind of like a anything with a ROM in it or a game in your multi-pack, then that jumps on everything and messes up your interior hardware and all the things you were trying to do in OS 9. So you have to be able to pick which ones are jumped in and which ones are jumped out. Well, if you top. ran uh, like two serial cards, you needed to jumper all the IQs together. Well, you jumper the at ones. At least those two cards. slots. Have. Yeah, at yeah. least yeah. those two. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to jumper yeah. at all. It's just back in the day, you were soldering things together, jumper them all and just call it a day. Yeah, because I remember back in the day when we did the soldering things together, if you tried to put a game card in, it didn't work. No, it blew up exactly. the world. Yeah. So, so you yeah. won't have a switch on it like the regular multi-pack has now? It'll have that jumper inside? I'm, no, different actually, purpose. I'm leaving the switch off on this one. It's always going to be booted for. Um, you can switch it through software, though. You can switch it through software. You can change it. Yeah, you can poke but it. But I didn't yeah. see the reason for the two extra chips and the extra cost and putting a switch on, which is a very expensive switch, by the way. If you don't, if you aren't a multinational corporation that can have your own switches made, it's an expensive thing to do. So yeah, this one just always boots from four. You know, if you want to boot from something else, you put it in four. And so, <laughs> the, the IR key strapping is a separate thing. Like I said, it, it really yeah, makes that's, sense. That's like what if you're I under OS nine, we're, yeah. So and it being it's you leave the jumpers off, it's just like a regular multi pack. Otherwise, it doesn't have a switch to set the slot. But he said it defaults to four, and you can always change it in software. Well, the, like for the people who want to run, you know, multiple. The idea yeah, behind this project is it's dumb. It doesn't use any smart <laughs> chips. It doesn't use any you know, custom anything um, because so a, we're having trouble a, doing that nowadays. So it's a, uh, so it's a, uh, a little bit smarter Y cable. Well, no, it's, it's the conventional large multi-pack, but it's doing it the stupidest way possible with individual LS chips, all these little chips here, instead of using one, um, one Angle. firmware, you know, one smart chip which is the thing that's keeping everyone else's multi-pack off the market right now is the smart chip that they oh. used is hard to get and expensive. Okay. So, you know, this was going to be my quick solution last year. It messed up and I ran out of time and Cocoa Fest came and I had slow vid. There was all kinds of crap going on last year, but uh, we're on the road again. And Exile in Paradise wants to know where's the real-time clock? <laughs> it's, you the, have uh, to use network time protocol. NTP. Yes. We have Ethernet right. now. So you don't need you no that real time in. clock. Is your internet card interrupt driven too, or just out of curiosity? Um can't could be. Maybe. Doesn't have to be. And you build it, has, it in on the multi-pack. It has it has a 2K buffer on it, so you just get a frame off the Ethernet and use it whenever you feel like using it. 
It's just that sometimes you'll get a delay on the internet due to whatever server's in the middle of it. So, you know, do you have to constantly monitor the thing and constantly well, no, check no, to see? That's, that's, that's the beauty of this product is the, the WizNet chip is the Ethernet and you don't have to be. You, you're just a memory manager. You get your you get your 2K buffer, you empty it, you fill a But let's say buffer. I go request a page and the page is getting delayed because of some broken thing and has to reroute around. Sit, it takes five it seconds. In, yeah, it will sit on it. You. Okay, but you have to constantly go and check. Did no, you get no, it yet? The, no, the, did you get the it? The chip will retry until it fails out or not. It's it's really an amazing little piece. Of yeah, but you the Coco still has to check with the chip to see if it actually happened yet or not, right? Manually, if I'm understanding correctly. Um, yeah, sort of. Like if I send a request and I you know, I but, want but I expect it to be to there in half a it. second, and I check and it goes, no, it's not there yet. Okay, I guess I'll come back and check in another sixtieth of a second or whatever. Right, like you have to pull it. Right, but in actual fact, I haven't never run into that. Of course, I'm doing things at basic speed, so it's quite yeah, likely I'm that sure. there have been many timeouts between the time when I asked and the time when I answered what looked. But uh, yeah, it it handles all of this. It doesn't time out. It will keep, you know, re replugging the connection. You don't have to worry about that. So the beauty of it is our little slow machine can just read the data it doesn't have to worry about the, the big bad board world out there so rick well will you will you have a feature where um it could be used uh in a repack well it's it's will it fold over so well it's it's a it's a game card size so and the new one with the boot ROM is still a game card size so you could Can technically just take a cocoa Cram the bootable one in the side of it. Henry Strickland will boot OS9 for you. And you're running with nothing but your cocoa and the little cocoa I.O. plugged in the side. So it's got a lot of potential. And I think we're finally getting all of the bugs worked out where it's actually working for everybody all the time. So I'm really excited with what's coming up there. RetroTechie wants to know what Bob is doing. What is Bob doing? Is there smoke or fire? Uh, I think it's my Zoom. Where is, is he? my mic on? Yeah, yep. it's now. All right. Your video is a little weird. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> you got three different camera angles there, plus so I guess pipes is done. Yeah. So basically, this is a. Uh, Tom Cherry Holmes Color Computer 2, and I've been just tinkering with it a little bit, playing to uh, try and figure out why it's not loading from cassette. That's Although, weird. realistically, I haven't been doing much in that regard lately. I've been mainly playing games. FujiNet <laughs> needs uh, B's cassette boot, basically. So, it's yeah. important. Yeah, just uh, be careful when you reach over the left-hand side there. Mm hmm Yeah, I see those hot wires. <laughs> they bite back. Mm -hmm. Open. Maybe not as bad as Mark's cat, but... So, um, the Cocoa 2 have a salt chip? Yes, it does. Okay. Yeah, it's is got that... the level crossing detector and all of that crap going on. Is that so. where the problem lies in there somewhere? Uh, from what I've narrowed it down to, it's either the salt chip or the PIA. Uh, U1 or U2, basically. So, I mm -hmm. will... Basically, and luckily they're all socketed in here, so it'll be easy to swap them out and 
do some quick testing. And that's a good question. Is it the zero level that you aren't getting, or is it the PIA that's not reading? So yeah, that's yeah. Wide at this open. point, at this point, it's not it's no, not indicating anything, so you can't really tell what it ain't getting. Right, because you haven't turned it on. <laughs> it ain't getting nothing. That's what's going on. I, I I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> had it had it plugged into a real cassette deck and Nothing. I did uh, I turned the audio on and motor on and I could hear the file, but the computer just ain't recognizing it at all. So mm. it seems like uh, when I had my Coco three running on DC, but I didn't have a pepperboard in it. Yeah. It's kind of what it seems like. So yeah, I agree. The salt chip is suspect, as well as the PIA. And, and I don't have those a, are both. Say, I don't have a schematic in front of me, but I think you can get that zero crossing output before it goes into the PIA and see if it's actually crossing zero and going up right. and down. Um, yeah. I, I don't have the book handy, but it's right there. You'll figure it out. I'm sure. Yeah, I've, I've got the book, uh, the PDF up actually in another window. So sometimes if I'm staring at my camera weirdly, I'm probably just reading that. <laughs> but yeah and this uh the little rgb to hdmi thing works great in here for the color computers uh component out literally just uh wired directly to a socket under That's the a little plugged into the socket right yeah. cool that you showed earlier i like it yep Yeah, and all done. And looks a heck of a lot better than that RF output. <laughs> Although there's especially no on a bench when you have all the other things that go on on a bench that mess yeah. up your video. It's not <laughs> like yeah. yeah. But overall, it seems like it's working well. Just. Uh, weird with the cassette thing and i've been messing with the, the settings on the rgb to hdmi to get that video stable it's still a little kind of glitchy on the edges of the orange here let's see if i go this way oh. i don't know if you can see that on the the pipe central screen on the left edges of like the i and the e Oh, there's occasional glitch there. They're just like, like little, a pixel. yeah, right on the edges of the borders. And I've got it about ninety nine percent gone, but I can't make it totally go away. But it, it's hmm. looking a thousand percent better than it was. Where's the glitch? So on the left on side, the I can see those little black that. dots. Oh yeah, yeah, on yeah I see it. Yeah, I see it now. Yeah. For some reason, the P doesn't do it, but the E and the I do. It doesn't like vowels. <laughs> That's it. It's vowels. I'm guessing it's probably which horizontal position a... it's at that it's causing the glitch. Yeah. But I see them on the S, though, right above the bottom dashed line. Yeah. See on the S, the bottom. Oh, my, yeah. Uh, yeah, the right side of the S there, uh, I can see it in three yeah. different spots. Yeah. It's not my game doing that, is it? Have you tried something else to... 
Nick, you've no, got I, a bug. No, I'm just kidding. That was a feature. That was a feature. Because I don't see it, it now on the high score screen. Yeah, it's on the zero, on the orange zero. I just saw Oh, you it. can see it. Okay. It does come up. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, probably a memory thing. It does yeah. it on P mode four as well. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's not a bug, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> It's a, it's it's a hardware problem. Issue. Yeah. Richard Tickey in the chat says glitches give it character. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I've been going through all of those menus trying to find any setting that helps. And I've found a, two or three of them that seem to affect it significantly. So I'm I'm actually pretty happy with that where it is. Are you going to make a video kind of showing like what settings do work so that other people want to try this, you know, don't have to like figure it out by hand? Yeah, I could probably try and do that. Yeah, because I think it'd be pretty helpful for some people, especially that they're new to you using that type of equipment. Mm -hmm. What's the advertising cost? Infinity. You know, uh, Nick. Nick's having a... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's been blasting us all that all but um the last two hours. As long as it's not new trade, I'm fine. Yeah, can you play the game <laughs> a little bit or oh, oh there uh, you can see the glitching a fair bit. Yeah, yeah, you can see it there. How come it was blue? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're getting a lot more glitching glitch. on the screen yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Is it color dependent then? It seems like it is actually. So hmm. like uh let me because this reminds me of Gimme Snow when you don't time the H-Sync properly switching pallets. Right. Go down right, to my color not, bars. But it's not on the border. It's like random places mid-screen. And here it's rock right. solid. Yeah. Right. And now that's... Nice and, and now, like you look at bars twelve, and it's it's flickering yeah, on the it's left and falling apart on yeah, in the middle of the screen. Yeah. yeah. So what? Let's see. This one works pretty well with the keyboard. Yeah, you're getting a lot of the flicker there in the Jumping Joey logo. Hmm. Oh, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's cheap Chinese video amps is what's going on here. Yeah, on this screen, not at all. That's weird. It seems to be anything with fine detail. If you have fat, wide bars, it seems to be semi-okay, and then... Oh, I don't know. It's not Coco. It's it's capture card. Yeah, it's the upscaler. Not the Coco itself. Right. Yeah. But it definitely looks that better was... than RF, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or composite on a Coco 3, because that's, that's kind of flaky, too. I love the pause feature, Nick. Every game should have a pause button. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't want the show to go for six hours, so we're going to save that for the virtual Coco Fest, so we should probably yep, continue yep. on. Okay, Ray, <clears throat> let's see. 
Now, uh, since we've actually gone a bit longer with this, um, you know, project updates, et cetera, here, do you want to do another commercial and I'll just do all the news in one big shot? Okay. Sure. Ooh, Hi, I'm John. And I'm Aaron of The Coco Show. And you're watching or listening to The Coco Nation, the live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its cousins. All hail The Coco Nation. Om. 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 In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Coco3scartcable.com. G'day from the land down under where toilets flush backwards and thongs are a respectable form of casual footwear. I am Nick Morentes and I have been developing games for the Coco for over 35 years. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the interactive live video talk show for all enthusiasts of the Coco family of computers. Cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer, one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. Okay, there we go. Uh, so who wants to explain that? Because I'm not sure what the fix is. I'm sure we should tell them what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, that too. <laughs> okay, so uh, in the chat, uh, RetroTechie uh, says that the coupon code for Coco Nation doesn't work on Retro Rewind. Um, there is a trick for that. Um, yeah, I think you have to log in, right? Isn't that? I think like you can't just it do is. it without logging in. I think you have to create the little free account thing, yeah. and then then it an account. It. You have to create an account, log in. That would make a sense. And, and then then the code works. That's what I remember Frank explaining. I know Frank's still in the chat. He's probably busy making, you know, Ferraris or something. <laughs> okay. Or money for Ferraris. Oh, Rex Tech, he's saying he is logged in. And you still can't get the coupon code to work? That will have to ask Frank then. Okay, something expired by accident. Okay. So Frank is saying correct being logged correct. in. So we'll get it we'll get a chat going on there. Um all right, game on you news. Um, yeah, sure. 
Okay. Game on news. Yep. Just before I get to that, I just uh, saw in the chat there, RetroTech, he said it works now after he logged in, out and back in again. So it must have just <laughs> been a, an internet glitch. So good to, good to know the code still works. <laughs> have we have we thrown in that? What? What are you laughing about? Um, a, a chat. Oh, you didn't buy enough stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to remember we're on the air here, Mark. So when you just say that, that nobody has any idea, you know, that's listening what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I know hey, what, uh, I said, what I said in the chat was that the reason why his discount coupon was not working is because. He hasn't bought enough stuff from the Retro Rewind uh, website <laughs> yeah. because you will need to buy all the stuff from the Retro Rewind website because there's no there's no bad products there. All the products are good, high quality <laughs> products. <laughs> and I'm not just a uh, front man. I actually use and own products that I actually bought from Retro yeah. Rewind. So I suggest and Frank himself from Retro Rewind says the inevitable turn it off and back on again. That's absolutely true. Yes. Hundred plus years of electronics, and that's still the case. Well, what's funny to me is when we were a kid, we had to wait for the tubes to warm up for the TV to come on. Now we have to wait for the computer to boot for the TV to come on. Same thing, same time, different channel. Yet ironically, the cocoa was instant on. Right? Right. <laughs> you just have gone backwards. The TV. Yeah, you just had to wait for the TV to warm up. Oh, and apparently you're getting a twenty dollar coupon there, Sloopy, for your your nice ad, Frank. <laughs> and Retro Techie's saying so. Sloopy's offering to send me free stuff. <laughs> well, now that you got the twenty dollars coming in there, maybe you can do that. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Retro Techie, with your purchase of a hundred dollars or more, I will send you a free free thing. <laughs> Right. Okay, so on to the Game On news, which is a little short this week, but I wanted to mention the Coco Show's final episode of this year is going to be recorded live on Twitch and YouTube tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Um, so you can hit their uh, the two Wayne websites, depending on what you do. I will mention, uh, from what I remember correctly, <clears throat> the Twitch stream actually has enhanced extra preamble and post-amble. Excuse me. <coughs> So basically, you get all the pre-show and the post-show. YouTube, I think, is more strictly just the actual show. So if you want to catch all the witty banter, you probably want to watch it on Twitch. But if you go to the show notes in our Discord, I've got the links for both of them here. Or you can get them off the screen right now if you're actually watching the show versus listening. Uh, so that's the uh, Twitch one there. And that's the one for the live streams on YouTube from their channel. Uh, I will mention this is going to be a Christmas-themed one, so they're going to be playing a couple of Christmas games. Uh, I believe it's uh, Ghost Rush Winter Edition and Timberman Christmas Edition. So that's the two games I'll be reviewing. And uh, feel free to put in comments live, because they do watch the chat as the show goes on, as do we. Next up, and this is a continuation from last week, where the uh, YouTube channel Retro365 has been going through... A bunch of games that Mark Data products and the original authors, uh, Bob Withers and Stephen O'Day, uh, with some assistance from their wives, I might mention, ported a whole bunch of their graphical adventure games that Mark Data products made for the Coco 
that only required cassette. So at the time, it was more like Sands of Egypt and a few others who were using disc, and they actually managed to cram these adventure games with animated graphics right onto uh, 32K cassette-based Cocoa systems, and they later ported them all over to uh, the IBM PC with CJ, and there's a bunch you can see here. So they get the Vortex Factor, Trek Bore, Shenanigans, Sea Search, and then we covered Black Sanctum and Clicks to Island last week. So I won't play them again this week. Uh, but if you want to check out what they look like on CJ, and the graphics are basically directly ported from the Cocoa. They're actually 256 wide, not 320 like the graphics mode is. You can see the text goes off past the edges of the actual graphics. But the CJ color palette, if you thought our, our pastel set was bad, it's not much better. <laughs> it's, but <clears throat> they're very faithful to the original Cocoa game. So if you ever wanted to see those, and you've even got pictures of the original artwork that came with them as well, the full color artwork that uh, Mark Data Products published. So. Interesting bit of historical thing because those I think were less popular on the PCs than they were on the Coco. Um, I remember seeing them back in the day, and, and Bob and Steve did have a web page of their own that they actually had them up for free download. So these are legally free if you find a copy, uh, both the the Coco versions and the IBM PC CGA versions as well. But uh, they're some of the best adventure games of that era, I think, for the animated graphics and stuff. But these were ones I, they're not super hard they make sense for the most part there's not these really weird things you have to try to figure out what the program is thinking of like we we're talking about with mike earlier um they make a lot of logical sense so they're solvable i guess the best way to put it by the way he does have fairly long plays in fact i think he actually wins the game in all these new ones here so if you want to play through it it doubles that as well uh, next up, we're going to mention that Chris Presley posted on Facebook that his Star Trek trivia game is now up in the archive, which I did check it is. And if you want to try it out, it's a Coco 1 and 2 text-based. And if you're into the original Star Trek series, the original series, uh, they're kind of fun. I actually played it a little bit myself just to give it a quick tryout. And I actually remembered some of the answers to the questions. So I was kind of impressed with myself. And if you don't check. know the answers, you can get Mike's Starlog program what he was talking about today mm. where he went through B. Joe Trimble's Star Trek concordance and covered the first three seasons. So you have no excuse. You should be able to do pretty good on the Star Trek trivia. Now. <clears throat> yeah. Or you can break into the basic program and just look. <laughs> I didn't do that, but yeah, it's a, it's a free download. I think it works in 32 K. I don't know if it works in 16, but it's just text-based. Um, but yeah, nice, nice little uh, cool thing. If you're into the Star Trek the original series and you want to do a little bit of a trivia game on your Coco, going full retro back to Coco 1 in two days, it's a good one to grab. Available on the Color Computer Archive. Uh, next up, this was a fun one. So <clears throat> uh, Tim and AJ, my drunk sibling, is the channel and the show is Sibling Rivalry, decided to cover a simultaneous two-player game on the Coco. And this is a very early one. So this is called Laser Star. It was by Jarb Software. It was originally published in Rainbow, I think, in September or October of 1981. So this is just a few months after Rainbow started. And this is very early in the Cocos history. Extended Basic had been out for less than a year before this was published. Now, somebody typed it in and uploaded it to the Internet Archive, which is where I grabbed a copy to do the screenshots that I did on my site. But whoever typed it in, it had some bugs. And maybe the OCR did, I'm not sure. But I tried to fix a couple long enough that I could get the game up and running enough to take screenshots because I want to document it. And then I sent it off to Tim Mention because they want you know more simultaneous two-player games because that works better for their show format. And I mentioned I haven't played this game long enough to see if all the bugs are out yet. I suspect there's still some in there. And of course, they went to go play it, and they did. It, it bombed out with syntax errors if a certain situation happened. And 
So they ended up recording this particular video in two chunks. So uh, one was the original one, and it was at the end of one of their tapings. So they've gotten a pretty good amount of drinking on before they got up to that point. And uh, then it starts bombing. So they did a follow-up that uh, over a couple weeks, Tim went and uh, got the original art, Rainbow Articles and fixed up the game. And then he started improving some of the game itself. Um, so that plays much better than the original one does. And uh, I won't play it here because we're already running long. Definitely go check out. It's a, a cool video, but it's basically done two chunks. You'll see their tag is why they're two Tims and two AJs because they're wearing different shirts. They got you know different appearance because it was recorded weeks apart. But uh, actually, Tim at the very end also goes into some uh, programming trivia of how he sped up the asteroid animation by about three times. And it has to do with how he does draw statements. So that uh, if you want a bit of a programming trick for uh, Color Basic, or sorry, Extended Basic, uh, definitely go near the end of the video. There's a, bit, a couple programming tricks there that might be of interest to you. And the last step, we got Jim Gary stuck in an MC10 game last night because I think after the Inafutu game, Udo came out. I think he spent all of his time playing that, so he hadn't done much on the MC10 lately. <laughs> but in this case here, he got one out late yesterday. So this is a game called Checkers. I'm going to mute the sound. There's some beeping and booping, but it's not critical of the gameplay. Uh, this was originally written by John Crutch in 1981 from the book Experiments in AI for Small Computers. Now, it's a bit limited. <laughs> Um, you can't do multiple jumps so you, where you can jump across a couple times if you can line them up properly or king itself on its own. You have to kind of hit your own keys to do that. Um, I think it fits in 4K RAM. He didn't really mention if that was a spec or not. It didn't look like it was too big just from the line numbers I saw in the initial starts uh, screen that listed the last page of the code. But, you know, cramming it in and that early on too just to get a single player checkers game that would fit on an MC10 is a pretty good feat even if it's missing a few of the features. Um, and then you get a bit of a long play on it there, but you can check that one out as well, and you can download it from his site if you want to try it out yourself. So now I will switch to... We'll get through announcements yet. Next, before I get into the, uh, the actual news news. So first of all, we'll cover up uh, future interviews. Should we find my right screen here? There we are. Okay, you guys should be seeing uh, my Contras page on my site. Is that yep. what I shared? Okay, so first up, the uh, January 6th, we have the WV with Doug Maston and Glenn Dahlgren. Glenn, of course, is the former owner and main programmer for Sundog Systems. And they'll be covering the Contras and the whole convoluted tale of how that uh, eventually got released. Doug had some of the stuff that he'll be showing on the show, too, of, of his original notes and graph paper drawing of sprites, etc., and he was in high school and he attempted this. And this is a huge project for a high schooler to tackle, I have to say. It was 512K required, digitized sound samples, digitized musical soundtrack, hardware scrolling. You know, he just went all out on this sucker. <clears throat> so we're going to get the full story with that with Doug. And uh, uh, congratulations, Doug. His uh, surgery went well. He's, you know, mostly recovered now. And uh, glad I'm on. We had a couple of delays there because of his surgery, but... And then I wanted to mention as well, um, Glenn Dahlgren will be on again two weeks after this interview here, uh, both to promote his new and final book in his Chaos series. And also he's going to try to dig out some original stuff for the Coco, some of his notes and stuff, if he can find them on some of the programming notes for his stuff that he did for some note. And for those of you not heard already, his... Uh... Oops, what happened there? There we go. Uh, the Realm of Gods is finished, so it's uh, going through the final stuff. This is the artwork that has been chosen for the cover. You can see it's a four-volume set on the bottom. I'm not 
quite sure what's kind of backwards there a little bit. Uh, I guess it's okay. So the final novel, he'll talk about that as well. Uh, I know some of you on the panel have read the previous ones. I have not because I just don't have time for that kind of thing these days. Uh, what were your guys' opinions of the previous books? And uh, are you really looking forward to the fourth and final They're excellent installment? and yes, finally. Yes. Good storylines. Now this is uh, he's he's mentioned before. It's meant for a teenage audience. Is I'm, I'm assuming yes. for the fact that you guys like it that it's probably fine for adults as well. It's not too childish or anything. Correct. Correct. The uh, the protagonist is a is a teenager, so the you know the the appeal would be to a teenage audience, but you know anybody can relate to the story. So well, yeah, young adult is a genre, but we were all teenagers once, so go relive that. Yeah, from the sounds of it, though, it sounds like it appeals to adults, too. It's not written to be strictly for teenagers. It just Correct. involves a teenage protagonist. Yep. It's good okay. stuff. Um, looking forward to this. Cool. Yep, I have the first three. So that will be January the 20th, so be here for that one. And January 6th, uh, again, is the Doug Maston and Glenn Delegrant. So Glenn will be appearing twice in the month of January. And I'm starting to work on some other ones past that. We actually just talked to one of them in the chat here. He's actually been on the game on challenge this last week. We started doing videos. We'll cover uh, his new video on the regular news, but uh, we're going to try to get him on on February as well. And I found out in the chat there, he's going to see if he can actually join the main panel next week, just as a guest. Okay. So that covers the interviews we've got officially booked. Now I'm going to go on well, to talk about. Well, if he's been on more than shows. once, he's a regular. Pardon me? <laughs> if he's been on more than once, he's a regular. No, no, he's not, he's never been on the main show. Oh, oh, okay. So I guess yes, he'll be a guest. <laughs> the second he's, time he's a regular. He's becoming a regular on the game right, on challenge. Right, Let's right. put it that way. He doesn't have a bumper song though. So Okay, so hopefully you're seeing the VCF Southern California screen at this point. So as far as upcoming shows go, BCF SoCal, February 17th to 18th in Orange, California, the Hotel Fair Events Center. Uh, so that's actually coming up not too, that's just barely past two months out. So uh, hopefully we'll get a good cocoa presence there. Well, I like um, the logo screen. The little photo mm -hmm. is nice. Oh, the Model 3 or 4? Yeah. Is that three? <laughs> three. Mm -hmm. three, yeah, I just looked at the keyboards. Yeah, it's three. No function keys. Well, it also says Model 3 Basic on the screen. Well, that's too obvious for me. <laughs> it also says memory size. <laughs> well, they all said that. More than one had memory size. Is that dead? Oh, No, you never had a 3, did you, Nick? You only had a Model 1. Um, I do have a, I do have a 3. Did you have one four. back in the day, though? No, I had a 1. What's really funny is this three has disk drives, which means it weighs about a hundred pounds more than a Model Three that doesn't have disk drives, because they didn't have the mounting brackets, the power supply, nothing. <laughs> so they had to add all that in at the same yeah, time. Yeah, when you bought disk drive. drives, you got a box as big as your Model Three. Yeah, your, drive, your Drive Zero kit had to have that uh, inner side frame. Yeah, plus the first power <laughs> supply, plus the floppy controller that had the mount on the back. And yeah, actually, I had to have both <laughs> both side tower frames. Right. Sounds like a workout. You just buy an upgrade you kit and then you can just start doing deadlifts. Yeah, yeah. It's also a whole new computer. Basically, everything. 
to the right of the right of the screen had to be built it had to be mounted in there yeah because normally it just came with that blank little plastic faceplate didn't it right Right. screwed on the front that was it but it didn't have the frame internally either even hold the drives oh okay i see what you mean so you had to add that stuff and mount power supply to that and so the the main anyway. power supply for the computer itself didn't have enough juice to drive the floppies at the same time. No, or was it, it, it didn't even something? have a chance. Thinking <laughs> about. <laughs> yeah, you had another one for the drives, and then the floppy controller had to go back on the yeah. It had, board. it had to power the floppy controller as well. Right. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay. Now, the next one, I don't have a screenshot for it yet because it's only been pre-announced. Um, details still to come, but we have some details now. So the Interim Computer Festival, and this is for the Pacific Northwest area, so Yay. I think Mark might know some about this. Uh, it's been announced that will be March 23rd to the 24th. Now, they haven't got any official where or the times, et cetera, yet. Um, they did mention the registration will be open in January, so we probably might not get any details until January, I'm guessing, at this point, unless you've heard anything further, Mark. No, I just heard about it recently myself. I, I believe it's just going to be a, um, another version of the one they did this last year in the end of September, beginning of October. So uh, it's just kind of, they're trying to spin back up the VCF Pacific Northwest. And so this is kind of the first foothold. I was supposed to go to that. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it. Ken did make it though. And so he could give you a little bit of insight on what happened. But it looks like they're just going to be doing it again, but a little bit earlier. So this will be great. VCF Pacific Northwest used to be in March. So I'm looking forward to this. Got it on my calendar. Ben, what was your opinion of going to the interim computer festival last year? Uh, it was definitely um, interesting. There is a lot of uh, computers there that, frankly, I had never even heard of. So it was kind of cool to see. And I mean, was it, it a well attended show? Or I can't um, remember now. Yeah. I mean, it was a small show. I mean, the, the entire room was um, not that big, but I would say there was, you know, 80 to 100 people that over the weekend that showed up and um yeah okay yeah. do you have any it, plans to attend it this this march version of the um yeah actually it's not that far from me so and mark do you think you'll be able to make it this year we can get a two cocoa people I'm, there yes i'm hoping to make it this year and i'm bringing my cocos and, and tim was an there and a tim was there this yeah. uh, last one too oh we should bug him bug tim to bring aj along too <laughs> Yeah, it's not there's um it's not so much a gaming thing, it's definitely showing off a lot of hardware stuff. Okay, so it's not like a boat fest where the gaming is a focus. This is more of a no, hardware no, no. focus. This was uh yeah, yeah, like there was some some massive systems there that had like uh hard drives that were as big as a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some Tandy eight megs. <laughs> They're taking, yeah, or the PP one hundred one, or PP eleven ones, I should say. The yeah, platter, the platter hard drive, removable platter. Uh, you unscrew it and pop it yeah, out. Yeah, and they're about as big as a tabletop. Yeah, yeah, we had those at work. I remember those well. The HP three thousand, we had had those as well too. Bill can tell you about them. He took the PP home. <laughs> okay, so that sounds like a cool that one. Um, was there any coke? Was there last year, Ken? I can't remember. Um, because no. you didn't take yours, I don't believe, right? Um, there was, uh, no, oh, geez, what, what was there? There's, uh, some fairly rare Commodores. Uh, there was some apricots. Uh, I wonder what that's a clone of. No, it's not, a, <laughs> it's not actually a clone. 
It's a British computer. That's oh right, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there was another. The, the, that's fruit the reason one that, that was a clone. The reason that they didn't yeah. sell worth uh, crap in North America is because everybody thought it was a clone. But <laughs> as I remember, they're like a CPM machine, I think, weren't they? Or were they? Yeah, kind of like the BBC, yeah. like Z80. Um. Oh, geez, I can't even remember off the top of my head, but okay. No, no, that's fine. I just, if you happen to remember, I was, I was just going to ask. What was the Apple clone one? That yeah, had there was the a bunch. One Apple. Yeah, the the Franklin Ace was the big one. Yeah, but that wasn't named after a fruit. Uh, there were some other ones. Yeah, well, I thought there was right, one. There's, that there's was a pineapple. All right. Because Bloom County had the banana in the cartoon strip. I remember that one. <laughs> right. The banana 2000 Junior or whatever the heck it was called. I can't remember. Yep. Get all Hold the things in there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay, so anyway, that's that's one's coming up. More details coming out in January. Registration coming in January. We'll keep you posted on those. It sounds like there's a couple of Cocoa people or, you know, people that at least use Cocos might be there this time. And actually, it sounds like from Mark, you might even have a Cocoa display there, so that would be cool. So uh, we'll see if we can get you guys to do some live coverage like we did with uh, well, Ken. I don't think we did live coverage last time. I think we just uh, no, I just it. sent you some photos because yeah, my phone sucks. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And of course, the big show for us in the Cocoa community is the 32nd annual Last Chicago Cocoa Fest happening May 4th to 5th in Carroll Stream, Illinois, which is uh, basically a suburb in Chicago. The Holiday Inn and Suites. Um, Really looking forward to this one. I will mention again, we're going to keep teasing this for a while, but there's going to be some hardware there that nobody here has seen before. And uh, I'm going to keep teasing that until the official announcement of some of the stuff that's coming out. Then we'll probably be announcing that in January, I'm guessing, exactly what some of that stuff is. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, there's some stuff here that uh, I don't think even Boise and, you know saw writing the book, to be honest. So that's your tease for the day. And then we've got a conflicting one. We've got two on the weekend of June the 14th to 16th. Uh, the first one here is Boat Fest number three at its new location at the social event space in Hurricane West Virginia. This is a more game-oriented uh, fest with some hardware, too. I mean, Frank's doing upgrades and stuff, and other people bring hardware to show it off. But uh, basically covers 8, 16, and early 32-bit gaming for the most part. Uh, consoles and computers, so even some pin, virtual pinball machine tables and stuff like that, too, as well. A lot of fun. Uh, some great food, too. Um, in fact, uh, Boat's wife just opened a, a restaurant here the last couple months, so I'm sure we're going to get together and go try that out over down there. A lot of fun. So that one you can uh, do on June 14th to 16th in West Virginia. On the other hand, you can also go to uh, VCF Southwest, which is the exact same weekend at the Davidson Gundy Alumni Center at the University of Texas at Dallas. And this is where a lot of the Tandy guys like Mark Siegel and others come out because, of course, they all retired in the Dallas area where, where Tandy Towers were. So you can visit a lot of the people there that were directly involved with Tandy. This is a real conflict for me because, I mean, I've been to Boat Fest the last couple of years. I always have a great time. But on the other hand, you know, some of these older guys that helped create all of the Tierra City computers that Tandy did, you know, they're getting up in age. I might not get a chance to see them for too much longer. So, you know, I might have to take one year off from Boat Fest and go check this out and try to meet some of them, I think. Just not sure if it's going to be this year or, or next year, but uh, 
I know it was a big success this last year. Um, I, a lot of the people were there. Brendan Donna, he was exhibiting, for example, showing off the Coco VJ and some of the stuff, uh, including what Sleepy will be talking about for the MC10 here on Coco Tech soon. So um, they had a whole Tandy presentation panel talking about, you know, the original development of video techs and stuff like that. So there's a lot of cool, cool stories to hear there too. So I definitely want to see if I can get out here, you know, sooner rather than later. Are you ready for that long of a road trip, Ken? It's only another thousand miles. What the heck? I've actually done this drive before because I had a, a ticketing convention there, the January 2020, the you know just before COVID hit, and the drive down there isn't a lot longer than Chicago, to be honest. It's uh, hey, just stop and pick me up on your way through. <laughs> yeah, right, and David Ladd, and corner, we'll just know. strap you guys to the roof, and yeah, because Dallas to Chicago is 24 hours flat. So, yeah, in Saskatoon to Dallas, I think I'm trying to remember how long it was last time. It's twenty twenty six or twenty eight. Not bad. So it's it's not too bad. You it's pretty well corner, straight down. There's not a bunch of turning yeah. going around. Yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely want to make this one just for all the Tandy guys there because that's that's they don't come to Coco Fest, so you know if I'm going to meet them, and maybe if we do it enough far enough ahead of time, we can set up some side interviews. For either Ken's channel or the Coco Nation channel for both. So I got a big decision to make here as to Boatfest or this one. Because I know like John Prickett was supposed to be speaking at this VCF Southwest last year as one of the Tandy panel, and he wasn't able to due to health issues. So that's kind of the worry. He's better now, but uh, you know, it just reminds me, you know, life is finite. And these guys, you know, were at Tandy in the 70s designing all these computers now are getting up in age. So I definitely want to get down there. So that's all the shows that I've got coming upcoming that we've got official data on. And now I can switch over to the actual news. Okay, hang on. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins, no matter what it takes or where news breaks from around the world to your nation the coco nation news with l curtis boyle all right take it away okie dokie so, Bob Emery, you're still handy and available? Oh, did he leave? I'm here. Oh, there. You're just muted. Okay, gotcha. Because the first one's actually one of your videos, so I thought you'd probably be better speaking about it than me. That's debatable. <laughs> okay, so I'll start playing it. I'll mute it so you can actually just kind of talk over it. So this is introducing your Turbo X LED board for the color computer family. Do you want to explain exactly what that is? Okay, so basically, uh, it's a little board that you can get five volts from your Cocoa motherboard, and it has a basically two-pin header output for a power LED, and another two-pin header for a turbo light, and another two-pin header for a triple speed light for the Gimme X. And this was basically the first one that I built. Kind of had to work out some of the 
the kinks like the values for the components for the three megahertz uh, detection, but I got that all sorted out. Now you're showing there, like you, I think you had nine boards there because this board is so small, you have to order like a minimum of 10 because it's all connected in one well, board. Well, it's it? like they have a minimum board size of 10 by 10 centimeters. So if you're going to order a tiny board, it just makes sense to, you know, make a panel out of it especially something like that. It would not. Right. I, I, and then there's also a five board minimum. So 10 panels of five boards. I basically got 50 boards for 10 bucks. And that right. was yep. like the smallest what? I could do. <laughs> well, because well, now, you have all these extra boards here, these little mini boards here. Uh, first yeah. of all, is this design stable or does it need some hacking to get it to work? The design is perfect. The silk screen is wrong. So uh, uh, one of the capacitors, one resistor, and the LED markings are backwards. But other than that, the actual wiring in it is perfect. It works fine. Okay, so is this something you plan on selling? So I was wondering, like, if, you, if it's just a silk screen that's wrong, you could assemble the board for somebody else, sell it to them, but it's already working fine. So mm -hmm. recoup some of your cost, I think. Is sure. that your plan? I can or? even... I, I will... Uh, Pretty much, if you're on the Discord, you can DM me your address, and I'll send you a board for free. Right. Whip out the Sharpie or, and fix the silk screen. Yeah, and... <laughs> yeah. I'll, just, <laughs> I'll black out the wrong things. And <laughs> uh, if That's you not, have cause... a Gimme X, yeah, if you don't even have a Gimme X, you you can leave out the extra resistor and capacitor altogether, so those don't matter. Oh, okay. I mean, it just comes a regular 0.895 and 1.78 turbo light. Yeah. It's literally the exact same circuit that was in the rainbow all those years ago by uh, Richard Lorbieski. And I found out okay. later, actually just a couple weeks ago, I was looking through uh, the book, Tandy's Little Wonder, which is why it's on the table there. And that same circuit is in that book. Yeah, it's Frank so, Swaggart's book, which is freely available. Yeah, Frank he, has released it and it's on he, the archive. He was a yeah. collector. Yes. There and of course, we, we got the news uh, that uh, Ed Snyder has actually got some parts in now and is planning on yeah. ramping up Gimme X production again, which is good. Looking forward to that. Here you can see the Gimme X with my little extender cable that I made. That actually goes under the motherboard to a VGA socket that is not connected to anything at the time. Uh, I think for the testing, I was just using a, I had a, RGB port going out under the bottom. But there I want to show your little diagnostic thing here too, because you actually uh, showed the, the lights off while running a demo. Yeah. Yeah. Which so also showed you the my, speed gain. The proof of concept of just testing under basic. This was originally written to test uh, disabling the brake key, which gives about a 5% uh, speed boost under basic. And yet, there you can see the lights. Now, it looked like there that the uh, the middle and bottom, the uh, yellow and red, I assume is that orange and red? That's amber and red, yellow, I guess. Okay, because it looks like both came on when you went to double speed and stayed on with the triple, or is that just the lighting is not, it's not picking up the brightness properly, or it's kind of bleeding? Um, maybe back it up a little, it's, or, or go forward. It... Oh, went too far there. Yeah. Don't. I don't want to say it, sorry. I guess I get so I caught. I happened to look at it right when it must have kicked in the extra. 
Never because mind. this the difference in time from the double speed to the triple speed is a lot shorter. <laughs> yeah. And how did Tandy know to leave LED size square holes in the case? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, because it, it's a perfect fit pretty well, isn't it? It is. The the green one up top is a little looser because I've had it in and out a few times, but the other two are pretty well pressed fit. Like, you, you, are they perfect fit enough at, at the point where you don't even have to, like, put glue or anything on them? You just stick them there and they stay up on their own? Um, I have a... On one of my machines, it's loose enough that I had to put a little bit of like double stick tape on it, but I could still pull it out if I wanted to. But, uh, just they, fit, huh? Yeah. If you cool. just put it in there once and leave it in there, it'd probably be fine. Uh, take it out 50 times. Yeah. Life yeah, changes. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have a curious question here. What does it do if you're on a Coca One or Two? Because I'm assuming this would work in a Coca One or Two, right? It does. In fact, I have, I did a, a live stream just the other night, I think Wednesday night, I built one for this uh, Coco 2. Not this Coco 2, but the one that I sold to Tom Cherry Holmes. Okay. Because I was wondering, and like, the, the, the mode the 65495 mode has that where it speeds up the ROM addresses, but not the RAM. What does it do LED-wise right. on that particular case? I mean, basically... That that's the exact same turbo light that's in the book Tandy's Little Wonder that came out back in the early 80s for the Coco okay. One. So when you poke 65495, the turbo, the yellow turbo light comes on. And there would basically be nothing you could do to make the three megahertz light come on, short of right. well, I was wondering if it knew clock. the difference between the 65497 and the 65495, because one is ROM speed up only, and the other was ROM and RAM. I don't know if that was. Taking into consideration, well, it's, it's basically the clock speed doubles, and as far as the ROM versus RAM, that's all handled by software. Okay. Okay, so you won't know, yeah, from here, right? Or is this switching and, in it? Does it switch in and out when it goes between ROM and RAM? Well, I didn't see any flickering, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just curious because I mean that's that's one thing we always had to remember. You could do you know full double speed on a Coco One or Two, but you had to do it for brief times because the screen goes bonkers, and if you let it go too long, the RAM refresh starts to fail, and then your program corrupts itself. Uh, but some games and stuff used it, or music compilers and stuff used it to get you know better <laughs> quality sound or whatever. But it would turn on du full double speed and then shut it off for a little bit to let the RAM refresh catch up, and then turn it back on again and you know keep going like mm -hmm. that. There's even that Asteroids RX game we did recently on the game on Challenge that turns on full double speed to do the calculations for asteroid movement and stuff on the V-blank and then turns it back off. And because it's on V-blank, it doesn't corrupt the screen, so it actually looks like it's playing right. perfectly normal, but it is kicking in full double speed every once in a while. Yeah. And it's actually cool having these LEDs that flicker when it's doing that. It's kind of cool to see it and you know know that it's doing that stuff in the background. Yeah. Another so now we have to about these put... uh, little LEDs real quick is that uh, they are super uh, low current, high brightness LEDs at 20 milliamps. They were so bright that I was almost blinded by them. I put <laughs> instead of 100 ohm resistors, they've got 1K resistors. <laughs> They're drawing 2 milliamps and that brightness. And still blowing the camera out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, we have to now write our useless software program that keeps flipping the speeds all over the place so that you get the Star Trek, you know, lights at the bottom of the V. Oh, yeah, right. Across. The Cylon Eye and stuff going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we need to so, figure out how to hook one up to the serial port or something. So I, I didn't put your live stream in here. So your live stream, you basically covered the Coco One Two version of it. Is that what you did? And just kind of showed it live, or? Yeah, basically, I just uh, so you saw at the beginning of this uh, video, I had nine boards left on there. So on my second stream, I actually snap off that one sticking Tail. out and uh, build it up. And the other, there would be no difference between a Coco One and Two in this case. It none, should work in either. None whatsoever. Cool. And it should work in a dragon too, I would suspect. Yeah, it'll work in a dragon. I don't know, maybe even an MC10 if it has the same clock speeds. I don't think it does, does it? Because that's a 6803, not a 6809. I don't know if they do a turbo speed or not. But... And technically, it could be calibrated to work at any clock speed. If you have any computer with dual clock speeds, it could be calibrated to work at them. I had to go into the data sheet for the 74HC123 and find the graph to calculate, you know, based on how many nanoseconds you want, what value capacitor and resistor to use. And of course, it's pretty vague, so you have to put it together and then tinker with it to get it, you know, finite value. No, it's cool because I mean, I think the most popular one to do back in the day was the uh, just the power LED. Basically, had power turned on so you yeah. could see the screen. Yeah. Um, I I know some of the people put it in the halt switch, linked up an LED to that too, so that you can flip the halt uh, pin on the six eight zero nine to pause a game or whatever. And they would hook up a like light a to that idea. so you can see if it's you know you yeah. can tell the game was just paused, not frozen. <laughs> then you can have a pause <laughs> button on games that don't have a pause button. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> that was the beauty of the Sam Flash gaming. The CPU didn't have to keep the RAM going. It could just stop for a while. Right. Yeah. So another thing I've got on these uh, boards that I, I've got some parts on order. Um, I ordered some magnetic connectors so that you don't have to fiddle with the pins so much. You'll be able to just snap it on there. Cool. Cool. Now, if you you said you're just going to give away the boards, or are you planning on eventually doing like fully constructed, ready to go? People just have to kind of plug them in, or yeah, I could probably do you know some built ones for people who don't like to solder, or you know throw together. I wonder who you kit. might be referring to there. Um, yeah, right, how much uh, would that be? You know, <laughs> how much? Ultimately, be ultimately, I'm I'm not doing it for a profit. Just trying to at least break even. So I yeah. think uh, I could probably send a board as a kit with all the parts including like a led with header wires and everything under 10 bucks i mean including shipping you're you're too, you're too low man you're talking and for, about for ron and me who hate soldering what what would a price of a fully assembled yeah, exactly. one be you think right. i don't know i would have to think about it but maybe like 20 with bucks, shipping maybe that's 20 be bucks 60 bucks shipping. Because you're talking, you know, the panel is, you know, only a few dollars, but it's 70 bucks to get it shipped from China. So you have to kind of fit that into your estimations here. And I guess the, the final question related to that, uh, Bob, are you going to be able to make it out to Cocoa Fest this year so we can just pick one up and you can save all the shipping crap? I'm going to do my best. That's kind of a goal I have in mind. Yeah. Okay, cool. Ron, you might have to come out to Coco Fest again this year. I'm gonna. I'll be there. Awesome. Better. 
I'm going because I invited my son to come with me. And so oh, we cool. Together. Yeah. Okay. So thanks, Bob. Uh, definitely go check out his video and get all the audio details from him. He's working on this. And also check out the live stream you did on the Coco 121, which I somehow missed. I didn't really publish any news about that one. I just kind of started streaming and let it go. Scalabjorn in uh, in the chat says, "Oh hell, is twenty assembled? Nope, I pay thirty plus for that. Time is money. That's exactly my thought. <laughs> right, and right. He did do soldering in a lot of hardware projects back in the day, and now he's he's kind of reformed, I guess. Well, yeah, <laughs> he's had his share of soldering, so I get that. <laughs> okay, next up, this is uh, something actually that had happened a while ago, but I I missed it. Um, so David Weens, who did a lot of the hardware projects for um, Sardis Technologies, including the 8K and 32K cache no-hope floppy disk controllers, which is the one that Bill Noble had, which he extremely liked. It was much faster than the uh, even the Disto or some of the other ones that were available at the time. But uh, he's been gradually kind of gathering up documentation, uh, making disk images, and even has the original commented source code for some of this stuff. And he's made the MSF uh, MS-DOS file manager for OS9 available for download. And Bill and I use this at work. We actually purchased this. In fact, I scanned the manual because he couldn't find his. Send it up to David so you can actually download that too. That's actually my original one from work. But this is a, a file manager you put in in addition to RBF. So RBF will handle your OS9 disk images and will also you know, indirectly handle your RS you know, disk basic in images as well. MSF will handle MS-DOS disks, but natively. So... Right now, if you want to transfer files between MS-DOS disks, they load it onto an OS9 system or vice versa, use the PC-DOS command. You do one file at a time, and it's slower than hell because it has to double buffer every sector because the sectors are 512 bytes and the Cocos are 256. RBF only knows how to deal with 256. So if you want to read a physical 512-byte sector, it has to go read it twice. It probably could be you know fancied up a bit with a cache. But MSF was meant to be native. So basically, it comes with its own versions of commands like format and attribute and copy and a bunch of other things that are smart enough to understand both OS9 and MS-DOS formats. You, if you want to copy a file from an MS-DOS disk to an OS9 hard drive image, you just do MS-copy slash A for the A drive or B slash B for the B drive to slash DD, and that's it, and it just does it. And it does it at full native speed, so it's it runs as fast as it would if it was just a regular OS9 disk. Now, it does take a fair bit of system memory. I think the MSF file manager is like 4.5K. It requires the SDisk3 driver, which has already been made publicly available by um, David Weems. And that one is an enhanced version of CC3 disk, so it natively handles 128, 256, 512, and 1024 byte sectors. It can read all four of those. It can read standard OS9 format disks from like gimmicks and a bunch of other machines that had that first track being single density, kind of like flex disks do to identify it. So that allows you to read and write those as well. Um, now, Dave, Todd Wallace, Lord Dragon's actually been fiddling with this. He's got it reading disks already. Um, he's got some problems right now with writing, and that might have been changes done to Nitrous 9 over the years, because I I know it ran on Nitrous 9 2.01. That's what we ran at work, and it worked fine. So something between then and now has changed. So he's kind of tracking it down now that he's got the official commented source code. Uh, but once he gets that all working, probably won't be for the next release of EOU, but I might... I'm seriously considering replacing the WD1773 driver currently in there for the standard, you know, Tandy style microware controllers or Tandy controllers, microware uh, uh, original uh, driver for the disk drive. 
and replacing with the SSD three one because the size difference between those two is not that much, uh, but it has so many extra features on it and support for the bigger sectors, et cetera, that I think it's worth it. Plus, it's it's it generally just works better, honestly. Um, there's like direct, you know, a sector access is direct track access and a bunch of other things added onto it too. And it'll give you the opportunity if you if you are working with MS-DOS disk or plan on doing that, then you can install MSF as well. Now you probably have to kill like Cowin and a few other things to get enough room for it all. Um, we're getting a bit tight on space there, but uh, if you are going to be working with a lot of disks, say you backed up your Coco years and years ago on on a whole whack load of three and a half inch floppies or something, there you begin be able to natively copy them across quickly. It'll just take a couple minutes of disk instead of you know writing batch files and all kinds of crap. So, um, it's really cool that he's got this up there. He's actually been putting up some other stuff too, including some Cocoa and just generic OSIN stuff as well. So I thought I'll just briefly mention a few of those here. Um, so he's got support for a bunch of things here, like the ST twenty nine hundred computer system, uh, including you know specific boards for that particular system. He's got stuff on Flex as well. He's got uh, the drivers, common and source code drivers for DMC and the complete history of the DMC controller. That's the one we we're talking about earlier with the 8 and 32K cache. And then all these other OS9 systems that he's done work with you know, over the years, the Microbox 2, the MicroKey, the Compact, the Artisan, the Chandler. Some of these I've never even heard of. The Gimmick 609 CPU 3, which is a really, really decent one that used to cost six grand back in the day. Um, he's also got the ClearBook uh, software group IMS database. You can download that and the accounting software that he wrote for it. Um, just a lot of stuff, a lot of cool stuff. If you're really into 6809 stuff from back in the early 80s and not just on the Cocoa, but uh, in general, uh, OS9 systems, etc. There's a ton of stuff. He's got some history on here. He's got drivers on here. He's got manuals on here. And he's gradually adding to it as he finds stuff going through all of the stuff here because he's kind of retired. So um a lot of good stuff on here, but yeah, the MSF being up there was really cool, and he got the original soft or source code for both SDS three and MSF. So uh, I'll keep you guys posted as far as Todd Wallace trying to get the writing part of it working, so you can write to an MS DOS disk. That's the one thing he was having a bit of an issue with, but he could read fine. But uh, I'll keep you guys posted. Awesome. Next up, um, Coco Crew podcast. Uh, Boise did another interview here, which he put up with Kathy Parr. And for those of you who are not familiar with that name, uh, she was in charge of uh, Tandy subsidiary A&A Electronics. And these were the people in charge of getting parts for Tandy computers and other products like resistors and chips and capacitors and all kinds of stuff. And uh, so they go through the history there. They go through some specific stuff about the Cocoa. They even talk about the Deluxe Cocoa for a little bit. Uh, so that's a really good interview uh, that Boise did with her. And uh, I remember reading about this in the uh, official Tandy magazine for their employees, which was, uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of it is. Uh, was it Insider or something like that? Or Intercom? Maybe it was Intercom. You can get those on RadioShackCatalogs.com, but you can actually read some of the stuff that was sent to staff, basically. And there's some mention of the a Electronics here being their main purchaser for organizing, getting chips, et cetera. So that's a really good interview. Definitely go check that one out. Available on YouTube and I'm assuming as a podcast format as well. Uh, George Jansen, he put up a couple episodes here. Uh, it's a two-parter again, kind of like he did last time. And this is covering the MMU. And this is a complicated subject if, you, if you're not familiar with how that thing works and you've never worked with something like that before. It can be quite confusing. 
So George does his best to break it down. So the first part, uh, which is almost half an hour by itself, is just explaining what an MMU is, how it works with memory, how you do mapping, et cetera. Um, that you can do stuff like duplicate the same block in multiple slots in the 6809 workspace, task registers, everything else. And then the second part is where he gets into actually writing some sample programs for it in 6809 assembly language. So you get both the uh, kind of the background of how the whole thing works and what it's supposed to do. And then you get some actual code in part two to actually play around with it. So if you've never done any machine language programming with MMU, though he does show you how to do some manipulation of this in basic, just using poke as well. Um, one really good example he does, he maps in the uh, part where your 32 column screen is. He maps into three blocks in a row. And then he shows if you poke it like, you know, 0, 0, 0,400, and then at 2,400, these are in hex, and 4,400, that it actually will affect the same screen because you've literally mapped that same block into all three of the first slots of the MMU. So it kind of gives you a nice visual representation of what's going on. And that's literally how I finally figured out how the stupid thing worked was doing stuff like that myself back in the day. So uh, definitely worthwhile to check this one out because uh, you will need this when you start working with Coco 3 graphics, which is something he's planning on getting onto a little bit later because you can't fit everything in at once because uh, the screen itself by itself is 32K. If you want to do double buffering, well, that's 64K. Now, where's your program going to live? Because you just used every single last you know single space that the six eight zero nine can directly access, so this gets you some good background to get into Coco three game development or graphics development. So definitely go check that out, both parts, on his YouTube page. Once again, all the links for this are in the show notes that you can get on the Coco Discord. Uh, next up, it was just announced this past week that the next trash tra live trash talk show. Uh, on YouTube will be December the 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern, which is five hours after we start, so we might be done by then. Um, <laughs> and this covers all tier Sadies, of course, um, and Coco's. Uh, Coco, probably not as much. I might see if I can sneak onto that one, because uh, I was supposed to talk about Nitrous 90s abuse release, you know, 1.0.0 last year, and I never got a chance to, so maybe I'll update it. I'm also working on 101 right now. I've kind of got that solidified as to what my freeze point is going to be as to what to put on for bug fixes and additional programs, et cetera. So I'm going to try to shoot to get that out by the end of the year too. So maybe I'll talk a bit about it on there uh, as well as talking about it on our show. So it's December 16th, 7 PM. So that's literally next weekend. Uh, next up now, I believe this man is in our chat. He's been on our uh, game on challenge. Now is it two weeks in a row, Ken, or just this week? I can't remember now. Or Sloopy, for that matter. They're both asleep. I, they're both asleep? Yeah, they wandered <laughs> away. Yep. Yeah, they so, finished. I think it was both. Okay. So he just started a YouTube channel called The Break Key, and we covered his first video last week, and I think it was December 3rd was the very first YouTube video we ever released, period. Uh, he said, yeah, he's still in the chat, and he said, hello, yes, he was on for Neutroid. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's coming, uh, building a drive wire cable here this time around, <clears throat> and he covers uh, both the physical construction of the cable, how to get the Pi drive wire server that Mikey did up and running, uh, troubleshooting, getting it up and, and working properly, uh, how to load your HDB DOS on a cassette-based system so that you can actually you know, start accessing the actual disk. 
and demonstrates that working as well. Hopefully he gets a Cocoa SDC soon. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, dry wire I'd use for definitely for some uh, some things if I had it physically, you know, oriented the way I wanted it here, I, I don't. Uh, but the SDC is also just a lot easier to get set up. You don't have to load stuff because I'm assuming he does not have a disk controller of any sort at this point. You correct me if I'm wrong in there. Mm -hmm. uh, but definitely check that one out. I'm looking forward to his next one. He's actually planning on doing a... Uh, I think he's going to do something else with DriveWire at the end, I think he mentioned. Unless I'm getting confused with a different video because there's so many stuff I was trying to cram through the last two days here to get this all ready. But uh, yeah, we're going to try to have him on on the panel next week. And we're going to try to do a full interview with him uh, probably in early February, I think. Because uh, since we have a couple others already booked in January, we're not doing any more in December. So look forward to that and learning his Cocoa history. And he does mention in the chat here he is planning on doing a Joypad. Cool. I don't know why the hell I was on this show. I was hoping Slippy would be here to explain this uh, a little bit better, but I don't think he's here. So uh, this is one that Stevie was on, I think, on their second episode or something, like really early on in the show. So it's one that usually runs about once every two weeks. It's called Retro Repair Roundup, and it's basically a hardware-oriented show. So I'm like a complete duck out of water in this one. I'm but I got to ramble on about Nitrous 9 for an hour, so that was good. Well, for me anyway. I'm here. Um, <laughs> Oh, you are here, Slippy. So what, what is the basic premise of Retro Repair Roundup? Like, what is its main focus? Uh, like, is it certain machines or is it all general hardware or what? It's basically just a group of friends that uh, do a uh, roundup of what they've done during the week, during the previous two weeks, what they're working on, uh, updates. It's sort of like an entire episode of Project Updates and Acquisitions done every two <laughs> And... It's very Apple centric, um, Apple II, Mac, because the people that are involved are are predominantly Apple II centric, or they're, they're predominantly people. Apple centric. Yeah, they're they're your people. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's uh, Joe uh, Strohsnyder, uh, Javier Rivera, and um, uh, and that other person I don't remember her name. Um, Karina. Yes, that's it. Okay, that's um, that's the regulars, and then they usually have a guest on every week as well, or, yeah, or every two weeks. Guest or two, and and it's every two weeks. Um, yeah, Trina's in uh, is the uh, one responsible for getting the guest usually. So, and they're they're trying to expand out and uh, get more people and and uh, different systems involved so that they can. Uh, yeah, because remember they brought Stevie on about the Coco like an episode two or three, like way back when they first started the show. Yeah, that's because uh, Javier knows Steve from uh, down in the. Uh, they they're both in the Florida area. The Florida Retro Group. Yeah, and they're in okay. the group. So, so. And I know they had they had a special one about women in in retro too. Like Taylor and Amy were guests on it as well as Trina. Trina was hosting it, and I think they had a couple others I can't remember off the top of my head, but that was. Yeah, they had about they. They're gonna. They had one, and they're gonna be having another one with a lot more uh, women in retro. Um, I've been on the show too for the uh, when I was at uh, VCF Midwest. Oh, cool! So you know you're not you're not the only one. No, I just confused because at least you're a hardware person. Taylor and Amy are hardware you know people, and I'm not at all. It's <laughs> like, like I solder my hair, so I even talked about that well, on the show. Yeah, let's point to it was point. Go ahead, Rick. I was just going to say, let's point to this board. It was drawn by somebody with a Sharpie. 
Yeah, I was, I was about to yeah. say. <laughs> can anyone guess what this uh, uh, board is on the screen? I reckon it's a Apple CPM card. But... I see 32K of uh, There's a Z88 on the bottom, so yeah. yeah. And, and 32K of flash RAM there. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. something impressive. But somebody drew this with a Sharpie by hand. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. This is a uh, Apple CPM card. But uh, it is all right. There you go. But uh, I cannot confirm nor deny any allegations that when they were discussing uh, questions to talk to you about that uh, the whole soldering thing was brought up. And I said, well, I don't know all the uh, fine details. So <laughs> maybe that would be a good thing for you to ask. On the show, on the show. That was the one way to tie me with hardware. Anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, they're not limited to just hardware. I mean, Hardware, software, any any anything that's retro related that you're working on is is good. Okay, I didn't realize that because I know when Stevie was on it, it's it sounded at that time it was meant to be just a hardware show. Yeah, it's somebody asked to remind us about the safety. Yeah, it's predominantly about hardware, but I mean, (laughs) significant software projects are also the 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 two main people. uh, Joe and uh, yeah, Joe. Joe is is predominantly a hardware person, like electronics, and Javier is a hardware, but more in the design of like cases and and things. Uh, Javier is the retrobrite specialist of the Apple world. Yes, he's <laughs> also the retrobrite specialist. Um, he's not uh, very. He's about as well versed in electronics as you are, Curtis. Oh, is he the one that wrecked his Coco Three? Yes. That we talked about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he 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 didn't burn his hair, so he continued to try using a soldering iron, and and yeah, and damaged his cocoa three, so it doesn't burn anymore. everything yeah. else. <laughs> I've mean, just done some. Yeah, I'm just glad he didn't ruin my cocoa SDC. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Mark. Um, so Javier has done some very interesting um, hardware mods. So predominantly with the Apple II C, the portable, there was little nine inch monitor. And he's taken a bunch of these uh, nine-inch monitor cases, take the CRT out of it, and put in a flat uh, screen, and turned them into basically an LCD monitor in a existing nice. case. So they become color nine-inch monitors in a classic <laughs> Apple case. Very nice, very nice work. It's like you wouldn't yes. know that it was repacked. Much better than a fish tank. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So he does some very good work. I've known Javier from from the internet for many years. So. Yes. Um, okay, so maybe I have to go pimp myself on that show again when I actually have EOU 101 ready to release. Sure. Because this just came out of the blue. I got told two days before I was going to be on. Like, do you want to be on it? Oh, okay. What are we talking about? I don't know. <laughs> that was the end of it. Yeah, well, Joe keeps forgetting to, oh, when's the show? And and Trina has to remind him. And Trina was, uh, she was just taking a break from the internet for a few days, so. They were like Friday, and they're like, "Oh, Sunday's a show. We need to find a uh, a, a guest." And uh, so someone recommended you, and it was not me. Someone recommended <laughs> you, and Trina's like, yeah, "That's a great idea." I think, I think the word "sucker" is what she used. <laughs> that could be. We need a sucker. <laughs> yes. So. Hey, if you want to hear me ramble about Nitrous Nine for an hour, there, there you go. Okay, I've got to go. I. You've been warned. Everyone uh, have a good day. Good yeah. night, sir. Later, Slippy. Next up, this just happened this week, too. So uh, 
we've now got a new Let's Flux see. operating system page on Facebook. Uh, I was sent an invite to it, so I joined because I've actually got some things. Oh, I should mention. Um, I, I'm going to be doing a bit more testing on it. But uh, when we're talking about MSF and stuff before, Dave Weens has also got a product that he wrote back in the day called OSF. And what that was was to run Flex as a task under OS 9. And he's put up the disk image for that. I gave it a quick try, and it works. In fact, you can run multiple copies of it if you want to, to run multiple Flex sessions. Um, I'm not fully enough for Flex to do too much with it, so I ran like a cat and a list and a few other things, and that was about it. Um, but that's also available for download on his site, and I'm going to possibly, i got to test it with the 639 version of the Gimme X to make sure it works properly with there. But if it does work, I might include Flex as something you could run under OS 9 on the next version of EOU as well. Uh, just had to do a bit more testing, make sure it's stable enough to try that. But anyway, uh, as a side here, we've got a Flex operating system, the original technical system consultants Inc. Uh, logo for it up here that uh, has already got 37 members. They just started this group like literally two or three days ago. And uh, so any of you that are interested in Flex, and Flex, of course, until OS 9 Level 1 came out, was the most popular non-Tandy operating system for the Cocoa and had a lot of business software, a lot of language support for stuff like Forth and C and small C and compiled basic and a whole bunch of other things on there. Uh, more meant to be a business language or a business operating system than a, a home one, but a lot of people did use it for all kinds of things. And of course, Mikey has been doing his uh, flexing the Cocoa series, covering Frank Hogg's flex for the uh, Cocoa as well. I've not tried stuff uh, like the Frank Hogg flex under the one no, that uh, comes with OSF. The one he's using, I think, is flex version 3.01 or something like that. And I think I don't know. I think that the the uh, version numbers between the various releases of Flex, and there's at least four for the Cocoa that I know of, basically had nothing to do with uh, each other. So I don't really know what numbers mean what in it at all. Uh, since Mikey's much more versed, and I'm hoping he gets a chance to try it and he can kind of guide me down the right path. But I know like TSC directly themselves made one, Spectral made one, Frank Hogg made one, and the fourth one I can't remember. Steve O'Neill, I think, did it, if I remember correctly. But basically, there was four versions of Flex port to the Cocoa. And each of them had their own little enhancements, et cetera. So anyway, if you're interested in Flex uh, and you're on Facebook, this is definitely a group worth uh, joining. They haven't got too much on there because they literally just started. But uh, if you have questions, et cetera, about Flex, you're going to get some of the Flex experts here, some of the people that actually wrote some of the software back in the day. Uh, now talking, Thomas Cherry Home. So uh, Bob was mentioning that earlier. He's got one of his uh, Cocoa 2s here to fix up. So he's been working on getting FujiNet uh, up and running on the Cocoa. And he's got a couple of updates he did this week. Um, the first one is he's got cassette emulation for the Bootstrap successful. So he actually uh, can boot and load HTTP DOS from cassette, and then that actually loads the drivers, and he can actually go across and hit FujiNet. Now he's going, he's talking about doing the deload Bootstrap. I don't know if he's still doing that or not, because deload was a command like the Cocoa 1 and 2 had, and it's kind of been overwritten on the Cocoa 3 basic, so it doesn't work. Yeah, and he did it. He moved oh, yeah. Drivewire. Okay. Oh, through Drivewire, you said? Yeah. Okay. Not, yeah. not D-load, then. He's doing both. Oh, okay. So I know you put a video here, which I haven't had a chance to watch. You're going to watch it live with me here. I haven't seen it, so... It's good. It, it's described as uh, FujiNet for Cocoa is starting to work, shown here after bootstrapping a copy of HTTP DOS via cassette bootstrap emulation, booting a copy of Canon Climber from Oracle Cloud. Okay. 
have here a FujiNet ESP32 going to Coco to the serial and uh, cassette doing cassette emulation. As part of the cassette circuit, though, we need an amplifier because this thing only accepts audio signals. So we have an LM386 amplifier here providing the audio signal coming from the DAC on the uh, ESC32 out. So fun stuff. This is a this is a point of failure right here, and we're going to have to figure out how to take and make this extremely reliable. Ugh. I'm going on record as saying as I hate this cassette circuit. I hate the Coco's cassette circuit with a passion. It is horrible. So, we go ahead, we've loaded in the bootstrap for HDB DOS here. We exec in. And now we can basically come over here. And we've got a console right over here. Uh... That has the FujiNet here. If I take, for example, and go here, we have a web interface, and I will go ahead and mount all slots. And we'll see that we have Canyon Climber here mounted. This is being loaded off the network here. This is being loaded from a cloud server. So if I take that now and do a directory. This is now in drive zero. If I do a directory, we should see. There's Canyon Bin right there. Again, this is coming off of the network. So, load M. Load M Canyon. And if we come over here, we will see the disk sectors come across. Bang, 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 bang. Okay. All right, load M happened. That came across the network. And if we do an exec, there she is. Yay. Okay, there we go. So Alan, you're probably more familiar with this project uh, at this, this point than I am. Um... First of all, I don't understand what what's the big complaint about the cassette interface because actually I thought we had one of the better ones for the machines. Faster, um, seems to be more yeah, reliable. So My tapes still work. <laughs> the uh, that exact topic came up this morning um, because I asked that exact question. Wait, I thought the Coco had a really decent tape thing, and uh, apparently it didn't. Well, oh. and. What it is, is it's the zero crossing detector and how finicky and per perfect some of the stuff has to be to, to jam out of the ESP. Yes. So it was completely hideous. And I mentioned or for him to get it to, to sync up and do what it needs to do. And, and I mentioned, well, that's probably why back in the day we would all sit around and go, oh, um, you have to fiddle with the volume forever. And once you got the exact right volume setting, you just super glue the volume control in place and don't ever mess with it again. Yes. Until <laughs> so, you bought a different brand of tape and your yeah. playback volume changed slightly. Yeah. So the, the Jeez, exact... I never I never had these problems. Like I, I could vary mine between like five and eight on mine volume wise. And I can, was using can, from T120s down to T10s and I didn't have problems at all. The cassette circuit on my ZX81 was both faster and more reliable than the Coco. And that was a $69 computer. 
And see, a, a friend of mine that had a ZX81 here, as we call them, and he had far worse because he had both a Coco 2 and a ZX81, hmm. and he had tremendous problems with ZX81. Interesting. I, so yeah, is it, it maybe the cassette recorder is the problem more than the circuit? I, I don't know. The deck, but his exact answer was the way the decoder is implemented, there is no margin for error whatsoever. I. I can do WeFax with mine real well. So, so, so the the zero crossing detector has to be perfect in the analog section. There's no way to fix it in the digital part. It just has to work, or it doesn't. That's yeah. it. Okay. And mm. for a while, he was fighting with uh, his actual Coco itself. May have a hardware issue in either the salt chip or the PIA. And that's what Bob's that's working on. Yes, yeah, yeah, same thing. Out. Yeah, everyone kind of comes to the same wall. I found my ZX81 that I have right here still um, was very finicky with the uh, tone level, uh, and so yep. I had to look. Yeah, I had tone. a Microset Nine, which was a which was a Radio Shack kind of horizontal little brick uh, silver, and so yeah, I'd have to adjust the tone. So the tone was just as important as the volume in order to get it to load properly. Yeah, I, I remember he uh, Melvin was his name. He had way more problems with the ZX than the Coco. Hmm. And, and the way Here's that the they're setting this up is that it plugs into both cassette and serial, and it's making the HDB DOS available over the deload command if okay. you have nothing else. So if you have HDB DOS and ROM, then you can just turn it on and go straight into the, the Fujinetti side of the life. But if you don't have an HDB DOS ROM, then you can deload up one right off of this solution that they're putting together and then switch over to the drivewire side of life and keep going with the uh, Wi-Fi. Can you so, remind cool. us what deload does? Because yeah, it's not it, a deload is... It pulls in all of your code. So the idea was for a school to have a, a hub. And we have this on the show at one point. Uh, there's some guys in Georgia with a museum that have actually got one of these that they're setting up to demo and, and stuff in, in a museum setting. But the idea is you have a teacher Coco or Tandy machine hooked up to a big switch that then plugs in cassette cables all over the place to all the student Cocos and the, the teacher would put in whatever needs to be shared out and all the students could do their C load or D load or whatever to get that, whatever the teacher was trying to share. Yeah. The network two controller that Radio Shack sold did that. Right. And there was a cassette version and there's a serial version. And what D load does is it's, it's kind of like an X modem command, but it's built into the Coco one and two ROM so that you can quickly grab stuff off of some other machine over the serial port. And um, a couple of years ago, like John Linville ran into some stuff with it and he was posting some stuff on the mailing list about how it worked. And uh, Mark Chamberlain's protocol document started floating around that actually described exactly how deload works. Yeah. And Mark Chamberlain's from Microsoft originally. Well, does and, it grab everything all at once, or oh, no, no, it's a serial it port, so it has three hundred or twelve hundred baud. You pick three hundred by default, or you can say deload a thing, comma one, 
and it will do it at 1200. And there is a deload M command to load binary over it. By default, deload will do like basic files, but uh, you can do deload M mm -hmm. and deload M uh, comma one. And when I was first playing with it to test Mikey's deload added to Pi Drivewire, uh, I loaded up Rally SG over deload, which was kind of fun because you know just deload M, and now I'm in a semi-graphics game, and it kind of really felt like 1983. So it, it auto executes <laughs> when it comes in. No, no. Oh, because you made it sound like that. Nope. Just now. No, nope. you still hit exec or run or whatever. Right, no, what's it's, the difference it's, between that and C load M? Well, well because C load it through is, the bit banger instead of through the cassette port. So think cassette is serial and D load is, yeah, the bit banger. It's the other way around. Simple as that. Well, okay, yeah, you got the cassette and the bit banger. So cassette and D load. Yeah, C load C stands for cassette and D. I don't know what it stands for technically, but uh, it's basically the bit bank, the serial data, port in the back. That's the confusing part. Just data, data load. It loads over the serial. Ah, right. So same thing, only different. It's <laughs> actually mostly the same interpreter in Basic. It just has two different routines that are loading the blocks. And the Cocoa Three dropped the D load, right? Yes. It, yes. Overrode it, and so if you do a deload on a Coco Three, it will reset. Uh, warm uh, boot reset. Right, right, yeah, right. the cassette part still works there, but yeah. the... so yeah, the FujiNet bring up uh, seems to have finally unlog jammed somewhat, and well, what, uh, this what? was I don't a... see I don't see any advantage. Well, uh, if you notice in that video, Ron, like he's loading from the net. He's not loading from yes. a local computer. He's got tied with a null serial cable. He loaded it from over the internet. So yeah, now you can access Cocoa California. software over the internet directly. Like you'd like, let's say you could be, power up your Cocoa and download directly from the Color Computer Archive. Like, don't even uh, need a Cocoa STC. Right, because deload's already there. You don't have to get some program to get your other program. Well, You've already got so deload. Deload mm -hmm. gets you to the drive wire. Drive wire can work and now do what it wants but fuji net but, but that's your but that's your crowbar in if you have deload which you do yeah on a coca one and two then you can go on you don't have to get some other program somehow and load it or, from a cassette or blah 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 or you, you can put dos and rom like um some folks have done uh I, I think there's some people that have put it on their rs232 pack so, you know, you have an RS-232 pack in there and you power on, you got HTB DOS and you have yep. a serial port. So now there's another advantage to FujiNet too. We haven't discussed yet. And this is actually when we had Tom on the show a couple of years back, he talked about this. FujiNet is not just Cocoa. That's a cross-platform protocol. So you could technically start hooking up computers like Apple IIs, Coleco Atoms, mm -hmm. Atari 400-800s, Cocos all together. And then you could actually say write a multiplayer game that uses the same protocol between all of them and totally different computers can play head to head literally against each other over the net. Um games, for example. Pluto could probably do that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. What what sorry was that? Pluto. In a Pluto. In a Pluto. Yeah. The game the game king. But that, that was the whole point behind FujiNet is that they wanted a way to pull stuff off the net and also have 8-bit computers talk to each other over the net, irregardless of which 8-bit computer it is. Because right. it's a common protocol for all of them. Well, isn't that what a VBS does? 
No, because you're playing the game on the BBS. The BBS host computer is the one controlling the game. No, you talked about um, talking with other computer users uh, uh, together, and you do that on a BBS. No, yeah, directly. Not yeah, not directly. through not through some third party. You can talk to each other directly. Yeah, that's right. Like, the, the PBS like would be the third party. In uh, this case, you can make connections to websites, shared game servers, whatever. It, or a BBS. There, there is nothing that would stop a BBS from supporting incoming Fuji connections. I wonder, like uh, P fifty one Mustang, where you could go head to head with two computers. Yeah. Yes. So now with FujiNet, be because it's an like actual in network protocol, you can actually have more than two computers hooked up. Right. It's just an expansion on that on that type but, of idea. Yeah. You don't you don't need someone between the two of you necessarily. Yeah, like BBS hosted games, you usually like even if it was a multiplayer game, you'd have multiple people log in, but the main BBS computer is the one controlling the whole thing. Well, how yeah. is that different than the card that uh, Rick made? It really isn't. It's a network transport, except okay. that well, they also have a infrastructure behind it. Well, they're, they're kind of using serial. Is there? They're using serial as their transport, I think, or we're using Ethernet as mm -hmm. ours. But right. same thing, only different. Serial to serial to Wi-Fi, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's um, it's similar in principle. Um, the the thing with the FujiNet is that it's got this background of having all these other machines already done and more still coming online. It's kind of like Pi DriveWire in a card for all all the other kind of computers that aren't Pi DriveWire. Yeah, because right now DriveWire is uniquely a Cocoa system; it only works with Cocos and Dragons, I guess. Like even the MC10s isn't the same. You can't run DriveWire and MC10. It's similar, but it's not the exact same thing. FujiNet tries to make the protocol exact same. So if you have an Atari and an Atom, a Commodore 64, an Apple II, a Coco, they all can talk the exact same language to each other. And if you want to do much, like uh, uh, Mark, you had showed off uh, one of the Apple FujiNet games at one point. It was a car racing game. Uh, actually, yeah, that predates FujiNet, actually. That one's called 8-Bit Slicks, and oh. they have their own system and server. Oh, okay. But similar, similar in principle, because you could play that against Very Atari similar, people yes. or yes, whatever. Yes, Atari else. and Commodore. Yeah, Oric, basically, and Nintendo, basically 6502 okay. systems. So when, when you're doing that, um, everybody's working on a similar or an even playground as far as uh, speed of their processor, you know, and, yes, and that communicating. Is true too. Yes. The step yeah. is a tip. Turn is a turn, yeah. So nobody's going to uh, have an advantage over another because their machine's faster. No, that, that exactly exactly that is okay. that it smooths out and becomes a common translation layer. Okay. Yeah, because basically it communicates at the same speed, so you know moves or you know, my car turned right three you degrees and accelerated. Turn. You took your turn. You took your turn. We don't care how fast you were. You get your slot. Your yeah. <laughs> I mean, the slower machines will be just, you know, keeping up as fast as they can with what's going on. The really, really fast machines will, you know, wait. get the data, upgrade, update your screen to show where you turn and then, you know, wait for 10 milliseconds yeah. while everybody else catches up, I think. But everybody's right. locked at the same speed. Okay. I guess that's what made it easier to think about. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's a good project. And I know he was trying to, you know, drum up support a couple of years back. And I mean, you know, he'd asked me and, and I'm sure some other people about, you know, actually working on it and stuff, but I, I'm, I was too busy with all the other projects. I, I didn't really want to take on another large one. I can't keep up with the ones I got now. 
but I'm really glad he's actually making progress on his own. He's actually coming along pretty quickly now. So the, once this is all done, you'll be able to, you know, start writing games that run on multiple platforms and play against those on multiple platforms. On the Coco Discord, he has also posted the info to the FujiNet Discord, and there is a dedicated Coco channel there, and there is a dedicated TRS-80 channel for the model oh, cool. and three folks there. So if you have an interest in helping with this project, including things like testing, documentation, uh, all of that, then uh, it'd be, heck, Ron, maybe they want a Coco FujiNet logo. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, if you get, you know, they're, they are talking about it a bit in the DriveWire channel on the Coco Discord, um, but they are also talking about it with folks, other folks who are working on the software uh, on the FujiNet Discord, and the information to get to that is on the DriveWire channel of the Coco Discord as well. Or how ping did, me when you're on the Discord, and I'll dig it up and, you know, help the name steer you toward What? How did the name come about? Um, the logo for the Atari Corporation is a stylized version of Mount Fuji in Japan. And Atari is, uh, was coined as a Japanese word. So the idea is FujiNet, I believe, started on Atari 8-bit computers or was very early in it uh, as far as working. And so they've adopted, I mean, Fuji is just a big thing around the Atari community. So mm -hmm. FujiNet is a, essentially started as AtariNet and then has branched out into many other similar type era retro machines. And I could, please, could be completely wrong. Uh, I am a kibitzer. I am no by no means a FujiNet expert. That's my understanding, too, is that Fuji has a real tie-in with Atari because that is the first system they developed for, and that's where Thomas Jerry Holmes is and uh, the other people, the background they came out of. So um, with with, with a, a large, um, well, we don't have a large group of people that would be using this, so that would be a time period where people yeah. would get on, right? I mean, no, you know, there's not like a big mess up that you can morning. connect to at a given time to talk with everybody. Right now, it's all being coordinated through the Discord. Okay. Cool. No, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it's actually progressing forward, and it seems to be at a rapid pace now. The last week uh, or two. And so. this video was freaking awesome to see because of the, I don't know, um, some sort of anime movie style level over nine thousand explosive fight that has been going on the past couple of weeks to get from where it's been languishing for years to bringing up Canyon Climber over it, there has been a lot of struggle going on in the background. And uh, it, it is great hmm. to see that perseverance and prevail. So cool. congrats. I'm sure we'll be getting more updates soon. Oh, I hope so. And I know that Boise's over on the other Discord talking with them about DriveWire stuff. Um, they're expanding how it interfaces and connects with DriveWire and, and uses and some of the same capabilities that DriveWire does, you know, because apparently they're interfacing like DriveWire is kind of the language to talk to the FujiNet. And then the FujiNet goes off mm -hmm. and does all its magic behind that. But from the Coco side, a lot of DriveWire know-how will be or is being reused. So, 
you know, it, hopefully it will help bring up things like getting OS nine talking over this stuff and on and on and on. So very interesting project, very interesting approach. And this was a massive milestone, this two minute video here. Okay. Cool. Okay, next up, uh, Simon Jonasson posted a couple of updates to his online Cocoa One Two graphics editor. Um, he's added in some stuff for supporting uh, both mouse buttons to do color selection, and he also did a small video here. Check what you describe it as. Tool highlight is active and I can paint a color need to sort color selections or various modes next. Of course, this is the online editor where you can actually load in files from your local machine over the net in your browser to edit on here and then save them back onto your local machine. So if you want to do you know custom graphics design for a game or screens or something like that for the Cocoa 1 and 2, it's perfect for that kind of thing. Man, it's coming a long way. This is yep. awesome. You you say he's taking artwork from the PC and putting it on the Coco? Is that what you're saying? No, you can load it off your PC. Like if you have a bin file or something saved. Which is what I just said. Oh, no. I, th I thought you meant like a PC, like a ping file or something like that. No. Mind you, he might be doing that too. I can't remember. Oh. Hmm. So you could take something you designed on the PC and export it to this. And yeah, or even if you ran in the Cocoa emulator on the PC, saved it out on the PC side, you can then throw it up in here and then edit okay. it directly here too. It's not quite up to Cocoa Max yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, though. Mm -hmm. He's a wizard, as it is. Yeah, and this will actually handle uh, MC10 graphics modes too, so you can use this for doing MC10 graphics because he actually supports P mode, you know, zero through four, and the MC10 with a 16K RAM expansion or higher can handle P mode zero through two just fine. And then here's where he's showing, uh, not an animated one here in this case, but uh, you can switch the colors with the right mouse button type thing. So you can just kind of like change the colors while you're here instead of having to go way over here, select the color, come back, et cetera. Right. Yeah, so my daughter's enough. looking forward to drawing some Coco people, Coco Mans, the little cartoon Coco guy. Yeah, right. It. Yeah, she's all into the pixel art and that's right up her alley. And here I've got two videos from Joel Evie, and he's actually been contacting David Ladd. So this is about the MM1, and there's an MM1 group on Facebook that Joel's a, a member of, as is David, for that matter. Um, I'm just going to play two videos, because what has happened is that he's been trying to get software pulled off his MM1. So he's, MM1s came with SCSI hard drives by default. And mm -hmm. those drives are getting old, and they're starting to die, and you'll hear that in the first video here. But he got a blue SCSI, and this kind of ties in with the uh, Retro Computer Roundup I was on because Joe is one of the people that manufactures the blue SCSI, which is meant as a SCSI uh, SD card replacement for any machine that uses SCSI, uh, including Apple's and other machines as well. And Joel actually got, I think it's actually from Joe, because Joe's one of several manufacturers that make these things, uh, got one, and he actually started working on getting it to transfer all the stuff off his hard drive, because he says his hard drive, well, I'll let him explain it in the video. If it can't do anything. Oh, it's not playing. It just froze for some stupid reason. Yeah, oh. it's just... Hit the play button. What the heck is it doing here? It's waiting uh, for you to hit the play button. 
the full screen bug got you again. Yeah, I'll just do this one then. Ding. Okay, I am finally copying all everything off my old spinning rust hard drive onto Man, that a drive blue SCSI good, version it? two. Oh, that would be bad, right? Good enough. That is fear. Let's see it copying away here. Fear. And you can probably hear the yep, jet catchers. engine like whine <laughs> of this old Western digital scuzzy drive. The drive works okay as long as you keep it powered on. But if you let it oh. shut down and cool off for more than a, a few hours, then when you turn it back on, it takes a day to warm up to the point where it works properly. And then it works fine. So I've been running this for months on end, uh, just so that when I want to use the MM1, I can just turn on the monitor and actually use it instead of having to turn it on the day before I want to use it. So hopefully in uh, short order here, we can retire this drive or put it into second line service. And what's going to replace it? Which I'll show now. A solid state device. At uh, the old mechanical hard drive removed. Here's the blue SCSI sticking way too far out the front end. I'm gonna replace that 3D printed um, closure adapter that came with it. I'm gonna make it design a new one so that I can mount this farther back in there. Mm -hmm. But uh, for now, I want it so I, I want it so just the um, memory card pokes out the front and I will probably adapt one of these bezels to uh, there you go <laughs> to go in here so that there's just a slot for the memory card um, but it is now booting from the memory card so let's Give that a demonstration here. Still has to load the kernel off the floppy drive. I'm not sure if this thing, if the MM1 has ever been able to boot entirely off a SCSI drive or not. Right? My Delmar 5 also but I've needs never gotten a floppy. It to do that. So there we have it, booting entirely off of a completely silent <laughs> SD card. I've got now an, an extra two gigabytes here that I can put some extra drives it on. It doesn't have to wear the hearing protection. And I can easily remove the SD card to back up the entire thing uh, and or to use um, uh, 
tool uh, tool shed uh, to copy big files onto the uh, onto the memory card. Anyway, there we have it. So yeah, that that it turns out it works. It does replace nice. SCSI drive even an MM one. Uh, so I think anybody who has a TC seventy or like you said, some of the Delmar, the System Four, System Five. Uh, possibly even some of the old SCSI controllers for the Coco. This might even work. I don't know. I'm assuming it's 8-bit SCSI. Maybe it's 16-bit. I'm not sure. Um, if Sloopy were here, I'd ask him because he's probably more familiar with these than I am because I think he helps manufacture some of them. However, I believe I want one now. <laughs> <laughs> so Mission accomplished. Are the files on the hard drive on this machine anything like the ones on a Coco where they're individual disks? You know what I mean? Of 256K or whatever it is. No, no, no. no. It's all like a PC? Yeah, this is all like a PC, Ron. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is uh, 68K, right? So it's, Yeah, this uh, is always 968,000. Yeah, I could never understand why um, anybody would ever format a hard drive into individual disks, you know. <laughs> that, that was mainly for compatibility with disk extended basic. It didn't. Did it make any sense at all? Only yeah. for disk extended basic. Right, right. The disk extended basic only knows how to read a floppy. It can't read anything bigger on its own. It's ne never designed to do anything beyond, well, literally, it's on the Cocoa, it's designed for 35 tracks single sided. Right. Whereas so, OS 9, OSK, DOS, they're all designed for running multi megabyte hard drives. You know, with so, the wonders of, of what the SDC does, you would think somebody would have come up with something. Well, the SCC is kind of doing the same thing. You've got those little yeah. floppy disk images. You still got to mount each one as you want them, right? It's not like you have one big drive with everything on it at once. You have one card with everything on it once, but you have to go mount each disk as you want it in the SDC. So you're, you're doing the same thing you're talking about, yeah. where you're just picking a small little 1856K disk image file, which right. has Cocomax on it. Right. Well, will there ever be a day when it'll be more like a PC? Probably not. Not without breaking backwards compatibility with everything. Right, yeah. For OS 9, yes, it's already there. Well, what I don't understand is why, why they can't um, save stuff off one way. Yeah, almost like accessing your PC through DriveWire, because you're doing that in oh. DriveWire, right? Yeah, you do with HDB DOS. Yeah. Right. No matter what you do, Disk Basic only stands a couple understands a couple of floppy drives. So you have to present everything you've got as a couple of floppy drives so that Disk Basic can handle it. That's, yeah, that's I guess just what I'm saying is the I'm not using Disk Basic and having something interpreted. Right. You go with something like HDB DOS, which yeah. starts letting you actually talk to right. hard disk with the file system and right. translate the file system into loads and saves and stuff like that. You're right. You replace yeah. Disk Basic. Yeah. Yeah, Disk Basic is a limiting factor here. Yes. And has like this is something I never understood about Tandy. I mean, the time between when Disk Basic was released in late 82, right up to the Cobo right. 3, they could have at least done like what ADOS did, like let you handle a 40 track drive or an 80 right. track drive or a double sided yeah. drive. And they never did any of that. 80. Yeah. But what was the, um, you know, the disk controller for the five meg? Um, yeah. What, what was the ROMs? There was no ROMs in there? Or no, it was no, nine only. Well, how was the file system set up in that? Was it OS nine? It was OS, but they were individual disks, right? No, it was no, one no. heavy disk. And, but OS nine was the file system. The RBF was the file system used inside. Yeah, so it was more like it, a PC then. 
Yeah. 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 Well, okay, it's nine so is more like a PC. Why couldn't they do that with with uh, you know some kind of a controller that would translate to the cocoa and have it so that the hard drive wouldn't waste all that space? I mean, you, well, you the could take a drive. The, the technology wasn't available then at that kind of price for the cocoa. Well, it is right. now, though, right? Yeah, it is now, but, but everybody now. skips that but, and they just go with the SD card and all these files. Well, we want to move everyone to OS nine anyway. Yeah, exactly. Right, it's, it's a block. It's and, an and Ron will block. do that too once I get Decimate three working. Right, right. Well, that, we'll move that's... us all over. <laughs> now the you problem see... is that they have to try to maintain backwards compatibility because I mean we could write a new DOS for Disk Basic that handles hard drives natively, and absolutely none of the existing machine language software that was written back in the day will work right. if they access the disk drive. Because they're going to try to access it as if it's a single 35-track floppy. Yeah, but they see, won't have a clue trans... how to go but past that, that. But that can be all translated in one of those super chips, you know, that has all the brains. <laughs> right? You would have to feed it on one end. You feed You're it, pushing uh, uphill. The CPU has to be smarter than all of the things that it's running. And with this basic, the CPU has its right. smart limits. Right. And you can't make it more complicated past that. Right. Well, what I'm saying is, well, it's just like the SDC. It has a big chip on there that translates everything, right? That does the interfacing between. So, well, yeah, but you still yeah, have to mount those individual point. disk images to maintain disk basic compatibility. You're, like you're just all, right. all you've done is change your floppies into one little 156 k files, and you still have to pick like I want this one in drive zero, I want this one in drive one. It's not automatic okay. where I could run Coco Max and immediately switch to deskmate, you know, without having to change oh, anything. You have to mount the disk. The word, and, hang up I a second. The word translates, not the right word. Yeah, Ron. So Defender goes to write the high scores. How does it do that? It was designed to ask Disk Basic to write the high scores. And if you take out the Disk Basic or change Disk Basic too much, the Defender would have to also be changed well, to still write saying, high scores on whatever right, you change. What I'm saying is right. we, we feed it that what it wants, but a brain can do it, you know, um, on the... Uh, yeah, but you have to go to game by game then. Yeah, you have to patch well, every single program then. That so it turns out a thousand and twenty-four floppies, virtual floppies, is the best way to do it because that's what all of the hardware underneath or all the software underneath understands. So rather than change all of those thousands of programs, we're just going to say, okay, we've got a thousand floppy drives here, and this is right. how you handle your thousand floppy drives, and okay. that works. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't want to be equivalent of like say let's say you've you've got a whole bunch of uh books you want to read but they're in japanese um you have to translate each book you can't yeah, just like lump the book books and in a box and, and that's it's, okay uh, because computers are has been called. smart we, right? we have an asparagus called <laughs> okay as usual, it's it's more complicated under the hood, I think, is the basically the summary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's you think it is wrong. What what I always think of is how DriveWire works. You know, it goes from from my stupid cocoa to a, a complex. And you never have to go to the DriveWire server and change the disk image. It's all automatic. It yeah. just handles it. And no, you have to go pick which one's mounted where. I can pick how many. You have to pick. Drives. You just you just you just identified the problem. You can't have it automatically just go. You know, pick disk five hundred and twelve that has Coco Max three today. 
because the old software is not going to know how to tell whatever right. solution to None get what it needs to get. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, asparagus was called, so I probably shouldn't extend more. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> okay, so next up, we've got some dragon stuff. There's a fair bit here. So uh, first of all, there's uh, Rob configured just to actually can uh, join the Discord here recently as well has made a new version of his VDK image uh, tool for Dragon DOS disks. And he's actually got some screenshots here of an action. And like Paul Fiscarelli's one for the uh, Coco, which I don't know if it's officially released yet or not, this lets you not only go through a disk image and see what files are sitting there, but it actually can do things like if it recognizes it's a picture file, you can actually tell it to display it right off the disk image. You don't have to like wow. load a program that does it and you know does the display on its own. And you basically tell it, you know, in this case here, um, you know, what view mode is it? A P mode three picture? Is it a P mode four picture? What color palette should it be? And then you can actually export it as a ping directly onto your desktop, so you can actually steal, you know, graphic images off these disks without having to copy the files over, then convert it with something. And so, uh, very, very nicely done, very nicely presented. So that's available. You can download it. Uh, Precompiled executables. You can go on to the World of Dragon archive which is part of the whole world of dragon website it has all the software and stuff for the dragon as well and if you have a dragon or you want to deal with dragon uh, vdk disk images and you want to give it a shot uh, is that, is that for mac only i don't think so this the doesn't look mac like mac to me uh that one kind of does that yeah that's the one i saw it looked like but a these mac. don't these look like windows or linux or something Oh, okay. Well, that yeah, might be. You, you see, his uh, background there is is a Windows eleven background. Oh yeah, the bottom picture. Too. Okay. Yeah, so it seems to be cross platform. Oh, cool too. Mac JPEG, Linux JPEG, Windows JPEG. I wonder if there's a theme here. Damn, <laughs> <laughs> Rick, you figured it out. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's cross-platform from what yeah. I can see. Yeah, that, that's 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 really cool. That's uh, I think and, it's and, actually, if I remember, this got released before last week's episode, and somehow I totally missed it. So, so where where was that? I might have a look at that. World of Dragon. Archive. World of Dragon. Dragon. Yeah, World of Dragon dot org. I wonder well, if the program is called Dragon DOS. Yeah, I wonder if we get a version with the Tandy logo there. <laughs> but it's a dragon yeah yeah and, and the dragon disc format is violently different from the coco format yeah that's Whereas... the other thing i was going to say <laughs> yeah. yeah but we're, yeah, gonna, we're, we're gonna get called on asparagus on that one though too yeah <laughs> this work would this work on a coco if it's it's called dragon dos i'm thinking well, no I'm, I'm guessing not because the dragon uh, dos format sector based not granule based like it's totally yeah, different. so this is not this is only it's, for dragon. it's like reading a a mac disc in a pc like the old mac discs. Yeah. it just doesn't work yeah so i won't bother going to look for this <laughs> now nick this might be of use to you though for making dragon versions of your games oh yeah you could use the pc because you can drag the bin disc. file in which is the same format and it'll convert it, you know, you export it from your Cocoa granule-based disk uh, image and then oh, import it through this as a, a, a sector-based Dragon DOS image. It should just pop I've, the bin in and go, right? I've got a much easier utility for that. It's called Kieran. 
<laughs> I just send it to Kieran and I get back what I want. It's done. <laughs> no, I, tried, I tried to put Coco Max on a um, VDK, you know, by taking all the files off of a, a floppy. And um, I, I didn't know, though, which ones would be. Um, yeah, I think, unfortunately, you know, Coco Max. This is getting into the same problem we just discussed here, where the yeah, Cocomax is trying to talk to Disk Basic, which yeah, is totally different is. than the Dragon DOS. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you go on the Coco and you go say write granule one, and then you go to the Dragon, you have to write nine different sectors to do that. What same the hell is a granule? <laughs> yeah. What a granule? What the hell is that? Yeah. Next up, this is the final of three of uh, the videos interviewing um, Brian. Uh, Green, I think his last name was, if I remember correctly. Brian Moore, sorry. Yeah. Now, Brian was one of the final people working at Dragon Day. He was kind of their representative for the media as well as you know, fairly high up in the organization itself. He was actually one of the people trying to get Dragon fixed before they went into receivership. Mm -hmm. So Richard Harding has uh, contacted Brian and actually gotten these from his Brian's personal archives, these interviews he did for TV. And this is the third and final one he has. And this is basically when Dragon was on the way out type thing. Right. The receivers are in is a bad for Dragon Data, the South Wales home computer firm, are in serious trouble. As we disclosed in Wales at six last night, the Kenvig Hill firm have called in the receivers following serious financial problems. Paul Starling looks at what went wrong at one of Wales's boom companies. Dragon Data were hailed as the fastest growing company in Wales just two years ago and they were seen as the high-tech success symbols of Wales. They were one of the first to attack the boom in home computers, launching well, their Dragon 32 computer in August 1982. It was created and made at Swansea by toy manufacturers Metoy, who since gone bust themselves. Sales over that first Christmas were staggering. Thousands of computers rolled off the Swansea production line and across shop counters all over Britain. On the strength of that, Dragon Data was created as a company separate from Metoy and moved into this factory at Kenvig Hill. They received major financial backing, including half a million pounds from the Welsh Development Agency. The boom continued into 1983. Sales rocketed and 80,000 computers found new homes. Dragon placed mass orders for components and planned for soaring production. That was their first mistake and it proved extremely costly. While they planned for boom, a vicious cost-cutting war broke out. There was a seasonal summer slump and by August Dragon Data needed four and a half million pounds to stay in business. The present managing director, Brian Moore, was brought in from GEC. That money was put up by the WDA and Prudential Assurance and 140 workers went in a slim down. All hopes were pinned on high Christmas sales this year, but that failed to happen. Unfortunately, these sales weren't as high as we thought they would be, and there was a carryover effect into the first quarter of this year, and basically we, we just haven't sold as many computers since Christmas as we thought we would. You were telling me earlier that, in fact, the, the bottom has almost dropped out of uh, the, the Dragon market. Well, Dragons are still selling in the UK. We um, have information that says we're selling still a few hundred a week. But a company the size of Dragon needs to sell significantly more than that to stay in business. So it's a matter of degree rather than uh, dropping out of the market. And there's no doubt that the home computer market is a very risky business and the market conditions are very uncertain. And certainly in the last week there's been fairly uh, pessimistic reports about um, the US market and uh, the whole future of home computers. 
Are there any general lessons you feel that uh, can be learned from this problem that you faced, uh, taking into consideration that you were the fastest growing company in Wales at one right. stage? Are there any general? Um, well, I think the uh, most important thing we've learned is to make sure that your forecasting is right. And uh, one of the problems with high-tech industries is there's usually a lot of material content and relatively small labour content, which means if you don't forecast your sales correctly, you have a lot of boarding components, which essentially means that uh, if you're unable to sell them, you have big debtors behind you, and debtors mean that you run out of money in the bank. Now, we're sitting in an area of high unemployment. You know that as well as anyone else. What is likely to happen to the 160 jobs still left in this factory? Well, we're doing our very best to uh, attract a buyer to carry on in business. Certainly, the receiver and myself have discussed it, and we are now putting together a proposal for someone who will be attracted to the business. We still have three or four new products just about to go to the market and I'm very confident we'll have something in place in this uh, location working. Uh, I think it would be too early to say what and the size of it but uh, there is still some hope that we'll get something. Will you continue to fight to save uh, Dragon Data? Absolutely yes, we've uh, spoken to GEC who are our UK distribution company. They've indicated their willingness to carry on with the brand um, they will be having discussions both with the receiver and ourselves over the next week and we are fairly confident that something will come out of it but uh, it's a bit early to say exactly what yet. I mean, I'll, I'll ask what is effectively a naughty question. Are GEC likely to take it over lock, stock and barrel? Well, that's, that is a naughty question. <laughs> I think you ought to ask GEC that. But, uh... Can I say... I was going to say, this is about the time when Atari was dumping uh, ET games into a desert in New Mexico. And the great yeah, 99 stopped selling machines and the so Atom the, failed. The, and the, the video crash had begun and Dragon Data was just right in the middle of it. So what caused that? Everything. It all died in 83. Atari died. Dragon died. Everything died in 83. The, the basic video idea... Game, was that no one bought new stuff for a Christmas. So everyone bought, uh, all these companies stocked up huge, like the Christmas 83 was going to be the just this banner thing. Right. And the people were so over-glutted with choices in video games, choices in home computers, that well said. no one bought new stuff for that Christmas. Everything was so available and cheap and, you know, there was too much of it. So this huge glut hit and all these distributors ended up with all the stuff they had made still sitting in the stores after Christmas. And so all the distributors wanted to send it back. And that's why Atari just said, great, put it in a truck and ship it off to New Mexico. Barry, you know, they produced, I think, more Pac-Man cartridges or more ET cartridges. I forget one. Which one it was? There were consoles. Then there were machines to plug the cartridge into. So yeah, I mean, it just the world was very crazy then. Uh, the the third party video game market had exploded, and parents were just too confused with everything that was out there. They're like, you know, we're going to go do something else. Yeah. And the case of Dragon specifically, they, they forecast, as he mentioned, the forecast was wrong. They thought the sales were going to keep going way up. And they were, like they said, they were the fastest growing company in Wales at one point. Well, why didn't the and they ordered all the chips for the stuff for after Christmas, like all the CPUs, the PIAs, all the components they needed 
and then sales dropped off a cliff. Now they had all this stuff they had to pay for it still. You couldn't right. send them back to the electronics distributors, you know, to get, you know, like Motorola, for example, for all the chips and stuff. And sure. then they were stuck, you know, not even being able to sell any of it. So they had, you know, millions of dollars of stuff they had to spend and they couldn't, they couldn't sell. I mean, they were hoping the warehouses were empty to make room for the new products. Right. So nothing new for next year because we've still got 83. And so, yeah, this is it's kind of like what happened to Osborne, except uh, Osborne did it themselves by pre-announcing a great new machine that we'll have out in a couple months here. And then everybody stopped buying the old ones. And then the old ones were the ones that they had to sell for the next six months to pay for everything. And they couldn't sell them because they'd already promised this new machine to come out. And the catch 22 was that nobody bought the old. They couldn't get the money to build the new that they were planning on. And they went bankrupt. It's kind of similar in and this case. There's probably like about 200 other streams of things that all came together in right. late 83 and early 84 that, you know, it, it thinned the herd quite a bit. I mean, mm. Commodore went to war with TI and drove them basically out of the computer market because um, Tramiel wanted to pay back over some calculator deals that TI had <laughs> destroyed for him. And, you know, Atari was, arcades were collapsing, not just home computers and home consoles. The whole concept of the arcade was fading right. as of recessions and things like, that. you know, it's just there, there, there are a couple of really good books out there. I don't have the titles of them off the top of my head at the moment, but there's a couple of really good books out there um, that involve, you know, what was all the different stuff in the soup that, that became video game crash it wasn't just pac-man and et failed atari and that took out the entire rest of the world no there was you know basically the whole rest of the world had all these different things that all struck at once yeah there was a huge recession going on too which didn't help sales either did that uh, movie catch fire and burn um whatever it was called i don't know chronicle you talking about halton catch fire yeah. yeah that was the story about compact yeah, but didn't wasn't that about the same time as the no well, no was not, years later. later I think a few years later than this oh this is the like eighty three eighty four and the compact was the more like, yeah kind of that was the nineties version of the video game crash right yeah, right. yeah. the, yeah, the, the same mistakes were repeated <laughs> the thing about the video game crash is every country has their own version but it all kind of happened at the same time for different reasons in different places um, you know the the initial rush kind of exceeded what it could accomplish and then they were just asking more money for the same old thing and so anyway yeah it's like the dot-com crash we had around 2000 2001 type thing that's kind of right all all the people jump in and everyone tries to get their money all at once and there's just too many choices and there's no one that's really better than anyone and yeah just it's the surge that everything gets has anyone said asparagus yet? Yeah, asparagus. Yeah, <laughs> uh, David Lord just said, "Wait, is this the start of next week's show?" That's <laughs> <laughs> good. All right, we're, is uh, it next week yet? <laughs> yeah, we're I've only got on... two stories left, so we're just Ooh, about done. Push we're, on, Curtis. We're at five Please. and a quarter, so there. I've, I've exceeded what I told Trina. I was going to make damn sure we were longer. <laughs> Four. Okay, so next up, uh, Julian, who's actually in our chat right now, because he was talking about the, the crash in the UK being a bit based on some different things, uh, mainly the Christmas forecast. Um, and some supply deadlines. 
So he actually is mentioning here. Now he's of course the person that's redoing the Dragon Thirty Two board, and now he's been doing the uh, you know where he's starting to expand its capabilities, like the two hundred fifty six K RAM, etc. Um, so he's been adding in additional audio circuits. He's talking about putting in multiple audio chips and stuff. But because of modern using modern technology instead of his original versions, which are basically just duplicating the Dragon Thirty Two as is. Look how much board space he's saved now. Wow. <laughs> he's yeah, doing wow. the same thing. <laughs> much better. <laughs> Transmitting antenna in the middle of that thing. <laughs> and a volleyball court. Right? Uh, LED array. <laughs> Which I mean, I I this I mean, some purists think, well, this isn't a dragon anymore because it's not the same thing. But I I view it as a continuation mm -hmm. of it. But also just to show this is a kind of a snapshot of of technology advancements. All right. those chips combined now down to this. And this has extra features beyond the original set. Is like that a chip socket right there? <laughs> and I mean, we've seen this when you, when you do stuff like a Coco 3 FPGA, you can reduce the size of a Coco 3 into this tiny little box type thing using modern or more modern chips. They're already old now. Mm. So. so are these alternate pinouts for the different chips? So he's got some quad pack things going on like or is he doing gate, kind of a gator ray thing? Um, yeah. Julian in the chat there, if you want to kind of answer those questions, because I don't have a clue. <laughs> yeah, those could be. More We're gonna have features. to have you on the show sometime, Julian, actually, to talk about this project. Yeah, you general. must explain yourself, sir. <laughs> so I'll let him cool. talk about that in the chat, and I'll just get the last. Yeah, it just here. looks like artwork to me. It's awesome. Now, this is one I just found this morning, actually. So there's a, a channel with three subscribers called Retronaut. And he's doing a history of his own involvement with tech. And this is chapter four, 1982, the Dragon 32. And he's already revealed that he's going to be continuing the Dragon 32 part of his tech history in his next episode for chapter five. I'll play just a little bit at the very beginning. It's uh, almost a half hour long video, but it's pretty cool. He has his own interpretation of what he remembers of what happened, Dragon, etc., and uh, also why he ended up getting a dragon uh, as a kid type thing. But it's actually pretty pretty well done, and it's a pretty interesting uh, conversation. And he, he knows about the Coco, and, and he knows about that why the dragon got to launch with so many titles at the beginning was because they could just take Coco stuff and very lightly patch the keyboard routines and voila, software. So I'll play just a little bit to get a teaser, but you definitely should check this out. And he's got another dragon one planned for the next episode too, so maybe subscribe to his channel. <laughs> And he's got a pretty fancy intro stuff out show that too. Hi, and welcome to another Retronaut video. It's a bit so soft. In yeah, the previous sure chapter that. in this series, we looked at uh, my longings and eventual tryst with an Atari VCS. This was my <laughs> second games console. And like so many people owning and playing an Atari VCS, it was a rite of passage uh, for so many uh, back in the 1970s and 1980s. It's fair to say that pretty much everyone who went on to become a gamer, they started off with a VCS. Now, the next part of my journey is it's quite personal to me, and that's because the next device in my personal tech journey is a computer, which was made literally in the town where I grew up. So I grew up in Port Talbot in South Wales. Port Talbot is a medium-sized town, and this, this town grew massively during the Industrial Revolution. And like so many places in South Wales, it, it quickly became a center for metal smelting. And that, that was because it combined ready sources of iron and coal in the nearby valleys. 
so this is why you know south wales is famous for valleys is because lots of coal mines and uh i think iron ore uh mines also used to exist in those valleys back in the day about seven miles away uh is swansea and this is a, a mid-sized city on the coast both port talbot obviously with the name port talbot you'd know it's on the coast uh swansea is also uh, a coastal town as well with a big port again it's a town that grew up because of metal making in swansea's case it was actually copper and it was a, uh, known as Copperopolis at one point because I think it made something crazy like 80% of the world's supply of copper. So I'll, I'll mention as well that my, my grandmother worked for a company called Metoy in Swansea. Metoy was a metal toy uh, manufacturer. And in this country, in the UK, they were quite famous for, for producing a range of toy cars uh, under the brand Corgi. So in early 1992, uh, the local TV news, it was reporting that a new local company called Dragon Data, it was going to release uh, their own computer and it was going to be called the Dragon 32. What was even more exciting for me though was that this new computer was developed in Swansea and it was going to be manufactured in a new factory that they were building actually just outside Port Talbot. And this really brought, you know, the microcomputer revolution, you know, literally to my doorstep. My grandmother, she then told me that from what she understood, Dragon Data was actually an offshoot of Metoy. And I've done a little bit of reading up about uh, Dragon Data, and it turns out that Dragon Data... Anyway, I won't, I won't play the whole thing here, obviously, but that'll give you a bit of a taste for it. And he kind of goes through his history with the Dragon here, which we'll be continuing in the next episode. Definitely worthwhile checking out. I, I found he's, he's a good presenter. Um, he's got some pretty interesting stories. He talks about, you know, his first learning how to program was on the Dragon. And then, you know, some of the stuff that was happening with Dragon later with, you know, eventually going with Eurohard to Spain, etc. So, um Definitely check that one out. And that's it for the news. And I think we got a response from Julian. Board looks empty, but the central horizontal band is just bus data and addresses. Hey, antenna. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, we've had longer shows than this. The Dragon special was longer than this. The uh, MC10 might have been longer than this. And for sure, our virtual Cocoa Fest last time was longer than this, just to name a few. Okay, uh, my, my revelation from this show was Metoy is Metal Toys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so Julian's also mentioning that the uh, PLCC sockets are the PIAs in a different form factor and the ROMs yeah, okay. are uh, uh, PLCC EE proms. So but no gimme type chip, though. Uh, no, it's no. a Dragon 32. Then it wouldn't be clone, a Dragon. So it'd be like a Coco 2. It doesn't have a gimme either. Okay, are we ready for the outro? We've been I ready. So. Please push the button. My cat's going to kill me if I don't feed her soon. So. <laughs> this concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022, D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Yeah, and it might not really, be. 
really, really, really until we get the. I do the indexes here. I have to put another five minutes of indexes after it's over. So don't <laughs> tell me it's over. So now we got the post anvil here. Uh, See you next right week. The <laughs> There's that's Bye. my post anvil. Bye. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Bye. Bye, everybody. Where's the button? <laughs>